Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Between the Sheets, episode number 439. I'm your host, Chris Elner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, it's time to start off 2024 with a bang, as we have a loaded show this week. Perhaps too loaded. <laughs> well, you know, we got to start doing more of these shows. We're, yeah. we're, we've... We've got a lot of those '80s and '90s shows up. We gotta, we gotta start getting to the 2000s a little bit more. Much as you hate it, but I mean, it's something we're gonna have to start doing. Sadly. Yeah. Uh, and January 2001, we have two Raws. Well, it's because of the way the week ended up. No, well, I know, we but I... Nitros in this era. Well. So... So it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, I guess that means anyway, we're going to be talking about someone who has a propensity to be uh, loaded that's been in the news the last few days. But... <laughs> well, uh, before we get started, we have a new Patreon show out, of course, for the month of December. Yes, well, we did, we, the, did a... we did the big plug last week, but we actually hadn't finished recording it yet at that point. So, Yeah, we'll talk about it again real quick. Uh Von Eric's up close on patreon.com sheets as we uh, took a kind of a different look at the Von Eric's from what other people normally have done and um, focusing more on the humanization of the Von Eric's through their problems, their trials and tribulations in the latter years of the family. And I thought it was an excellent show and it's a different show, like I said, and definitely something that you want to check out because you may have heard uh, some stuff that before, or you may not have. I mean, I've seen people on Twitter that have said they learned a lot from listening to this show. So that's excellent to, to hear that and read that. And that's the main focus. And why we do these shows is to educate the masses. So if you want to listen to that $5 a month at patreon.com slash 20 sheets, get you access to that. And all the other shows that we've done in our seven plus years of the Patreon, a lot of audio for that five dollars. And at the end of this month, a little more lighthearted as we look at twenty-five years of the finger poke of doom. Yes, the beginning of the end to WCW in many ways. So we'll have a, you know, the kind of the build up to it, uh, what happened that night, and the aftermath, and. Uh, should be quite the interesting show, as that was an infamous night at the George Dome on January 4th, 1999. So be on the lookout for that as we uh, close out the month of January. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. But now, let's start the new show, as we'll go two years after 1999, as we go to the week plus a couple of days of January the 1st through the 9th of 2001. And we start with Extreme Championship Wrestling. And what may have been the swan song of the promotion, ECW promised a holy shit surprise, which prompted debates over methods of promotion today, as well as if there's any future left with the company in the wake of losing their New York television, canceling next month's pay-per-view, and not even producing a new TV show in the go-home week of the before-pay-per-view show. Guilty as charged on January 7th before a sell across 2,500 fans at the Hammerstein Ballroom in New York was the usual ECW show. Wait, it came across a session that's what it says here, Bix. I'm just going by what it says here. I know, I know. What it, it, the GCW number, whatever it was, was less than that, and that is definitely the most that's ever been in the building for wrestling because nobody else put seats on the stage, and they had you know risers on the stage. So 
It's Paul. It's Paul. 1,600 people at the arena. Just going by what it says. Um, It came across the session of return of Ron Van Dam as more of a regular house show than anything special on pay-per-view. Everyone worked hard. There were some booking holes that were gigantic. If Francine will sleep with Steve Carino and Justin Credible unless they're wearing the belt, why is it in the show she's sleeping with both of them when they both failed to win the belt? But good or bad, and it was more good than bad, that news paled in comparison to the big news. After the show, Paul Heyman was still saying that the company wasn't going to shut down. Mm-hmm. However, there are only two shows left on the schedule. Sold shows in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, and Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Well, of course, Paul Heyman's last two Chevy shows were in CDs with the word bluff was in them this coming weekend. <laughs> the first time, nobody had gotten plane tickets for those shows, which is out of the ordinary, but not unheard of. There was a March 11th date for the next review announced during the show, although no venue was announced for the event. But ironically, with Rhino versus RVD for the title and Doring and Roadkill versus Mikey Whipwreck and Tajiri versus Justin Crumble and Steve Crennan for the tag titles, it appears for the first time in a long time that there is a logical show to show progression coming out of this show. It's possible the pro baby shows every other month without any television running a few, if any, house shows. USC has survived doing it for seven years. But USC is the only one of literally dozens that have tried, so the odds aren't good trying to run that way. Unlike ECW, however, USC hasn't had a $100,000 for a week payroll to meet. <laughs> they wish it was 100 bucks, uh, but, but without a backer, those dates have even attempted to meet that kind of payroll over. Like USC, ECW does have a brand name in the cult following, and more important, has the entire 40 million home favorite universe to draw from. While USC has limped along with the only dish networks in Canada, which totally pro- which total probably about 20% of that figure. Wrestlers received half pay at the show, now leaving them seven weeks behind. The morale was said to be very bad, with news getting around that, despite claims to the contrary early in the week, that he said he had lost her TV on MSG New York, its key market, and the show didn't even air the night for the pay-per-view in that market. Trying to go on a hope because Farm Club on this show was airing video clips of ECW action on USA. Also, the demoralizing since Farm Club had its own financial problems as well as a major ratings decline and the show on ECW clips the past few weeks. There were not even the hints given that TV deal was on the verge of being announced. And Heyman didn't produce any television shows. This other key market, Philadelphia, hadn't gotten the tape of the show for last weekend. So the tape aired this week. So that tape aired this week. Many were questioning if any TV would be produced from this point forward. <sighs> well, there wasn't. <laughs> no, there was not. I mean, the last TV show was before 2000, right? It was more the end of 2000, right? The last original show, yes. Oh, there were some markets that kept airing reruns for a few weeks? I mean, I think some probably did, yeah. Okay. Whether the Rob Van Dam surprise constituted Heyman falling to the levels of Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo with their desperate promises of a surprise change industry forever and delivering a Bill Goldberg heel turn over the summer is a matter of opinion, which has gone across the board. The fact that should be learned is that all the hype towards a great surprise on the WCPV ended up drawing a few buys. If Van Dam, who came back even though he hadn't been paid the money he was holding out for, Pounding drawing power, and that's in Van Damme versus Jerry Lance's favorite main event would have meant more than the promise and hope of a, of a big surprise. But there's so much politics involving teasing hope, not only for the loyal fans, but for the wrestlers, while they're nervous as to whether they'll be even in the wrestling industry in a few months, that this was a decision 
and it's more dangling a carrot to pacify nervous wrestlers than pragmatic dollars and cents and drawing power of the fans at this point. Man, Dan's return got a monster pop, but he said he also got zero benefit of whatever drawing power he's alleged to have in exchange for the pop. I remember at the time, you know, you know, they were announcing this big surprise and yada, 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 and then it's Van Dan's return, and it's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he hadn't been around, whatever, but... It's doing it knowing it's really the last show. It's Van Dam. But that's I mean, he's the... a guy... Yeah. But that's the reason they're doing it, clearly. Yeah, but why not just announce him and Jerry Lynn? Like Dave said, it would have been a better deal. Well, yeah. If you're going to, I mean, and here's another thing, wrestling and surprises, you know, I mean, very rarely does it ever be as big as you think it might be. Yeah. But, yeah, they are in dire straits at this time, that's for sure. And you got and you got all these Mark wrestlers that still ain't getting paid. Mm-hmm. And Van Dam, who comes back, even with him, I mean, with the money problems that he was having with him, holy shit, you know? It has <sighs> to be that Paul told him it's basically the last show, and that's why he agreed to do it. Has to be. Yeah. I would uh, hope so. And... What were these guys afraid of happening if they didn't work without pay? I mean, I guess that they wouldn't get work. I mean, but you're not getting paid to work, so you might as well not work. I mean, and and it's not like you're working for WWF. You're a VCW where the risk of getting injured is even higher because of the style. That's what's even dumber. And you're not getting paid for that? Yeah, we talk about patreon.com slash twin cheese. We talked about this a lot on the on the shows we did for this era. Yes, we did so. both the uh six part ECW on TNN series and the two part death of ECW series. Yes. Alright, well let's get into this show. And by the way, if you if you enjoy Chris calling ECW wrestlers marks, boy would you love those Patreon shows. <laughs> well, it is what it is. Our dart match was Bilvis Wesley beating Mike Bell. Which, by the way, Dave has Bilvis Wesley's real name being Tom Marquez, even though that's a completely <laughs> different ECW wrestler. That was Bill Wilde. Yes. What is Bill? I mean, think about it, Dave. Where does Bilvis Wesley come from? It's not Tom Marquez. The prodigy Tom Marquez. Yeah. Gee, it's, it's two totally different guys. All right. <laughs> The show opened with Cyrus and Jerry Lynn against Christian, beating Christian York and Joey Matthews in 241. It started with the Baldies attacking York and Matthews that came out, seemingly with a different match than advertised. Joel Gertner attacked Angel with the lamest offense on record, although that was the idea, and got a DDT on the floor for his trouble. That's the latest excuse to get him out of the broadcast booth. Lynn and Cyrus came to the ring, and it's Baldy settled York. In York. Lynn gave Matthews a credit pile driver, and Cyrus in a suit pinned him. Dud. Sadly, there were no NDA chance for that match. Lynn, after the match, said he was the whole fucking show and only wrestling in main events, which pretty well gave way to surprise. 
since fans are chanting for Van Dam by this point, that they would be in an unannounced main event. Why? I mean, the Van, the Van Dam thing, yes, but why? <laughs> I don't know. Danny Doring and Roadkill retain ECW tag titles, meaning Easy Money and Julio De Niro in 1006. Which, by the way, That's... is yes. Julio De Niro's real name really Brian Wool? I guess it is. I did not know that. Uh, let's see. <laughs> yeah, Brian Wool. There's a lot of Brian Wools around. There's another one that we're. Speaking, speaking of NDAs, there's one that worked for, with Nick Houseman. <laughs> Wait, there's what? A yeah. Oh, what? You searched Brian Wool Wrestling? He, he was a Chicago comedian. Oh. People he worked that he was working with was Nick Houseman. And in fact, he was a, I think, a writer at one point for uh, Wrestling Inc. Yeah, it says. Yeah, I see his website now, this other Brian Wool. Yeah, how about that? <sighs> It all ties together in the end, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> did you all right, many, uh, Danny. How many wrestling adjacent Chicago stand-ups are there? Jesus. I guess it's part of the territory. We got uh, Houseman. We got Marty DeRosa. We got this Brian Wool character. Sarah. Sarah, of course. Yes. Uh, uh, do we count the Dallas sure Fight guys, or at least Dan? I mean, he's a wrestling fan. <laughs> Are they wrestling media per se? Or no, no, no. Dan, Dan uh, oh, I'm forgetting his last name. All of a sudden, is not. Dan's main thing is he's a wrestling fan who is friends with Marty. Okay, so there you go. I mean, yeah, so I really, I mean, I guess by uh, association. Yeah. Well, Cabana, I guess you could say in a way too. He's a wrestler. I mean, he's, he's a wrestler. Also, he's me. also wrestling media of sorts, and uh, yeah, but he's a wrestler and a comedian. He was a wrestler before he became anything else. Oh, he was Nick's co-host so, on the Wrestling Inc. Daily. And he's contributed to so, Nick's House of Wrestling podcast. Well, there you go. Alright, Danny Norton and Road Kill retain East Tattoos beating Easy Money and Julio De Niro in 10.06. Fast-paced match was spot after spot. It was really sloppy. Particularly as the match progressed. De Niro did a big dive on Roadkill. Doran did a real clumsy dive off Money's back onto De Niro. Money actually flipped over the guard round close on Roadkill. They did a double wheelbarrow suplex on Doran. Between Money's uh, innovative moves with goofy gimmickry names, at least there are new moves, and Styles giving Doran traditional moves all kind of goofy names, the G-Spot Sweep, Panty Drop, only made goofy because people see these same moves every Monday night giving their traditional names and earning finishers. This is a match that the announcer got really annoying. A lot of cool moves as well, but... It- <laughs> a lot of cool moves as well, but it appeared they were rushing to get all their signature moves into one match, as opposed to doing a match. Funny that Dave's complaining about that. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't. He wouldn't be complaining about that years later. Uh, fans chanted, "You fucked up at money when he missed the moonsault," but the wrestler sold it as a hit for a near fall. Finish saw Dornfin Denaro to the buggy bang. After the match, Chris Hammer joined in for a three on two until Nova made the save, hitting his hot looking rope walk plancha on Hamrick as a Segwaying into the next match, starting the quarter, which was Nova over Chris Hamrick at 5:30 by reverse decision type of deal. Nova's changed his physique a lot in the last month. Uh, he sure did. 
Electra interfered freely. The crowd, the crowd chanted Michael Bolton at Nova. <laughs> Based on his uh, new haircut, yes. Hammer did a super Frankenstein off the top. Nova used a chicken wing crossface. There was a rep bump. Hammer climbed the ropes and kicked off doing the Pedro Morales. Ivan Koloff finished 1971. And Chris Chatty ran in and count fast for the fall. So much for Chris Chatty getting that WF deal. Louis dangerously KO'd Mike Keener with the telephone. Spike Dudley came out of the brawl with Chatty and gave him the acid drop and then restarted the match with Nova delivering the Kryptonite Crunch for the win. Star and a half. Okay, so I guess we'll talk about these in totality because of the uh, Hot Properties group or whatever they were called. Uh, Julio De Niro was a guy who he had talent, but something never quite clicked. He never got like super smooth. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I mean, remember he was CM Punk's tag partner in TNA in the Raven deal. Yes, in the, in the Gathering. Yeah. Not Stark at 85, The Gathering, either. No, or The Gathering of the Juggalos. Oh, God, no. (laughs) But yeah, and like, he kind of just fell off the face of the earth after TNA, didn't he? Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, and then, but then you go to, like... He started writing for Wrestling Inc. No, that's definitely a different Brian Wall. Whatever. But... Uh, it always felt weird at the time too that Julio and Easy were the team when Hamrick was the much better worker and had better chemistry with Easy. Anyway, you know, but also it's Chris Hamrick, so it's probably the same thing that always hampered him, which is that he looked kind of old despite not being old. Oh, he kept wrestling on Indies for a long time, it looks like. Well, yeah, but I mean, Hammer, I mean, Hammer just, he, that was, a lot of it was his gimmick, though. Well, at least initially in ECW, he had that, like, ridiculous bow tie outfit that did fit his, and the, and the look did fit that gimmick. Although, but as his time in ECW went on, he became more of a wrestler instead of a manager Then it wasn't, like, the he wasn't supposed to be any more sleazy than anyone else in that group, I guess would be the way to put it. Yeah. Anyway, this stuff does not age well. I mean, at the time, they were doing some cool spots and stuff, but it does not age well. Yeah. Think about these guys doing what they were doing and Dave's giving it these low star ratings. Dave. Although it kind of makes you wonder how he would rate these matches t- today if they took I place do today. wonder sometimes about that. Although, I mean, the thing is, though, is like, Easy's the only one of these guys that's really polished at all, though. And certainly at this time. I know, but, you know, hot moves. Okay, so who's your point of comparison? Because I feel like. Okay, let's take an example. Let, let's say top flight. Top flight are two very athletic high spot wrestlers who are still definitely green in a lot of areas, but you know what? I don't think it's unreasonable to say the top flight during their AEW run has have been come off as smoother and more TV ready than Doring and Roadkill were. And Doring and Roadkill by this point in time have been wrestling for five years. 
on television for four of the five years. Okay, so you're with me on that, though. That, like, yes, they're, like, a high school team, but I just, I feel like even when, like, the psychology and transitions are lacking, I feel like the execution is not there as much in the stuff Dave didn't like back then, if that makes sense. So I think that's, I think that's the big differentiator. I think if these matches had better execution, then I could see Dave rating them a lot better now. But as it was, not necessarily. I mean, think about it this way. Of the four guys in the match, the one that he ends up being highest on, and, you know, when he's in WCW and then WWE Developmental, is Easy Money. And he's the one... I mean, granted, he's got the Southern India experience, and he is a more polished all-around worker, but still, he's he's the one that's got the much better execution. Yeah. I, Tommy Dreamer, beats Debbie Anderson in 14-11 I quit match. Really good match for what it was. They started doing a bunch of submission moves and are big in Japanese wrestling, but weren't over to the fans. Dreamer hit Anderson with a wrench and he juiced. He also rang the ring bell right in his ear. Good Lord, he's going to be here in that two days. Dreamer dug the wrench into the cut. Anderson did a drop to hold to a chair and Dreamer bladed. Puddles came out of his forehead. The intensity of the match was taken down by comedy spots involving Towel Boy Eric Tuttle of New Millennium Wrestling. What the hell is Although New Millennium the, Wrestling? Some indie group. I mean, he's an ECW Although, student. That's why he's there. Well, I'm just saying. Uh, Although it was led to a big crowd pop when Anderson laid him out with a suplex when he held him in the suplex position forever. Earlier, Dreamer opened a Christmas present with two picky sheets, and he, he and Towel Boy did a stereo boxing of Anderson's ears with them. Razor wire ended up in the ring, but Anderson gave Dreamer a spine buster on it and put on the kneeling arm bar, but Dreamer made the ropes. Anderson suplexed him on two chairs and did some nasty things with the chair wrapped around Dreamer's neck. Dreamer came back with a Spicoli driver up the middle ropes to a table and then wrapped a cable cord around his eyes, and Anderson quit over the mic. Shocking to see a nine-gimmick finish in this type of match for the first time in so long. Fans liked the match a lot overall and gave Anderson a stand ovation was over with three and a quarter stars. Well, Dave's high on a match like this, so that I mean, that's a good sign for the match, you know, being good. And it, I, I'm, I'm, it's been a long time since I've seen this, so you know, I can't say what truly what I remember about it. But I mean, I'm don't have any doubts that Dave was right here. Yeah. So I, I'm just glad we got the uh, Eric Tuttle reference. <laughs> of uh yes. what was the it wasn't Star Chat. It was before any any of us started using Star Chat for wrestling stuff. What was the IRC server that that tape trading channel that w- me and Wes Hatch and our Tuttle and other people were on? X That's what DVDR used, I know that. No, DVDR was the original... Star Chat. Yeah, but then they I mean they use X though. What was it called? What was the name of the server? X-Chat? IRCX or something like that? I don't remember. No, IRCX, I think, was the uh, was the web app to use the web version of it. That's what I'm saying, yeah. No, That's I what I remember. What DVD IRC server it was, but anyway. Oh, shit. I don't know. But anyway. Alright. Um, so next we get the comedy spot of the show. Francine was attempting to swallow a three-foot-long salami sandwich. 
Let's go to this, shall we? Yes. Look at this fucking sandwich. Yes. Pause real quick. This is definitely a show image. All right, go ahead. Well, no, we're going to get something even more worthy of a show image within a few seconds. I know, but still. Can I turn on the captions? I'm going to, just to make, because the way the music dubbing is here. (laughs) Yeah, I want to make sure that you see what the dialogue is. Okay. The girth of the thing, yes. Yeah. Girth of this thing. I don't even think I can fit it in my mouth. Oh my goodness! Hey, hey, Franny, how are you? I'm good. What do you want? Well, you know, since I am the world heavyweight champion, would you like to take a little stroke in my salami? (laughs) Well, normally I would, but um. You have no belt around your waist. It's not about the belt. It's about the title. I'm the world heavyweight champion. The best world heavyweight champion there's ever been. Uh, yeah? Well, guess what? I'm champions don't mean belt. Until you get that belt around your waist, I'm not going to touch you. So get out of my locker room. Oh, your locker room? It's Where's my... your buddy, Justin? Are you writing a book? He's in the bathroom. Oh, is he taking a big dump? <laughs> not that it's any of your business, but he's with a friend. With a friend? Mm-hmm. Oh, what? This one? No, he's waiting for <laughs> Yeah, right. John Tatum's waiting for me back in the old cougar. Well, maybe you could just spit on John Tatum. Just get out of here. Two bit liar. Oh, all right. Now I'm a liar, Steve. Whatever. That is slut, too. Well, check the bathroom. I hope you have fun there with Missy Hyatt, asshole. Can't a man get any peace and quiet around here? Jesus. <sighs> Francine, please. Him already. I've been in there two hours. Is he on Viagra? Fuck him. I don't know what he's on. Obviously, it's too crowded around here. So I'm going to find someone who will take this somewhere else. Okay. Excuse me for being in your business. Hey. I hope you had a good time. Whatever, girl. If you ain't going to give it to me, I'm going to get it somewhere else. Well, then don't get it somewhere else because until you get that belt, you're not getting this. Whatever. You're so lame. You know that? Oh, yeah, oh, my oh, my oh my god! What? It's Missy Hyatt! Yeah, well, you know, right. Jeff, Missy Hyatt. Hyatt. You remember me, don't you? Jeff, fuck you. No, 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 you managed me! Well, I guess you managed yourself then, babe. No, but you, Jeff, what? You just hold on! You! Jeff, we got the title for only one week because of you! It's okay, it's okay. Content, focus, focus. Giants were winning, Giants were winning. Giants are winning? I think so. Okay, well, well, the Giants. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You know what? She's a bitch. Granted, come on, calm down. She managed me. Okay, it's Johnny. Okay. Give them what they really want. Who? The people. The people? I smile. You sure? Yeah. Okay. I smile. He stole the promo again. My boy. Let's go retain that title. Okay, cool. A segment. <laughs> kind of surprised that uh, fuck is uh, on the WWE Network there. No, they give all those disclaimers on the ECW shows. I know. The, the fuck word. 
I know, but that's a little bit different use of the fuck word. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah I guess It's so. implying Missy Hyatt was fucking, not fuck you. You know, that's an insult. <laughs> see, okay, but see, with fuck, it doesn't matter. See, like, okay, it's like, you remember, you remember the Howard Stern episode on E! where Gary's explaining to the porn stars the ways you can say dick and pussy on the radio? Yes. <laughs> you can call That's someone what I was a pussy. <laughs> yeah. In his words, I always remember this, you can call someone a pussy, but you cannot say, I want to stick a carrot in my... <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say here. That's what I was but that th- talking about. does not matter for fuck. <laughs> it, you say it or you don't. Well, what a weird segment. <laughs> oh, See, man. He's going to perform a sex act on a giant sandwich or something. <laughs> but, uh, Missy Hyatt has been with uh, Just Incredible in a small bathroom for two hours. And he can't, and he can't finish. <laughs> Because he's on, to use Dave Meltzer's spelling uh, here, Viagara. (laughs) When uh, she married to uh, that Joe guy? Oh, that's Vergara. Sophia Vergara, that's right. Noted PWG fan, Sophia Vergara, yes. Uh, Yes. Allow me to read Dave Meltzer's description of this... uh, (laughs) Instead of <laughs> Go ahead. In the yes. comedy spot on the show, Francine was attempting to swallow a three-foot-long salami sandwich. <laughs> Carino came in, and you can insert the joke. Carino and his old-school forehead wanted to know where Credible was, and Francine told him he was in the bathroom doing Missy Hyatt. He blew it off, like she had the credibility of a wrestling promoter with that statement. <laughs> But then the door opened, and it was credible with his pants down, still wearing underwear, which was strange. No, wait a second. No, he he had his. It was as if he had started putting his pants back on. That was the implication. And he was wearing leather pants too. Yes, still wearing which underwear. He, which I mean, why not? Why not? Why? Which said, why did he wear leather pants when he wrestled instead of jean shorts? That's all those jean shorts over tights, like Darby Allen. Yes. Uh, yes. So still wearing underwear, which was strange. And Hyatt in a towel, saying that Credible must be on Viagra. (laughs) As Hyatt was leaving, she bumped into Jack Victory, who acted like they were best friends, being that they worked together in the Mid-South promotion in the mid-80s. Hyatt said, Did I fuck you? And Victory said that no, you managed me. She said, Manage yourself, and walked off like she'd never seen him in his life. I think she means her life. He means her life. Whatever. Uh, what a segment. Yes, yes. We go from uh, wrestling Twitter's Steve Carino <laughs> to wrestling Twitter's Mikey Whipwreck. Mikey Whipwreck and Yoshio Tajiri won a three-way over the FBI and Super Crazy and Kid Cash. In 31, they totally blew the first spot. Tajiri was awesome as usual, and everyone knows it except people who run other wrestling companies. It is on flying moves early and a cool triple submission spot by Crazy doing a rolling tapatia or Rita Romero special upside down surfboard. Tajiri doing a tarantula and Whipper doing that Deflot chin lock combination. 
Crazy to dive. Cash versus position on top ropes and delivered his totally nuts quadrado off the top rope to the floor. Sadie Graziano squashed Cash and Tony Mamaluke pinned him, eliminating him. Second fall was good with the Jerry again as a star, ending with both Whipbreak and the Jerry doing simultaneous offshoots of German suplex for a double pinfall. Three stars. Okay, I want to see what this first spot is that they messed up. Fun match, though. All right, go ahead. You put me on the spot. Big surprise there. What are you implying? Amaluk lands on his feet. Clothesline ducked by Cash. Hip toss blocked by Mikey. Kid Cash lands on his feet. Another clothesline ducked. Finally a hip toss. I don't get what he thinks of. headlock now. Uh. Drop down. Oh, Frog. the three-way spot. We'll head a steam now. Okay, there we go. That's what he meant. The first big three-way spot. Okay, so let's see. Drop down. Leapfrog. Shoulder block. Full head of steam now. Kid Cash gets caught. Man, they go for a high cross body. Single leg on Mikey. Whipwreck into a front chance. He hooks the arm. Takes Mikey over. Lateral play. I'll say this. I mean, Cash had good instincts in recovering from that. Yeah, but definitely the crowd you want to do that in front of. Because they immediately got him. Yeah, all 2,500 of them. <laughs> Next, Simon Diamond and Johnny Swing went to no contest with Balls Maloney and Chitty Witty in 48 seconds. Swinger basically complained he wasn't getting enough sex from Don Marie and said he's not getting it from Jasper St. Clair. Rhino came out, straight everyone in the match, as well as Don Marie and Blue Boy, leaving St. Clair for last, and he instead gave her a pile driver off the middle ropes. <laughs> So another angle involving fucking. Yes, I was thinking that too. Uh, okay, I was trying to see what that banner said. It's Mikey and Tajiri bring me their heads. I, I want to see. Uh, I want to see how Rhino Paul drove Jasper St. Clair. Okay, let's see. As I skip ahead, I, I want to see if uh, how he protected her. If I was he hoping, protected. I was hoping the banner was another instance of ECW Japan tour soon, please. Because I want to see what was more dangerous, uh, taking this file driver or taking uh, all those dicks in the gangbangs that she did. Oh, boy. I mean, being that there were just random civilians, and I doubt they were all STD screened, I'm guessing that was more dangerous. <laughs> well, I, well, I just want to make sure. I want to see this file driver. <laughs> um, you could probably need to skip a little bit fat, uh, further than all I this know, place. I'm trying to... <laughs> Figure out. Oh, you're way. You're still in this match. It's actually this match. There's a Sandman promo. Okay. All right. There's that. Okay. Here we go. All right. WWE legend, uh, uh, Jim Fullington, the Sandman. Yes, he has a legend feel, presumably going into the Hall of Fame. Uh... Oh, here we go. All right. So we're going to start getting it here. Okay. Here we go. Okay, it, this already looks like it's going to go terribly. <laughs> because he's not doing your normal second... I mean, normal, not that a ton of people have done it, but still. He's not doing the conventional second row pile driver. He's facing the ring. He's forward. He's forward. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, 
popular. It is. And well, you know what? For a shorter guy, he has basically the perfect body type to protect someone on that. Yeah. Holy crap! So yeah, definitely not the most dangerous thing she's ever done in front of a large crowd. No. Uh, Sam, Sam and Lanisa, we talked about Steve Carino and Justin Credible on 1320 of a tables, ladders, and cha- ca- chairs and canes match. It was built as the winner when getting not only had the title, but also sleep with Francine. Match a total mess. Nothing clicked. Credible juice like crazy from a cane shot. They broke some tables and some ladders. Promise the bar for these matches are set ridiculously high because of the risks the Hardys, Dudleys, and Edge Christian have taken. And to these guys' credit, they weren't going to take those risks, but because of it, it killed the match. People were waiting for stuff to never happen, and Sandman looked out of it. Credible didn't look nearly as good as he usually looks, and Carino seemed to just want to get out of as little damage as possible. Sandman brought a giant ladder if two previous ones had been destroyed. He came above guys as they were climbing, then climbed the ladder and got the belt. The belt earlier had been magically raised by probably the same person who raised it for Steve Austin in a 1999 match, three-quarters of a star. After the match, the Baldies attacked Carino and Credible, and they brought with them together, taking them out of the picture. Rhino showed up, speared Sandman, and said that since ECW no longer had television, he didn't want the TV title. Funny in a sad way. And wanted the heavyweight title. Sandman was already dead, but agreed to defend it because Rhino threatened to beat up his family if he didn't. His same family who uh, turned on him years earlier. Rhino then pinned Sandman in 60 seconds after spear through a table, pile driver through a table, and his second pile driver. It's really a moot point about destroying the credibility of the title, dud. Boy, there's a lot going on here, isn't it? Cyrus was with Rhino at this point and challenged anyone from the promotion to come out. Rob Van Dam ran out. Look, a third title change. I said Rhino bailed and Jerry Lynn came out. They started the match. Fans fought that crazy when Van Dam came out as you'd expect they would. Well, let's see. That. Well, let's listen. Actually, I don't. Yeah. Now! I'll go back slowly. And beast champion that I suggest bring it right fucking now! Donald did used to have some beautiful hair. Okay. Spect. You get the idea. Well, no, who cares? Fine. And there's Jerry Lynn. In his bicycle and... shorts. Yes. So, Rob Van Dam picked Jerry Lynn in 1930. Van Dam had wrestled since October 1st. A little, a little rusty, but this is still a good match. He's only been gone for two months. That's what I'm saying. What a surprise. He's been gone for two months. Van Dam played hard away from the mouth, pretty bad from early on, but he did a moonsault block off the guardrail, did a second row moonsault for a near fall. A lot of nice moves. But it's nowhere close to the caliber of some of the previous bouts they've done for every view. Lynn did a powerbomb off the road, slamming Van Dam's head on the chair. Lynn had a German suplex after a series of reversals. Lynn used a DT on the chair. Van Dam kicked Cyrus, who tried to shove him off the top rope, but then missed his trademark frog splash, and Lynn got a near fall on a lot of high straw. Gertner then came back from the dead and DT Cyrus to a big pop. 
And then they hit the Van Aminator finish, which was, took way too long to set up to the point. It was ridiculous. Was Gertner, after teasing forever, holding the chair for the Van Terminator, and Lynn got his brains kicked in. This may be the hottest movie in wrestling right now, but the sad part is it's moves like that, which keeps virtually every top guy in the business away from wanting to work with him. Three and a quarter stars. You mean the move that Vince McMahon took at WrestleMania? <laughs> a few months after this? <laughs> No, I mean, but yeah, that oh, was that good was when from, that Van Dam did. Uh, yes, but that was also from my sunshine. Yeah, and when it with a trash can. Yes, which the crash trash can took the bulk of the punishment. Yes. How about them baiting and switching Van Dam and Rhino? That's the thing in this. That's not quite a bait and switch, but I get what you're saying. All right, so let's let's see the end of the show here, Bix. Is it before the, show the video or? I guess it's after. Yeah, no, it's before. Yeah, yeah, okay. here we go. Oh, it's before. All right, all right. Okay, so RVD celebrating, standing on the top rope. I always said the more men, the better. It starts on her boobs, <laughs> by the way. As yeah, as they're showing Francine's tits. They're showing her tits, and she says, I'll always say the more men, the better. <laughs> and three guys are always better than one. And handshake tonight between Johnny Grubb and Steve Bruno, who's a total shoot. Hey, man, I may not like this man, and this man may not like me, but for six months, we chased each other. Jesus, I should have looked for a Reese Dub version of this. Ugh. Look at Steve Green. I mean, look at Justin Grubble's eye. That's pretty fucked up. Yeah. All right. So what, what's going on here is. They act like they formed the new Impact players, or Francine is their manager, and Dave said they act like they, they had just double teamed her. I don't think they did that. No! <laughs> <laughs> but Francine was talking about triple teaming with Jack Victory, so there you go. <laughs> so that's how the last ECW preview ended. And the last <laughs> ECW show period before two spot shows a week later. I mean, not spot shows. So yeah. Thoughts on the show? Why? Oh, and here's the plug for Living Dangerously. March 11th. Copyright 2001 ECW slash HHG Core. Mm-hmm. So, yep, there you go. All right, let's go to the torch now, and they have quite a bit. Rob Van Dam appeared to preview as a much hype surprise, although the fans seem to be happy that Van Dam returned. The majority of the wrestlers were not thrilled about the way he was used. Numerous ECW wrestlers said they don't hold a grudge against Van Dam, but are more upset with Heyman for bringing him back and putting him over in the main event. People were nice, very nice to Rob, one source said. The boys love him. He's always been a popular guy. Some wrestlers for the Heyman sent the wrong message to those who have remained loyal to the company through its recent financial struggles. I felt a little snubbed, said another source. Remained loyal to the company. <laughs> Remain fucking idiots. Friends said that Jerry Lynn wasn't happy about being asked to put over Van Dam. Oh, and the torch. Lynn was friend, so friends of Jerry Lynn's told, said this. Okay. 
Yes. Lynn was so said that several sources overheard him debating whether he would go through the match. Lynn was furious, said Jerry Lynn. He was walking back and forth complaining, contemplating if he should do it. Wrestle. Jerry, uh, I heard him say, Jerry say, fuck it. I'm not going to work the show at one point. He was hot. Jerry Lynn went on to say that Jerry Lynn wasn't mad at Van Damme personally, but was among those upset with Heyman for the way he chose to bring Van Damme back. <laughs> yeah, wait a second. How did this go from friends to a single source? Oh, no, wait. Oh, wait. It's the one. Oh, no, wait. I'm reading it no, wrong. It's, it went from several sources to the one who was quoted. <laughs> but we have friends in here, too. Mick Karch, uh, Scotty Zappa, <laughs> uh, the hate Warmer of Plumtree. <laughs> but it's, it's Jerry Lynn. Uh, Van Damme addresses career status on these CW matters on the website. Van Damme said that when he came in terms of hanging about appearing at the show or the day of the show, Van Damme said it was irre- irrelevant whether he's back full time. ECW says ECW is currently running the full time schedule. Van Damme also said his January 20th appearance for All Japan has been canceled because the promoter felt there were too many Americans on the show. Van Damme said he believes he was supposed to wrestle Sabu at that event. Too many Americans at that time, huh? Okay. Wait, how was it not could how was it not solidified till the day of the show? He doesn't live in New York. <laughs> he just happened to be there visiting friends. <sighs> he was there to put That's a very- lean on Paul's properties in Westchester. <laughs> <laughs> at the pay review, stay with a torch. It appeared if Rhino was relinquishing ECW TV title by throwing it down. However, the current plans to unify that title with ECW title. Source say Rhino's favorite promo was essentially to shoot reason for the decision to merge two belts. During the promo, Rhino said it's pointless to be a TV champion in a company that doesn't have television. The backstage scene the pay-per-view was less hectic than in the past. Several us reported that the promos for the show were taped earlier than past shows. Everything seemed to be better organized than usual, said one source. Uh-huh. The of say security was tighter this show because of the thefts that took place at the last month's pay-per-view. Missy Hyatt was not asked to appear at the show until the day of the event. She was backstage visiting friends. I just like, man, damn. When Heyman came up with the idea to use her. There don't appear to be any plans to use her on a regular basis. Chris Chatty's appearance. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Paul. What were I you saying? I don't want her to get angry at me for anything I say on a podcast again. So never mind. I'm kidding. I don't know. I Chris couldn't Chatty's figure out a good way to get where I wanted with that. But it's, I find it interesting, though, that they just went straight to, like, did I fuck you? <laughs> Chris Chatty's appearance was planned ahead of time. Friends of Chatty say he's interested in returning to the company and may have discussed the matter with Heyman in pay review. Where's that with Missy Hyatt? <laughs> As I get, digress back to that. I mean, her reputation wasn't really, f- I mean, well, when she was in the business for fucking the wrestlers. You know? Yeah, she was with wrestlers. But it, <laughs> while she was in the business, no. <clears throat> now, before she was in the business, that's a whole other story. But that's actually <clears throat> a good point that her boyfriend, like after Eddie, the 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 relationships at least aren't with wrestlers. Well, Johnny Tatum and Eddie Gilbert. That's it. Her more famous relationship was with damn athletes. <clears throat> it is funny watching like 1990 mm-hmm. NWA WCW television, and she's currently talking about her. 
I wouldn't say relationship or whatever. Basically, her fucking Merle Hodge, who was playing for the Steelers at the time, okay. who would go on to be on ESPN. <laughs> and of course, Jim Kelly. We all know about that story. And uh, Rod Brenda Moore, a, a, a top hockey player in the 90s. Jim Kelly, you mean him so. singing before the first pitch? <laughs> yes. He's very excited. Um, friends of Chris Chatty decision should return to the company and may have discussed the matter with Heyman Perview. In related news, Chatty told friends he wasn't heard, hasn't heard from WS since working on his tryout match last month. Wow. Which we talked about on the previous episode Between the Sheets we just did last month. Boss Mahoney threw a tantrum for you after hearing booking plans for his match. Mahoney was so upset he was scheduled to be gored by Rhino that witnesses watched him punch holes in the wall of a backstage room. Most everyone's saying that Mahoney didn't do his future with the company any favors. His future with the company? Well, there ain't no future. <laughs> yes. He knows the deal. Simon Diamond and Johnny Swinger also to be upset about having to sell as much as they did for Rhino. What a bunch of marks. The pop-up theory among the other wrestlers that Heyman is holding them back because he believes they are a team that WF and WCW will have interest in. Well, WCW had interest in half of the team. <laughs> yes. Don Marie were to preview despite suffering from laryngitis. A few wrestlers say Easy Money has taken Nova's place as the biggest mark in the locker room. The wrestlers say Money is more concerned than Nova h- h- hitting all of his offensive spots into his matches. Which, by the Speaking way, Nova, oh, by the, the way, wrestlers- though, I do find it funny how we went straight from Simon Diamond to Simon Diamond's girlfriend. <laughs> and, and how about the wrestlers thinking he, he's the biggest mark for one of his moves when all these motherfuckers are working without getting paid? Yeah, that's a good point. Who's the mark? Yeah, who's the marks? Now, speaking of Nova. And the wrestlers shared a big laugh when his new Quiet Riot interest music began playing. What song was Observer he? Observer said it did. I don't know. Observers said it didn't appear to be any heat between Heyman and Kid Cash, despite Heyman's blistering quote that was published in last week's issue. What was that? Van Damme told friends that he was unsure of Bill Alfonso's stats with the company. And there's all your torch hits from the pay-per-view. All right. Let's go to Dave, and then we'll go back to the torch. Mm-hmm. After a week in which Paul Heyman kept saying the ECW hadn't lost his time on MSG Network and would air... And the network said, said the show had been pulled because ECW hadn't sent payment. The show never aired. For whatever this is worth, FX, which has been a network most strongly rumored in the beginning ECW programming, mm-hmm. has stated it has no interest in a pro wrestling show. It should also be pointed out that this is an unusual for a station in negotiation to say that. Now let's go to the torch. There are rumors that the company will stop running shows temporarily after this weekend's events. ECW has not officially announced any shows after this weekend, which has led to fear among the wrestlers. The company's days are numbered. The main fear of the wrestlers is that Paul Heyman's plan on shutting the company down soon, despite his recent denials. Key ECW sources indicate that while the company may stop running shows for a short time, it is not going out of business. They're still talking about ECW Arena sometime before the March pay-per-view. One source said Heyman's considering the idea of taking a break from running shows only relaunched the company in March. Sure. Uh-huh, sure. Oh, hey. I, I fa- okay. I pulled up the torch in question from the week before. <clears throat> Paul Heyman responded to last week's torch news story regarding Kid Cash. Last week's issue it was reported that Cash turned down an offer from WCW. The story went on to report that other wrestlers believe Cash may not be long for the company and has openly expressed frustration with the company's financial struggles. In a January 2nd phone conversation with the torch, Heyman ripped Cash. I hope the Hurricane Ronas. 
aren't affected by the door. I, I'm suddenly doing a much better actual Haven voice. How did that happen? <laughs> I don't know. Right? Like, okay, that wasn't just me, right? Okay. I hope what the hurricane like you start and then you get it throatier. Okay. I hope the hurricane ranas aren't affected by the door hitting him on the ass on the way out. Haven <laughs> <Hayman> said. <laughs> Those who want to roll up their sleeves and make this thing work are more than welcome to stay. Those who don't should quit the bitching and get the fuck out of the way. I have all the appreciation in the world for those who are giving it their all and are saving this company with their hard work and dedication. I have no desire to subject these people to the others who sing the rah-rah to our faces and then screw this tune behind our backs. I stood in front of the whole locker room on December 3rd and offered to personally call Terry Taylor, Vince McMahon, or Jim Ross on behalf of any member of my locker room, whether they be a weekly contract player or a day player working on a handshake. I did it for Jerry Lynn, and I would do it for any performer who wanted to take me up on that offer. If someone wanted to take me up on that offer, there would have to be no heat. Or excuse me, there would have been no heat. Only appreciation for sticking it out as long as they did. Those who chose not to have made a conscious decision for which my appreciation knows no bounds. <laughs> Now, I have to note, I don't know if you've ever done this week, this was on the Patreon show, but because I have this in front of me, I have to read it, and you'll know where this is going pretty quickly. Heyman also ripped this publication in the same conversation. <clears throat> I wish to publicly offer my congratulations to The Torch on its runaway success in the year 2000, Heyman said. We did this I week. We did this week on show 232, but go ahead. I can totally empathize with any organization that grows so fast. I, it can't keep everything in check. What with your newsletter, your hotline, and your website? I wholeheartedly understand why it's too much to ask for someone who makes his living off of insider news and analysis to look at a fucking calendar and realize that since December 23rd <laughs> is on a Saturday... And therefore, December 24th <laughs> is on a Saturday. <laughs> Unless there is a change in the chronological order of dates in the month of December, the 25th would fall on a Monday. Now, I will admit <laughs> that since I am a member of the Hebrew tribe, I may not be as ed educated as the vaunted journalists of the at the Torch may be on the Christmas holiday. But to the best of my knowledge, Christmas falls on the 25th. I don't know the banking policies that are enacted under Governor Ventura. But the last time I checked, Christmas was a federal holiday, and therefore banks were closed. Therefore, one could come to the logical conclusion that payment on the 23rd inherently means without postdating of the check, you couldn't have the cash before Christmas. Once again, the wording of your item, in particular the line, wrestlers weren't allowed to cash them, demonstrated the manner that the torch disseminates information in a negative fashion when it thinks the vultures are circling. 
far be it for me to proclaim <laughs> to proclaim rampant happiness and financial success in recent months. And I will gladly face any negative vibes, reports, or press that we may have to endure. But you guys could find the Hulk Diamond in a bucket of shit and would write about how the crew was complaining of the smell. Just an all-timer of a Hammond moment, and there's more too. We did. I, we're not gonna. I'm not gonna read all of it. But I, I I'm such a stickler for uh, a member of the Hebrew tribe. Hammond is considering the idea of ceasing production of the syndicated show. Last week, the show did not air on MSG Network in New York. If AEW did not send you taste of the markets, a problem which they attribute to last week's East Coast snowstorm. It was snowing. What can I do? The mail doesn't work then. The United States Post Office does not have a saying that says they will deliver packages even in the event of snow. What are you talking about? ECW did not produce any television show for this weekend. You said officials say it wasn't necessary since TV stations were able, unable to air the show. We're able to air the show. It was supposed to air last week. Sources close to ECW management admit the company may stop producing a syndicated show, but said the decision has not been made. It will maybe be a telling note. The wrestlers were not asked to cut promos after the pay-per-view. In recent months, post-preview shows have consisted of preview highlights and promos taped after the event. There are different ways to look at the rumor that the shut down. If Heyman is close to signing a deal with a cable television network or selling the company to someone who has a cable deal in the works, the syndicated show wouldn't be necessary. There's also a possibility that Heyman can't afford to produce television. In addition to production costs, he should pay some networks, MSG for example, to broadcast a syndicated show. It is possible this is a setup for the company that eventually closes its doors. However, there were no indications given to pay-per-view, on-camera or off, that the company is close to shutting down. In fact, there's even more of an emphasis placed on developing future matches than usual. Okay. Now, going back a little bit, MS non-payment? As we saw from the bankruptcy, they hadn't paid MSG in like a year. Mm-hmm. So how is non-payment suddenly an issue? <laughs> it's a spin cycle, Bix. It's going round and round and round, you know? Wait, I'm going back. Which side said it was non-payment? Uh, okay, wait. the network saying the show had been pulled because ECW didn't end in payment. That doesn't sound like it makes sense because they hadn't paid them in a year. What changed? I don't this know. This of all weeks, given that the, he's not making a show anymore? That's bullshit. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> what do you expect? Yeah. I, Truth? Well, let's get one of the, now. Let's get into one of the biggest loads of bullshit in wrestling newsletter history. A handful of people wearing Fox Sports Network clothing were spotted backstage at a pay per view. As reported in recent issues, Fox Sports and FX are rumored to offer ECW a television contract in recent weeks. There are also rumors that Fox may be interested in buying ECW. Several wrestlers said they saw the people from Fox, but were not formally introduced to them by anyone from management. The wrestlers say they also noticed Fox Sports stickers on some of the video equipment that was used at the show. And Charlie, put these stickers on the video equipment. We need to increase morale. <laughs> I mean, this is a complete. I mean, this load is very obviously. If it happened, this is just Paul giving people stickers and jackets, right? Yes. I mean, uh... why would Fox suddenly be producing the what? And then, if, if I'm the wrestlers, and no, if I know this is all fake bullshit, 
Why would I also want to work for this promotion? I mean, good God. That's a huge fucking lie. I buy that this happened. I don't buy that there was anything legitimate to it. <sighs> of course not. They would have been on Fox. A handful of people wearing Fox Sports Network clothing. Oh, yes, because that's what the executives would be doing. They'd be visiting in their Fox Sportsnet satin jackets. <laughs> the funny thing is, New York, I mean, New York didn't have a Fox Sports affiliate. There's no Fox Sports New York yet at this point? No. When did that start? I mean, MSG was the New York Sports Network. No, 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 no. Sports Channel New York became Fox Sports New York. When? I'm looking now. Well, okay, wait. To find it, I think it's MSG Plus now. So I have to search for MSG Plus or whatever it is. Or it's MSG Sportsnet now, I guess. Okay. Okay. This has changed so many times. Okay. Previously. Okay. Cablevision Sports 3 from 76 to 79. Sports Channel New York from 79 to 98. Fox Sports New York. 98 to 99, Fox Sports Net New York, 99 to 04, FSN New York, 04 to 08, MSG Plus, 08 to 2022, and then with them using MSG Plus for the online service, they changed it to MSG Sports Net last year. Okay, well, I just completely forgot about them having a Fox Sports, Fox Sports Net. Yeah. Well, it was confusing, because, like, you have a dish, like, after a certain point, like, MSG and MSG Plus were part of the Fox Sportsnet thing, but there was no Fox Sportsnet branding once they changed it in... Uh, that's that's oh, what I'm saying. Yeah. I just don't remember it. Yeah. <sighs> but I mean, mainly, I mean, I'll tell you why I don't remember it. Yes Network was what maybe maybe don't remember it, because Yes Network started up in 2002. Well, yeah, that's the thing. We started to have more regional sports networks in New York, too. Besides the ones owned by Cablevision. Anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading about it now, yeah. I just totally, totally forgot about that. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember Michigan, yes. I remember Sports Town in New York when I first got the dish. I just forgot it became a Fox affiliate. I mean, most oh, of well. the Sports Channel affiliates did. Yeah, no, I just forgot when you got New York. Well, All we right. got one item but, left. What, what, what a crock of shit, though, this was. Good God. All right. Last thing, the wrestlers were presented with paychecks at a pay-per-view. Wrestlers working under small pay and deals were given checks covering two weeks of schedule, leaving them now six weeks behind in pay. Meanwhile, wrestlers on the contrary were on a bi-weekly salary, only given checks covering a week's pay, leaving them seven weeks behind on pay. Great. <sighs> Almost two months. <sighs> yeah. Brainwashed. Yep, pretty much. But that reminds me, by the way. Did you see the thing that uh, our dear friend Charles posted on Twitter the other day? Saying that people look at it like... Uh, with Vince gone, Triple H is now in full control of WWE. When the way they should be looking at it is now that there's only one person left 
for Paul Heyman to be able to get forced out so he can take over WWE. <laughs> well, Paul's got a lot of power, believe me. He's got oh, a lot Paul's, of power. But yes, Heyman, Heyman does these days. Yes. Oh, yes. And now let's go to World Championship Wrestling. Yes. Although we've heard similar talk probably one week every month for the past several months, Jerome believes the announcement of WWE sale could come before you read this early next week. Now, the papers haven't been signed already. They will be making it official before you read this. Most people feel very close situation. Most people very close situation feel are in the impression the deal was finalized over the past few days. The main company backing Bischoff hasn't been speculated on correctly anywhere. Its identity will probably be made public when the sales made public and appears to be purchased to be being purchased with the idea of most likely doing an IPO as it is with a company that specializes in taking existing media entities and going public with them. And real quick, our <sighs> week plus here ends the day before the Fusion press conference. Yes, which we cover on the Patreon show. And um, let's see, uh, b- 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 between the sheets. Yeah, we did do the actual week once, I think. Yeah, no, we didn't. Oh, we didn't. So, no. yes, the sale of WCW then on Patreon. On patreon.com slash twin sheets. Uh, going to the tour to talk within WCW is an announcement of a sale of WCW will be made this week or next. Although details are fuzzy, the investor group really includes John LaSalle, the founder of Classic Sports Network, who's been involved in IPOs for media companies in the past. He has connections to high power financiers out of Boston who brought him to the picture mid December. The December 16th Torch cover story reported that Brad Siegel was facilitating efforts to get Bischoff more funding, and LaSalle was a person at the time who was being sought out. LaSalle was not in the picture as of early December when Bischoff's friends were saying that they were told the deal was 99% done. All indications are that Bischoff had a deal to purchase W7 on the table in December, but didn't have necessary backing to complete the deal. Will the TriStar or Mandalay Bay have anything to do with the final purchase deal for W7 is unknown, although all sources indicate they were involved before LaSalle and in the picture. Sources say LaSalle became interested in WCW when he read up on the WSIPO and saw great potential in owning and then building WCW toward a similar move. The attitude in WCW and Russell's and office staff is wait and see. Nobody's assuming anything good or bad regarding the sales since there's been talk of it being imminent and inevitable for so long. <clears throat> Friends of Eric Bischoff are expecting him to show up at the next week's TV events and begin putting a stamp on the direction of WCW. It's an exciting time for WCW, but everyone's a bit nervous. Other than those who are tied with Bischoff and believe the return means security for them. That said, until Bischoff's announced his official part of the new purchasers, nobody's making 100% on, on anything. Me and WCW wrestlers stayed at the hotel bar in Minnesota until the early morning hours, well to Minnesota's 1 a.m. legal closing time after Nitro. The atmosphere was said to be somber because most of the wrestlers believe Bischoff's about to take over the company, which leaves a lot of wrestlers' futures in question. The younger wrestlers said to be afraid of Bischoff taking over because of his track record using older wrestlers. The overwhelming majority of those in the bar don't think Bischoff is capable of turning the company around. Meanwhile, sources say that Kevin Nash doesn't fear for his job. He is concerned the Hulk Hogan will return and take power, though. As we continue, consistent with previous torch reports, according to friends of Bischoff this week, if his group does buy the company, he will only hold one pay-per-view and four TV tapings per month during his first few months in charge. There's also talk he may attempt to tape more than one week of television at a time, which would decrease the number of tapings. The plus for the rest is that it would lead to an even higher, work, lighter work schedule for them. However, it will cripple those working on per-night or incentive-based deals. Which, that's the younger wrestlers. So you can kind of understand, you know, the trepidation the young wrestlers have 
and the feeling of optimism that the older wrestlers would have in this. Yes. You know? You know? Yeah, although I'm not convinced that... I mean, if they're working more than once on a t- taping, do we know what they would have... Would they have been paid as if they only worked once, or... I doubt it. <laughs> Who knows? <clears throat> And for more on all this, patreon.com slash 20 sheets. The dubbing situation is also something that's been very much talked about. TNT was going to switch its focus as a station, and this decision was made many months back. And during the time the plan was always at some point, which will be about a year from now, that Nitro moved to TBS. However, the company divesting itself of wrestling and wrestling's decline both in ratings and as a priority to market, there's significant talk of when TNT drops wrestling, which may come a lot sooner, that TBS won't pick up the show and Turner Networks only broadcast one wrestling show per week. At that point, the day becomes important because TBS has lost its sports commitments, which even though lower rated would take priority over wrestling because they still saw ads at a better rate and because they're simply seen as more important, ratings be damned. Like in the old days, the George Chancellor Wrestling on Saturdays, the time slots may be shifted around during baseball season, and we've seen what shifted around time slots due to momentum. Wednesday night may be safe because I believe Dave different broadcast baseball or basketball on Wednesdays. Baseball, they didn't. That was a deal that they had with um, Sports South, where Sports South carried the Wednesday games. So TBS didn't do Wednesday games. Um, basketball wasn't on Wednesdays normally, so either that was not their night. So there you go. Nitro is being preempted on January twenty second for the movie two thousand and one, and will air at eight p.m. on the twenty third. At least they got the word out two weeks ahead of time about the time slot change. But this shows just how little TNT cares about the show with so many preemptions. And this makes twice for 20-year-old movies. <clears throat> yes. This isn't you know, some event. This is for movies that are 20-plus years old. This isn't Robin Hood. This isn't some other stuff that, that Nitro got preempted for in recent years. I mean, this should have been a sign months in advance that they were going to want to get rid of TV shows. <clears throat> yes. Even uh, granted, at this point, we have the idea that they're going to just go all to TBS instead of TNT. So you have that excuse, but still, I feel like this should have been a little more obvious. Yeah. Not good. Not good. All right. As we continue here, let's go to Thunder on January the 3rd. Started backstage. Team Canada walked to the parking lot to see the bus that Mike Awesome had painted in Canadian colors. Oh, yes. His old fat chick thriller bus is now Team Canada's bus. Well, no, it was the That 70s Guy bus. That 70s Guy. That thriller, that 70s Guy, whatever. They're all the same. Remember, he has two two gimmicks concurrently, <laughs> but the one that impacts like his aesthetics is generally That 70s Guy. Yes. They're all the same. Um, opening montage air, Ric Flair walked to the ring for a promo and had a preview. Flair promised that a mystery man is a big-time player. Flair announced he suspended his costume two weeks back on December 20th. He said it's time to be able to turn to Nitro. That big-time player would be Road Warrior Animo. Yes. <clears throat> yes, the masked man. Jeff Who was played out. by Rick Steiner <laughs> at all the TVs, but... Yes. Jeff Jarrett walked out and threatened to attack Flair if he didn't reveal the identity of Mr. Man. Flair ordered Jarrett to defend his favorite main event, sliding against Sid Vicious later in the show. 
Sid ran out, cut a brief promo, scaring Jarrett and running backstage. Backstage, Ric Flair accused Mike Sanders of tinkering with the travel plans of the insiders, forcing them to miss the show. After Flair walked away, Sanders confirmed Flair's accusation by admitting it to the other natural-born thrillers. Where did they tape this, by the way? FedEx Forum? Or Mid-South College? Uh, let me see here. Yeah, because I didn't put that down. Uh, um, let's see here. As I scroll down. Uh, Mid-South Coliseum. Okay. And... Boy, uh, this is a tiny crowd. <laughs> yes, it is. And look at the way everything's lit. This is why you yes. can't say AEW, even in, at its worst drawing lately, is like the dying days of WCW, because none of the AEW shows have looked like this. Well, they also are very careful how they shoot the side of the building that has no fans too. Well, so. I was about to say though, WCW I don't think ever did the thing where they didn't put fans on the hard cam side. Yeah. I don't know when that started. <laughs> when did that start? Because I want to say, I feel like TNA was the first one to do that, like regularly, right? Yeah. And then I think WWE picked up on it after. Backstage, Gene interviewed Crowbar and Daphne. Then we got Shane Helms beating Jamie Noble. Afterwards, Chavo Guerrero Jr. ran in and attacked Shane Holmes. Backstage, Elis Skipper and Mike Awesome attacked Conan. Also backstage, Gene Oakland interviewed the cat, Miss Jones. Also backstage, you know the trend? Uh, the Jarrett, uh, the Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett found the Harris boys beat up in a locker room and a mirror room had Sid written on it in soap. Who is booking at this point since it's not the Bischoff regime yet? <laughs> Kevin Sullivan, Terry Taylor? Mainly? No, it's um, Ferrara and Ferrara and Bill Banks. Entirely though, or I think they're the main people. I feel like one of the old school wrestling people's in the mix, at least. Terry Taylor probably. Solomon's not here. Well, Terry Taylor is the one that would mesh best with the Russo types. So yeah, Solomon's not here. Solomon's completely at home by this point. Okay. Yeah. So yes, that's right. So Sullivan never came back after Russo came back. Exactly, yes. Chuck Palumbo, Sean O'Hare, beat Corporal Cajun and Sergeant AWOL uh, when Sean O'Hare pinned Cajun. Afterwards, Shane Douglas ran out and attacked General Rexon with a chair. Chavo ran in and cleared the ring. Backstage, Oakland interviewed Douglas. In the parking lot, Jim Duggan beat up the skipper. Backstage, Oakland interviewed Tolly Buff, Lex Luger and Buff Bagwell's team. Ming beat Crowbar on a chair on a pole match. A backstage shot here to Flair shaking hands with Tolly Buff. Goldberg beat Mark Jindrak with a jackhammer. Backstage, Oakland interviewed Jarrett. Backstage, Bagwell gave a lot of money to Chronic. Well, this doesn't sound like an exciting show. The Cat beat Reno with the Feliner. Mike Austin beat Jim Duggan with a top rope splash. Afterwards, the Filthy Animals ran out and cleared Team Canada from the ring. The animals brought the shot of Mike Austin's bus appear on the big screen. The shot revealed the animals had spray painted the bus. Oh, no. In the, in the parking lot, Team Canada decided to wrestle the animals instead of calling the police. Because it's wrestling. The SARS, we bought Bagwell by DQ when Lex Luger interfered. Backstage, Cronin prevented Goldberg from interfering by placing him inside of a dumpster and disposing of the dumpster outside the building. Backstage, SARS told the MTs his arm was broken. In the parking lot, the insiders emerged from the Thriller's limo and attacked them. 
Then Sid Vicious fought Jeff Jarrett in an apparent no to contest. Late in the match, the master mystery man ran out and attacked Sid. The mystery man removed his mask and revealed himself to be Scott Steiner. But he's not supposed to be the real mystery man. No. Jason Powell's thoughts on Nitra on Thunder? As uniquely ugly as the mystery man's outfit is, how in the world would Scott Steiner be able to find a duplicate? <laughs> So there is Thunder, everyone. How would you compare this one to uh, the Devil storyline in AEW? At least it's not... I mean... (sighs) AEW's a promotion that's got... up That, you know... It's supposed to have upward momentum, kind of, sort of, and supposed to be on the rise, and WCW, we know, is not that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, They both sucked. (laughs) In different ways, though. I mean, I don't. I, I mean, listen. Let's think about this. The masked devil was seen walking around numerous times unassisted. on television, unassisted. You know, walking willy nilly while Adam Cole can't, can't walk. And Adam Cole, as far as we can tell, is still legit injured and ways away from coming back. And if Adam Cole wanted to screw Max, he could have screwed him months earlier when he had the chance numerous times to screw. Well, him. especially at full gear because he could have thrown in the towel when he was teasing it. Exactly. Like, I do get, and I'm sure they're going to talk about this, that part of the storyline is that he was trying to kind of be cute about it and screw Max, but Max kept getting lucky in that match with Jay White. I do get that part. But he, he literally had the towel, and they tease doing a, you know, a callback to the Cody thing. So And their fucking tag matches and stuff, they, had, they teased him turning on him numerous times. He never did it. Uh, I don't know. What a yeah, what exactly. an outfit the masked man has, by the way. Oh, yes. That big old coat. All right, let's go to Nitro. Nitro on January 8th in St. Paul was no less sad than it's been. We're Dave now on this one. But at least there was some good wrestling. Flair opened the show, kissing up to the Minnesota fans, saying how they'll own New York. And what? I don't know. Yeah, oh, it must be football. Football, yeah, football, football, football. Football. The Vikings play, was playing the Giants in the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken, that year. Let me check and see. I'm pretty sure. I think that was the NFC Championship game. Let me see. Uh, Minnesota Vikings. As I scroll down. Yeah. January the 14th. They went and got beat 41 to nothing. So there who, you go. Who? Which team? The Vikings. Yeah, that Giants kicked the shit out of them. And the Giants went on to lose Super Bowl after that. But that's another story. Uh, he did proclaim that Dosia was the greatest wrestling company in the world. By this point, the fans in New York must have thought he was out of his mind. <laughs> Which Dave, I don't think Dave understood what he, what he meant, but okay. Jarrett and Steiner came out, Flair ordered them to wrestle each other, and if they didn't go at it their hardest, he'd suspend both of them and strip Steiner of the title. He showed close to Jarrett hitting Steiner with a guitar starcade and Jarrett lying to Steiner about a tournament. In the best match on the show, Chavo Jr. pinched Shannon Moore to keep the Cruiserweight title. Aside from one messed up spot, it was a really good match. Mike Sanders beat a Kiwi and Vito saved him. They are portraying Kiwi as this helpless pussy that everyone picks on. Vito told him he'd teach him karate. Oh, boy. Uh, real quick, by the way, just because I don't want to gloss over it too much, and because also this shows it was starting before the Bischoff-Johnny-Ace-whatever regime. It's already started, I guess, around the, like, December and really the post-Russo period 
basically whenever it was the travel got the title. I forget exactly when it was. I think we do talk about sometimes and others about how the last few months of WCW are better than you would think, especially the pay-per-views, which are actively good. But the one thing that actually I think they really deserve credit for, the different creative teams at the time, they absolutely rebuilt the Cruiserweight division. Yes. There was a lot of good wrestling in Nitro. I mean, on on WCW television. Yes. But there was a lot of shitty television. That was the problem. Yes. But, you know, granted, the roster had been pared down a lot. But because of that, it was also very focused that you had a cruiserweight division where you had, like, a clear set of contenders and a hierarchy. And and it clicked. And they added the cruiserweight tag titles. And that was going to be a thing. And... My point being, there was there was some hope even before the sale story, but anyway. Yeah. All right. Uh, Ron Harris pinned the cat. This is what I mean by WCW portraying this babyface in a way that nobody could possibly liked him. I mean, Cat's terrible in the ring, but he is pretty funny. Cat said he's no dummy. That as bad as he is, he can't take two guys of that size and didn't want to fight them. So what happens next? He starts fighting them. And they beat the hell out of him. Who wants to cheer for an idiot? He about well got lost on his way to the building. Finish saw Miss Jones distract the referee. Why, I have no idea. Allowing the twins to do the H-bomb on the cat. And Ron pinned him. Terrible, but at least it was short. Can, can I just say, by the way, that we don't talk enough about how insane it was that they were like, yeah, let's... I get that it has a different meaning in the real world, but still... The idea that they had a move called the H-bomb for, like, a year when the significance in wrestling is to drugging people's drinks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, we got to play this, Bix. Yeah. Next, we get Gene Oakland interviewing the Natural Born Thrillers. Okay. Dave says... <laughs> They did a skit that reminded him of watching a grade school play. So we gotta watch we gotta watch that. Wait, does this start with this Ernest Miller thing or go keep going. Okay, so oh wait, I started going back. Wait, it's after uh, Jared Steiner. Oh, okay. That's what I was trying to figure out. How just how many weeks in a row did Jared wear that bright yellow uh not bright yellow, bright orange shirt? He's like he a, a should have been in prison. All right, here we go. God, I gotta come up with something. Uh, Commissioner Mike Sanders, or should I say, soon to be former Commissioner Sanders. He's very well dressed here. Yes, he looks like a like a yes. What was that? Almost a pea coat. But um, we got what, fashion on all these guys is something else here. Yeah. All right, so we got Sean O'Hare. He's wearing a Punisher shirt with a Punisher skull cap. Sean Stasiak is wearing some type of insane, insane uh, button-up shirt, which is unbuttoned. Yeah, and it's like Mark Gendrak, print, like with flames and stuff. Yeah, it's very colorful. Mark Gendrak is wearing a North Carolina jersey and shorts, to my heart. Chuck Palumbo is wearing some type of white collared shirt and jeans. Reno is wearing a uh, funky little collared shirt and jeans. And Mike Sanders looks like... It should be uh, in a commercial for Old Spice. Yes. I forgot, where, where are we in the uh, accidental sister fucker storyline at this point? Uh, 
who knows? Okay. But anyway, let's go to the thrillers. Uh, we've talked about it on enough shows. I'm not getting into the Reno shit again. I'm certain you heard the comments earlier on from the cat. He says there's no way you're going to stop him before this Sunday at sin. Let me tell you something, Gene Mean. The cat will be lucky if he makes it at sin, but that's not really why I'm here. Look, I'm particularly upset that just a little while ago I was jumped by Kiwi and Big Vito. I don't like that. I run a tight ship and I try to keep things fair. So what I've done is I've booked a little match tonight. I've booked a little Minnesota Massacre. Minnesota Massacre? Minnesota Massacre. Now, what's going to happen is, is Big Vito and Kiwi are going to go up against some randomly selected opponents. Now, what I have in this envelope right here are the randomly selected opponents, okay? Now, I'm glad you guys brought your gear tonight because you guys could be the randomly, randomly selected opponents. I know. Exactly. You got it. <laughs> could, now, let me, could, be. could be. Let me tell you something, Mean Gene. Anybody interfering in this match tonight is going to be subject to fines, penalties, anything. Anything I can come up with, I'm throwing the book at them, okay? So I want to take this opportunity to wish Kiwi, Big Vito, and my randomly selected, selected opponents, opponents best of luck. Yeah. Sounds to me, about Sanders, like you are abusing your commissioner's powers. And I, for one, hope that CEO Rick Flair is watching. Gene, one more thing. What's that? Hey, don't worry about it. Oh, <laughs> Mike Sanders is a dude that... You watch him, and you think, okay, this guy's got a future in his business. Yeah, he's good here. As a personality. And then it, it just well, good. never happened. It just never happened, because WWE dying, then WWF being what they were at the time. It just didn't happen for him. Yeah, and something I noticed, too, just now, yeah, I remember him being a fairly decent talker and being, you know, easily the best of that group in that regard. What I'm noticing here is his promos are much better in this non-Russo era. Yes. Like, he's actually funny. I tell you one thing that did not... One thing that did not like about him here, I know, is that southern accent. He's very southern here. Yes, he is. Well, surprising that Russo was so gaga for him. Well, I guess Russo just liked, to, liked his personality. Well, um, Russo did also like the app. So. Yeah. Kevin Finn last storm in a good match with the Kid Crusher. Buffy Animals and Team Canada were all brought on at ringside. Then we get Vicious over Shane Douglas at their choke slam. Not as bad as you think. Then again, that's like saying you woke up before you hit the bottom. That's falling off a cliff in your nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> uh, Steiner and Jared attack Sid afterwards. Terry Funk interview with Crowbar. Terry Funk challenge Goldberg. Scott Steiner DP is, and Scott Steiner DP is a way to build up Funk as a true champion. The announcer that he was out of his mind. He didn't think of himself at that level. Funk then claimed he started ECW and was a god of hardcore. Crowbar confronted him. Crowbar can talk, which means I've been into him getting a lot of interview time. Daphne was out like a total goof while Funk and Crowbar were doing good might work until he killed the segment. 
Ming showed up, put Terry Funk in a tongue and death grip, then punched through a chair and put Crowbar in as well. Ah, oh, yes, the forgotten Terry Funk run of 2001 here. I forget, he, did he been in the company continuously for a year, or did he leave and come back? He was off TV for a long time, and then he comes, comes back. Okay. Yeah. I gotta say, until we did started doing this episode, I, I, I had completely forgotten that Team Canada was still a thing by 01. Oh, yeah. I kind of just figured they had been dissolved or something. Goldberg and uh, the Sarge beat Chronic in a terrible match. Luger and Buff attacked Sarge, taking off his cast and working on a supposed broken arm. If you're wondering why Sarge was slapping fans with his bad arm, I'm still trying to figure out how on SmackDown, Regal was driven to the Reno limo, didn't have a driver. <laughs> Goldberg, Jackhammer, and Brian Clark. Luger then hit Goldberg and Sarge with a cast, and Bagwell hit Sarge's arm with a chair. For good measure, Luger hit Adams with a cast as well. San- Sanders saw the last man standing match with the Thrillers against Vito and Kiwi, but the envelopes got switched, and Nash and DDP replaced him. Ended up with Sanders, Palumbo, and O'Hare, with Palumbo getting the cutter and O'Hare getting a firebomb and then Nash pinning him. If it was last man standing, how come DDP and Nash didn't fight? Finally, Steiner went to no contest with Jarrett in the title match. They stalled forever, both said they weren't going to wrestle. Flair came out and told Jarrett if he didn't wrestle, he'd lose his title shot on pay-per-view, which makes perfect sense, considering Jarrett didn't appear in the title shot going on right at that moment. He then told Steiner he stripped him of the title. Jarrett went after Medasia, and it was on. They were having a decent match, but Sid ran out to attack everyone. Mission Man made the save. Fans were barking, knowing it was Rick Steiner. We looked absolutely horrid in the suit, doing that obvious Rick Steiner punching, and even worse, no selling. The big surprise is that he wasn't revealed on Nitro Thunder. Yeah, Rick Steiner's one of those guys that's hard to hide him. You know? <laughs> he is a very uh, obvious guy. I mean, that was the joke with Mr. Payne, wasn't it? Well, that was a total joke anyway. I know. And, oh, yeah, so, but, uh, okay, I just, yeah, I just queued it up. <laughs> so we got Sid doing his thing, outruns the uh, the goddamn mystery man, as uh, Brian Alvarez referred to The doll-faced mass man, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, he's doing the Rick Steiner punches and kicks. <laughs> it is very obviously Rick Steiner. <laughs> he's even just like when when Jared kind of almost starts fighting back. He's even no selling like Rick Steiner. He really is amazing. Also, they're uh, acting like he's a babyface at this point, but he's not yeah. a babyface. What a promotion! So. What a company! Well, at least they're about to get sold to the new owners. Wink, <laughs> wink. They taped under afterwards. Palumbo and Harry beat Vito and Kiwi. Reno hit the ring and took out Johnny, the Bull, and Vito, leaving Kiwi to be doubled up on and pinned by O'Hare. Storm and Skipper beat Kim and Ray and what said have been a really good match was Storm beating Ray clean with a half crab. Rex and Nash and DDP beat Douglas, Jindrak, and Stasiak. Cronin went to a no contest with Luger and Bagwell when Goldberg came in and speared everyone. Said it'd be terrible. Maybe Don Harrison in a bad match, putting a death grip on both guys. <laughs> he's about to leave. Ming in the laying out some referees, the Young Dragons, Evan Well, Grace, they don't know he's about to leave. He's just under contract. Not under contract. I know, but they do it on this, and he's about to be leaving. Yeah, doing a four-star match, Starkid really ele- elevates you in this company. 
Cat and Sanders yelled at each other to build a pay-per-view. Main event was Steiner going to no contest with Sid when the Mission Man ran in. Sid and and revealed Jeff Jarrett. Ha-ha! What a swerve. Flair ended up coming out with the real Mission Man who gets held back. It's angles like this that shows the swervers aren't actually the swervees because they're swerving people so well they don't buy tickets anymore. The Morris in the business in the old days were thought to be the fans because the bookers would create fake angles and make them buy tickets. Now the marks are people who create fake angles that don't build up anything or pay off anything because they think they're still fooling the marks. They're derogatory term for people who keep the company in business. Who only want to see angles that build up something and make sense when the day is over and aren't spending money on the product because the writers haven't figured out the most basic aspect of wrestling out yet. By the way, it was only two years ago this week that when Nitro drew 38,809 fans to the Georgia Dome on a night when the wrestlers like Nash, who got the title the same night the tape of Foley went in the air, were laughing backstage, and Bischoff basically told Shivani to gloat on the air because Duff was so stupid that's to make Dow put butts in the seats. Ha ha. Foley, the world champion, because everyone knows the world champion has to be someone that women want to screw and guys think is cool. And all those years, I thought someone who knew how to work and talk in a way that would build up a program that people simply wanted to pay money to see. Also, Nash did not... Come on, that Patreon.com slash Tween the Sheets. Well, yes, coming... Uh, yes, in, in the month. Yes. Um, well, Nash didn't win the title. Hogan won the title there, but... Yeah, uh, yes. So, okay, is the implication yeah, here... Yeah, is the implication here that Nash kind of told Bischoff to tell Shivani to do that? In a way, it does, doesn't it? Or at least that he planted the seed. Yes. That's how it reads. Yeah, it does. Which is interesting, since we don't normally mm -hmm. hear that side of it. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> what a Hilarious. sentence this is, too. Even by observer stint. Very <laughs> run on isn't it? Yeah. All right, let's go to the torch. Most of WCW believe that Bishaw takes over. The company would bring back the unpopular production team of Craig Leathers and Annette Yothers. Yoder! God damn it, these newsletters <laughs> think he's teeny, related to teeny others or something. He's not. It's net Yoder. Singular. The drunk consensus in the locker room is a Booker T. Stan Vince Russo all stay at home until the company is sold. Most expect Sting and Booker to return quickly if Bischoff's part of a group that buys the company. On the other hand, no one seems to think Russo will have a job if Bischoff returns. As for a few weeks ago, WCM still, in fact, had the chance to cut Russo this month due to an unable-to-work clause in his contract kicking in. He signed a two-year contract in the fall of 1999. Now we go to Dave. Russo is attempted to come back right shortly as his contract for $500,000 per year does have a stipulation that can be canceled or at least cut back if he's out for too long due to being incapacitated and he's coming up to the time limit. It's believed about 90% sure that he won't be brought back if the company isn't sold. And if it is, unless everything has been a giant work, and I don't think the level of working is at that level, his odds of being brought in or under Bischoff are even less. Okay, who's planting the story? Because that's not true. Russo had a pay-or-play contract. Don't know. I mean, the main source for that, I think, is his book, but it's it's the kind of thing that he wouldn't be... Like, even, yes, it's Russo, but it's like, he goes into the whole thing about, like, how Ferrara... And I think maybe actually... Well, look about look, it. look at how much, though, on the Patreon shows and stuff, I mean, this is talked about every all the time in the newsletters. They, so they don't know this. They don't this know there's that type of contract. It's in, every, in all the newsletters. Well, we we talk about it on the Patreon shows. They they never know that, or even the termination cycles or lack thereof in other people's contracts. Yeah, but I think I think now that I think about it, I think Ferrar has told the story too, and Ed is 
I think we can agree generally much more overall truthful than Russo is. But the, the story goes is was that Ed, with his experience in the real entertainment world, kind of helped guide what Russo stood asked for, and that part of it was that it was a pay-or-play contract. And I mean, look, he keeps getting... Well, we don't know when he's paid through, but they also keep paying for his legal defense years after and stuff. So... What's the, regardless of who's putting it out there, what's the reason to put out a story like this if it's false, though? Yeah. And it, I mean, here's the thing, too. If there was such a clause, of course they would have cut him at this point. So the fact that it didn't happen, I think, is further proof that he didn't have a contract that would have allowed this. Yeah. Now, speaking of former wrestling media who works for WCW or worked for WCW at this time. The more man firing has gotten even stranger. It's not believed the unauthorized interview he was told about and didn't know what it was written, what it was when he was fired, was in fact the Mike Mooneyham interview talked about in last week's Observer. For the course now, the article by Mooneyham were not from an interview, but from Man's WCW Heartline report, which would not, not only be authorized, but be something that WCW and its deal with Madden is supposed to review ahead of time for co- any content problems. Madden is said to be working on a book about life in WCW. So that didn't happen. It would be a very WCW thing, though, for firing someone for giving an unauthorized interview just because they couldn't read a citation properly. Yeah. There's a lot of talk that Rick Steiner will not turn out to be his brother's mystery opponent at the pay-per-view. A pair of sources say the Steiner brothers don't want to wrestle each other because they've already done a feud against each other. At Nitro, head writer FRR told the people that Rick will not be the mystery person. There's a chance that Dustin Rhodes could be Braun's mystery man, despite not sharing the same body type as those who have played in the Mass Man on television. Rhodes was backstage at Starcade, but was not used. On the other hand, Tank Abbott's still on the contract, and does have a similar body to those who have played the mystery man. Okay, so there you go. Head writer and Ferrara. See? Yeah. And it was Animal. Yes. Le- Staying with the tours. Lenny Lane was backstage not sure to sweet visiting friends, checking out possible employment opportunities. He told friends that his day of trial didn't go well because they told him he looked too much like Chris Jericho. When Lane offered to change his look, the officials told him not to because they kind of like his look. <laughs> Sounds like Lane is getting the run around. Jerry Lynn was backstage at Nitro and told friends he used to win here back from WF. Barry Darso was backstage at Nitro. Former AWA and AWF announcer Mick Karch was also backstage at Nitro and made a brief appearance on WCW Live. It's like one big old torch party backstage at Nitro, isn't it? Yeah. WCW Live featuring Jeremy Porash. <laughs> That's right. Staying with the torch, executive Aaron Blitzstein still with the company, never sees most of the day-to-day operations of WCW headquarters. Sources said that Blitzstein, who was rumored to be on his way out of WCW, has decided to remain with the company and hope that his contract will be bought out once the company is sold. The rumors in office is that WCW VP Diana Myers may not be able to quit the company this month, as she initially wanted to do. As previous reporter, Myers has been telling friends for months she planned to quit the company this month once she was contractually able to cash in her stock options. Unfortunately for Myers, Time Warner stock isn't much higher than when she first joined the company. Friends say she still made usually the company to join her husband, who took a job in Florida several months ago. Now, co-workers still laugh how uninformed Myers is to the wrestling business. One source came at the time, Myers told him she wasn't worried that Chris Jericho just jumped to WF because WCW just hired someone she considered to be ten times better than Jericho. That person turned out to be Shane Douglas. 
Another office room is a former WCW VP Nick Lampros, who left WCW many several months ago for a job at Turner Sports, remained on the company's payroll until December 31, 2000. Office workers are insured as to whether the company was contractually obligated to pay Lampros or chose to reward him by keeping him in the contract for so long. Even though he got moved to another Turner Sports company? That'd be shabby, everybody. You know what's striking about this? And it kind of... It, 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 I feel like it's almost kind of relevant to the stuff with Myers on the racial discrimination lawsuit shows. It's like, it seems like they gave her way more to do than the lawyer, like the main company lawyer should have been doing. Like, why are you even like, what? It seems like they, the context of the Douglas thing almost make it seem like she had like influence on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I still can't believe just how far, like, into, like, the racist bullshit she was, you know? You know, like, we, you know, we've told the story a million times about the the letter about the, fi- have we fi- fired all the Mexicans yet, or whatever. I, that's not exactly what she said, but close enough. <laughs> but, he's <clears throat> untight. But also, like, basically doing an Elmer Fudd, like, walking around the office like crouched down and saying that she's trying to avoid uh she was referring to Sonny Ono but she used a racial slur that rhymed with cook <laughs> yeah you forgot about that one since you did that to, didn't you? that's an old school uh, racial slur right there <laughs> yeah. oh my very, goodness very quiet Oh my goodness! I'm, I'm... <laughs> I just realized oh. Russo, Russo has some Elmer Fudd in his weird fake voice. Be very, very quiet. I'm hunting the wrestling business. <laughs> China. Ah, uh, in another one of those mind-boggling deals. Oh boy. On the international version of Nitro from last week, which didn't air in the U.S. on New Year's Day because the show was preempted, which was a year-in-review show, among the things aired was a match with Sid Vicious versus Scott Hall. Imagine the idea of telling everyone they couldn't mention Scott Hall, and they aired clips of him themselves on both Thunder and Nitro. Since Cam, this primary international market for the show, was even funnier that there were no clips or mention of Lance Storm on the year-in-review show. That'd be okay. sad, everybody. So, wait. So... The year in review show that aired year was aired on it aired on Christmas. It didn't air in the U.S. It's Nitro. But there was a year in review show of Nitro. But it didn't air in the United States. Yes, it did. Makes it said which it, it didn't air in the United States on New Year's Day because the show was preempted. They just said that. But there was a but there was a year in review that aired that year in the U.S. I'm fairly sure. I'm just read what Dave said, Bix, and this is in real time. <laughs> okay. I mean, it may have been something because there was no Nitro that aired on the twenty the twenty fifth. Because if you look at the results, it goes from December eighteenth to January the eighth. Okay, I might be confusing it with one of the other clip shows they did. I mean, if if it aired, I mean. Like I said, nobody has it, so... 
and there is there and is a, actually wait no never mind i was thinking chris there is a no i just saw it wait a second yeah when i was pulling up the stuff for the clips on the network the christmas nitro or was it christmas or new year no there was a new year's nitro that that had showed them like in a studio as the thumbnail it's in there in the united states okay but you, I'm, you just, I'm just saying from people's stuff, and at least it is on the network, though it has been for years. Yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah, it's a Tony and Tanae in the thumbnail. And Tanae, of course, Pam- is making a Tanae like thinking face. Pamela Paul saw his latest firing and attempted to scale back costs. Seems pretty obvious, and Bischoff wants to eliminate most of the women. And really, there are a few who would argue that things wouldn't be better off if they just kept a few and tried to make them something. Of course, some of the most marketable was Tori Wilson, but since she had the highest salary, she was the first one out. Mm-hmm. At one point, it appeared that Bill Banks would be leaving before Christmas, but the company allowed him to move back to Connecticut because of the family situation. Banks, among other things, scripts the interviews. There's a lot of notice that even though Banks works very hard because the interviews are scripted, the interviews now come across more as bad acting than as pro wrestling interviews. With the exception of people like Shane Douglas or Arn Anderson. <laughs> there's some question whether scripted interviews where guys try to memorize lines or interviews where they're given basic points are better. Although a lot of WCW talent at this point also wouldn't be delivering good interviews with either system. So wait a second. If Bill Banks moved back to Connecticut at the start of the year, what's the deal with the story of him writing the great American novel on his work computer in Atlanta and then being locked out of it because they wouldn't let everyone in their off in the office on the last day when they got laid off. Mm. Did he just leave it sitting there for months and then came back in for the last day or for the meeting where everyone got laid off? Famous movie critic Roger Ebert listed Raid the Rumble as one of the worst movies of the year 2000. In hindsight, made the movie even worse than that. Than that Ebert thought that, is that they aimed the movie at what they figured was a huge audience of wrestling fans, and then made a movie that insulted anyone who was a wrestling fan. <laughs> well, it's the wrestling way. And, but that's always been the biggest problem with the, that movie, and it's interesting to see that Ebert picked up on it. But it's also what wrestling does. Wrestling hates wrestling fans. Well, has for many years, decades. Maybe not as much now. Hmm. Well, I mean, the two major companies now are run by people who are more fanish. Yes. Yes. The first show of the year was January 7th in La Crosse, Wisconsin, which drew 1795, paying 52-465. Nitro and Thunder in St. Paul for the first wrestling show at the new XL Energy Center drew about 4,500 fans. Which is thirty one fifty three, paying ninety two to eighty. Goldberg beat Luger by DQ and Bagwell interfered with Sebastian Tag with Goldberg and Sarge over Luger and Bagwell. Mango Steiner won a three way with Jarrett and Sid to keep Tata when he pinned Jarrett. So there's your shows for the week. Yeah, and we close that with a torch. WCW's legal team may have made a mistake when it faxed out a memo prohibiting the wrestlers from working independent shows. One industry analyst points out that prohibiting workers from working outside the company is in direct violation of the company classifying the wrestlers as independent contractors. The analyst also pointed out this could come back to haunt Time Warner as the Equal Opportunity Opportun- Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EOC, is currently investigating WCW's business practices. A front office source reported that WCW recently gave the EOC the information they requested some time ago. 
The EEOC was contacted by someone involved in Sonny Ono's wrongful termination lawsuit against WCW. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. Yes, for more on this, in part because what made Sonny Ono's lawsuit different from the others, they had a lot of overlapping stuff with racial discrimination, but a big part was that Ono was misclassified as a contractor, not the same way everyone else was, because he had all the appearances of being an employee with a company credit card and all sorts of shit like that. Yeah. Um, that memo may be in the lawsuit stuff. I'm trying to remember if it's that or a different one. There, there's a memo that's in all the evidence about like appearances and getting them properly cleared. It may be that, and not, and I may be thinking of that, and it's not the same memo. But that was something that came up, though. Um, I, I, I'm curious, like, what the contracts and the specifics were because, like, there are points where people who are under full time contracts are working indie shows. I mean, God, Ed Leslie. They weren't always on the radar that we have results from them, but Ed Leslie kept a very busy indie schedule during his whole time in WCW. And there were other ones, too, that would work on random occasions on the indies as well. So, I mean, the, the weirdest is, oh, I forgot who tweeted it. There was someone who tweeted relatively <laughs> recently. They found a clip of, like, a November or December 94 Ed Leslie indie match where he's working as Brutus Beefcake, like, Weeks before he's about to headline Starcade as the Butcher. Yeah. There were other ones. I know, but there's something extra wild about being about to work. Headline Starcade against Hulk Hogan. And. I know. You, it's so not over that you're using your old WWF gimmick on indie shows at the same time. I know. It wasn't in Northeast, so. It might not have been in the Northeast. A lot of those bookings he took were... Oh, that one was? Okay. It was. Because there were a lot of bookings he took that were not in the Northeast that he would take, you know, for Jerry Gray on his sold shows and places like that. Let's go to Japan now. Japan Pro Wrestling. New Japan's 10th annual January 4th date, Tokyo Dome, Wrestling World 2001, which is now considered almost a wrestling holiday in Japan. is one of those shows that may be better to judge months from now. In short-term hindsight, there was a few points about the show, both positive and negative. The positive, besides the obvious packed house, announced that 62,001 fans. The announced number was more of a play of the year 2001. What should be taken for an exact number no. was, that, was that most of the matches were very good. The negative would be the reaction to the finishes of the final two matches. A non-finish in the Riki Choshi Shuyashimoto match, which was received horribly. And Kensuke Sasaki regaining the vacant IWGP heavyweight title by winning the tournament final pin in Toshikawara, which was received tremendously, was very much expected. It was probably the wrong finish for long-term business, because for the good of the feud, it was too late for Kawada to do a clean job to a new Japan wrestler. What was even stranger is the main event of all trans January 28th Tokyo Dome show, when Kawada challenging Tenyukuritaro for the Triple Crown was changed to Kawada and Sasaki as a tag team against Tenru Hase. Kawada, after the loss, saying he didn't feel like challenging for the Triple Crown any longer. The Kawada tournament win could have made the show a big deal as the winner would become the first man to hold both major world titles in Japanese wrestling history. It was something that had been talked about at one point and teased in the press. Though push the idea as first-time Triple Crown champion IWGP champion would be opposing each other. The match could have bossed off at some point with Kawada and Sasaki after legendary battles finally becoming a team, but it's probably too soon in the feud to be putting headliners for both companies as a team. Because it confuses the promotion versus promotion issue. 
when Kawada lost the Triple Crown Finals to Tenru, the reason was specifically because New Japan was going to be Kawada in the tournament, and All Japan then won its world champion, losing a singles match to someone from rival company, let alone in the tournament for that company's belt, because it would make the rival belt the real world title belt in Japan and kill the world title credibility of their belt. And, and really what happens here is that even though the two promotions still work together, you know, for the next year or so until the Mudo exodus, but the feud is basically done it's after dead. the show. Yeah. Well, they have the six, the five on five series or seven on seven series. I can't remember which number it was. They had that series at the uh, at Budokan. But that's not long know, after this, I don't think. June. Oh, is it that? Oh, that's right. That's right. It was. Uh, that's right. It's the the new the New Japan pay per view from that weekend of shows is all New Japan versus All Japan. May matches, yes. But other than that, the feud is kind of dead. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it it died here, basically. And even then, that show is less of, like, part of, like, an interpromotional feud and more just, like, a friendly rivalry. Kawada should have won this. Yes. I mean, it's pretty stupid that he didn't win. Pretty damn stupid. Or... They shouldn't have had the first match be non-title, and he should have just won the title there and then lost it here. He could have just done that. Yeah. Because the storyline was that he won the first match, which was non-title, and Kensuke felt that he had besmirched the uh, role of the champion and vacated the title. Yeah. So, I feel like that whole exercise is really the problem. It should have just been Kawada winning the title in the first match. And then losing it back here, if you were going to do anything like this. Yeah. But, I mean, there's so much that they squandered, though. Like, we've talked about before, like, after the pay-per-view a few weeks earlier, the match everyone wanted to see next was Kawada versus Nagata, which would have made perfect sense if Kawada won the title here. But that match never happens as singles. Nope. They have that one-off tag match with Kawada and Fuchi against Nagata and Zuka, and they pretty much never go back to it. No, nope. It's very oddly handled, this whole thing. Yes. Choshu's second match back since his retirement in 1998 had super heat. But it would have failed attempting to create the January 4th, 1998 scenario with Hashimoto and Nagawa that made their feud the hottest purpose program in Japan over the past two years. The idea was to sell the match like it was an out-of-control shoot that had to be stopped for the safety of the competitors. Well, Hashimoto and Nagawa looked like a shoot because it largely was. This match, which was from both men simply pounding the hell out of each other, didn't have that aura, and when it was stopped, the fans were furious, thinking that on the most anticipated match of the biggest show of the year, they were insulted by the promotion, not giving them a real finish. Fans were screaming for refunds at that point. Oh, that's always good. Yeah... All right, showing up with Kensuke Sasaki beating Soshi Kojima in the first round of the WGP tournament and then 63 with a Northern Lights bomb and a Boston Crab submission. Very stiff, strong opener. Kojima hit the top very early and was beating Haraway from the eye most of the way. Hiroshi Tenzai beat Yuji Nagata in 16-45 another first round match after sit-looking Tenzon Tombstone Driver and a moonsault. Julian considered, along with Kawada versus Tenzon, is one of the two best matches on the show. Nagata looked tremendous using his kicks and great mat work. He knows the result of the crowd seeing Noir live. The best review was headlined with the incredible tag match with the focus on Nagata and Kawada, and fans wanted to see them in the singles match have a finish. 
Plus, the guy that had just done a clean job for Mark Coleman a few days earlier at the Soccer Dome New Year's Eve show. Yeah, I forgot that this was bracketed this way with Nagata and Kojima in the first round and the buys for Kawada and Tono at the second round. Like, It's even worse that Nagata's in the tournament and loses in the first round. Yes. Exactly. Especially since, at this point, not take anything away from them, especially Tenzan's probably at his peak as a worker. I mean... He and Kojima really are tag team guys at this point still. Yeah. I mean, th- it does elevate him a little bit that he makes it to the second round here and has the great match with Kawada. But especially now that they're not going back to the Nagata thing, it's just so weird that this is the result. I mean, honestly, when you really think about it, I don't... I, I don't think whoever's booking chose whoever expected the tag match at the pay-per-view to be as great as it was and, you know, make Kawada Nagata a thing. Like, it, I think it was just probably supposed to be just a kind of a random one-off interpromotional match. Yeah. IWGB Junior Tag Champions, Coach Kamundo Minoru Tanaka won a non-tana match over Shinya Makabe and Tatsuya Takiwa in 1802. Makanamoto made Makabe submit to a stand ankle law. The junior heavyweights never got a good reaction in the Tokyo Dome, and this was no different. Since people were there for the heavyweight tournament, they considered this an intermission, but work in the match was very good as expected, with these four, all of whom look good. Why do you think this has changed? <sighs> is it that the Dome fan base is more hardcore? Is it different They've positioning? Changed. They've changed. Wrestling's changed. To where the junior some... heavyweights aren't looked at as inherently lesser in a way that they might have then in a way yes or at least to the casual fan i mean in tokyo dome was like is like wrestlemania was back in the day and look how different reactions were at wrestlemania to some people than other times so but yeah but yeah. it was a thing like every year and it's really it's the wrestle kingdom era where that stopped being a thing that the junior matches got no heat yeah all right, Takashi Azuka beat Kendo Kashin in 6-12 with a choke finish in the weakest match on the show. It was sold that this would be a great technical match, but nearly everyone was disappointed the match was so short with a finish coming with no build. Kensuke in the semis beat Masiro Chono in 11-28 with a power strangle. Only a so-so match due to Chono's condition. But the match had great heat since Chono's the most charismatic and New Japan's full-time wrestlers. People popped pretty big for the finish, but most were disappointed, realizing that Chono had already been eliminated from the tournament. He was over. Okay, you say. Kawana Pintenza on 10:45 after powerbomb bridging pin and was generally considered the best match on the show. Both guys beat the hell out of each other with chops and kicks. Tenzon bled hard after doing stiff headbutts. Match had great heat with fans hoping for Tenzon to score the upset that wasn't going to happen. Kawana kicked out of a Tenzon driver and diving headbutt the moonsault before coming back with two high kicks, a back suplex, two insecurities, and another high kick before the powerbomb. Isn't this also the match where the um, the Kawada Fire Pro animation with the big punch comes from? I think so. I forget where in the match the spot is, but like, there's this one spot where he just, just well, like walks over and just punches him in the face, like with a big right straight. But obviously, is that the finish? At least based on what's described here. Yeah. The interview on the screen with Anoki, who even though he wasn't there, got the biggest pop of the show. 
He told fans the world itself was changing, that pro wrestling needed to change with it, and fans shouldn't be scared to support new concepts. Oh, boy. Enochiaism. Mm-hmm. Director Uwe. Keiji Muno and Shinjiro Tani beat Yushin Thunder Liger and Manabu Nakanishi at 544. Muno now wrestling with a shaved head. Otani was built up weighing 233 pounds. He used to wrestle about 200. Although live reports indicate he didn't look much different from usual, aside from bleach blonde hair and didn't have a steroid look to him. They just gained weight. <laughs> he looked bigger, but... He was bulkier, but he wasn't... He wasn't, uh... <laughs> he didn't go on the uh, Tokyo Joe diet, so to speak. No. Match a surprising squash of Muto weakening Liger with a figure four and Otani playing powerhouse using moves like a torture act, which caused Nakanishi act mad like about his move being used on Liger. Otani even sold no no sold no Liger's comeback hitting a fast German suplex and a spider bomb while Muto had Nakanishi in an armbar. And then putting Liger out in the choke, cobra clutch and shockingly Liger Liger passed out. And actually did a stretcher job to put Otani over as something new and fresh as a threat. Yeah, and I forgot that that was the finish here, because then it becomes a thing where they, I guess at this point, Otani had not figured out that he wanted to do his modified Cobra Clutch that ends up being his hold, because the Otani Cobra Clutch, as it becomes when he uses it regularly after this, it's not supposed to be a sleeper, it's supposed to be an arm submission. Yes. So, I guess that idea had not come yet, but by the time... He has the pay-per-view main event with Kensuke for the title the next month. It is a uh, arm submission. Yes. Hashimoto and Choshu went to a non-decision in 15-20. Both guys pounded the hell out of each other with a ton of heat. Hashimoto came to the ring with Tadalya Suda and Prize Alexander Otsuka and wore gloves like it was a shoot fight. Prize Alexander Otsuka. <laughs> well, at that time, he, I mean, that's what he's most famous for. He had, he had some Pride fights 2000 and... Yeah, that's what, I mean... He had beaten uh, King of the Streets, Marco Huas, yes. They exchanged punches and kicks with Choshu now 49 hitting mini lariats and Hashimoto hitting stiff kicks. Choshu hit the ref first, then Hashimoto hit the ref. This brought up Masaho Tori, the second referee. After taking a pounding, Hashimoto went outside the ring, took off his gloves, and they exchanged punches and chops. The idea is this match was supposed to be like a shoot, but fans of the difference in the lariats are great in pro wrestling, and Choshu's lariats super over. But when Ref Otori, who was a referee from Ogawa Hashimoto's famous 98 match, and this is getting out of control and match stopping for no reason, has historical precedence with Antonio Noki, Roland Bach in the 70s, and Maeda and Andre in the 80s, both of which look Jimmy out of hand as opposed to being scripted look as such, went to Tazumi Fujinami, who was at ringside doing color, asked if the match should be stopped, and Fujinami agreed. The place went nuts. Not the right kind of heat with chance of refund, money, and the like. Shiroko Shinaka and Jinja right at the ring, and Fujinami announced that they had to start the match for the safety of both men, but the crowd simply didn't buy it. Yes. Um, this is one of those times that we would see in wrestling where you try to do something that was successful in the past because it was organic or whatever, and you try to recreate it, and it didn't work. Even these two guys. Yes. And the real-life issues that were going on. Yes. So... I mean, it was two years to the day that Choshu, at least as the public version of the story is, ordered uh, Okawa to shoot on Hashimoto. So, yeah. Kensuke Sakimitoshi, Kawada, 10-36, win the vacant IWGP title. Match is short. 
we've had a variety of different opinions on it, but most of it was very good. When more wrestling in their first match, although not the same level of heat. So I can keep out of Kawada's insecurity back, suplex powerbomb. So I made a comeback with hilariously into a normal lights bomb for the pin, which got an incredible pop, with Sasaki practically crying in the ring when it was over. For all the negativity talk about the Tokyo Dome show, watching the TV show aired later that night, it was an awesome show. And if not for Choshi Hashimoto's finish, probably would be a strong candidate for best show of the year. That finish was terrible, and it's unfortunate because it ruined what up to that point had been an excellent match. So like Kawada was here, but it's good and maybe better than their previous match. Kawada based on his two dome matches and his match on last reviews to the man in this business, bell to bell, even more than Benoit. You could say the wrong guy won, and I agree with that viewpoint, but it was the right guy for the moment because he got the gigantic pop, and it was the hometown guy winning the title at that WrestleMania. Just for long-term business, Kawada should have won. And real quick, too, like, A, yes, Kawada's the best wrestler in the world, but the thing that really cements it and, you know, became a talking point during all the Lance Storm stuff coming out of this, you know, period. And it's a shame that it didn't keep going because the feud fizzles out. Kawada was, like, when he's in New Japan, he's basically working New Japan-style matches. Yes. He's working a completely different style than he's used to, and he still looks like the best wrestler in the world doing it. Because at, th- at yeah. this point, those are two very different main event styles, all Japan and New Japan. You know, now the current New Japan main event style is kind of a hybrid of the two. Maybe with some junior heavyweight type stuff thrown in. You know, then they were very different, and I wish we could have seen more of New Japan style Kawada. Yeah. The TV show was at IWGB Tournament, and Cho Shashimoto won the final two matches in their entirety. Sasaki beat Kojima with two layers, and a lights bomb Boston Crash submission. The only air clips would look really good. For all Natsu Kensuke, he comes across very tough, and the loss to Kawada seemed to give him star power that only Mudo, Cho no Hashimoto had. T- had. Tens up in Nagata. As a Tenzan driver, same as Rikishi driver, he used to do as a finisher for the day I've had his wrestler stop doing those kinds of moves. And the moonsault. Also, not the same move at all. No. This one probably lost something in the editing as it seemed to have the heat the previous match. What air looked good, but was on TV nowhere close to being the best match on the show. Sasaki went over Chono with a short power driver and power strangle. Chono no sold the suplex, which is kind of weird. Two and three quarter stars. Kawada and Tenzan. Tenzan busted his head up against Nagata, reopened the cut, doing so many headbutts. Tenzon dominated early, even did a mountain bomb off the middle ropes. Kawada made a comeback, doing the stiffest looking punch to the jaw you'll ever see in a pro wrestling match. There it is. It looked even scary on the replay. They had great exchanges, an excellent match with Powerbomb Finisher, four and a quarter stars. Choshu Nashimoto was amazing for the first 10 30. Choshu was actually amazing in this match, and he took, he took so much real punishment at his age. Choshu never had matches this good after the late 80s. He was amazingly powerful in the ring for a 49 year old. They tried to reprise their 1996 match, came close, basically just beating the hell out of each other. Particularly Hashimoto, delivering sticking kicks to the chest over and over. Choshu mainly did Lariats as his offense, Hashimoto mainly did hard kicks to the chest. Choshu did a sloppy back suplex. Amazing match to the last three minutes, but by this point, both guys were really tired. Fujinami got up and started sitting and weighed the match off. I don't think anything could have been worse. Three and a quarter stars. Hmm. That's one thing they showed you. About the show, you wonder what the future will hold because fans were chanting loudly for refunds when it was over, even until they announced it from the main event. And fans, some fans stormed off for the main event because they were so upset. After the show was over, there was a lot of sentiment, apparently, but not because they had just seen a great, a great show, but they would never come back to New Japan because of that finish. Hmm. 
Sasaki over Kawada. They felt it was the best match of the show because of the believability and drama. Pounding each other, they did incredible stuff and it built well. Even though it was only went 10.30, when the finish came, it was time because Sasaki already wrestled 38 minutes. The one thing watching is that Kawada was so ridiculously superior in ability to Sasaki, four and a half stars. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do wonder if maybe that finish had more of an effect long term on business than we give it credit for. In the short term, it did, but I mean, we Anoki's going to get its paws into it with, with Kazuki Fujita. Yeah. So imagine, imagine how that would have played out if Anoki does the uh, Kazuki Fujita thing, you know, with Kawada. How do you mean? How would the fans reacted to that? Because Sasaki was a guy who was not the most popular guy among. The Western internet fans. Well, I mean, what do you mean by the Kazuyuki Fujita thing? Having Fujita squash Kawada, basically, like he did Sasaki. Oh, okay. Um, and win the title. Yeah, that would have been something. Well, also, Kawada has such a specific aura, too. Like, I mean, I'm thinking All Japan wouldn't have stood for it. So it probably doesn't happen. Yeah. So. Dave is right, though, that the uh, even with the loss in the first match... Even before this point, this feud really did add a lot to Kensuke's aura. It did. Yeah. Well, anyway, we've got some good uh, head of the ring news. Manaka Nakanishi was married to movie star Noriko Kondo on January 6th in a major media wedding. I don't think they're still together, right? I don't know. <laughs> I'll keep it when I'm in Manaka Nakanishi's wed- marriages. Well, I mean, in his romantic life. I mean, in the stories about his current life i don't remember anything about him being married okay the stuff about him being at you know working at the gas station and whatnot you want to you want to elaborate on that for people that don't know what the hell you're talking about it there was a news story was it like a month or two back about how his plan after wrestling had been basically to take over his parents farm but what was it between like other family members sitting over the farm and COVID and stuff? He found himself without that, and he ended a his job is working at a gas station. Manabu Nakanishi, who wrestled for close to thirty years, yeah. How does that happen? And also in Japanese society, where you would think, and I'm guessing this is part of why it became a big news story, where you would think that New Japan would be helping him out in some form. Something, yeah. Ascot Halter list of wrestlers claiming they're heading New Japan for several tours this year. I don't know about New Japan's foreign talent division or about this, but Hall told friends he was on the upcoming tour. But then New Japan announced his card for the tour, and his Hall's name wasn't on it. If you paid attention, the wrestlers who had problems seemed to get into porn problems when they were out of the country. It was unusual for some poor wrestlers to stay drunk or loaded for the entire tour of Japan as a way to deal with the strange surroundings. There are people who didn't exactly have the Hall or Chris Candido track record when they were home. I guess one can always label it a gamble that could pay off, or we'll find out in March there's anything to this stuff to begin with. And he does come in eventually. That yeah, him and Candido both. And he he had just got out of jail, too, in our week, right before our week started. Yeah, and it seems like he was fairly well-behaved in Japan, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying he wasn't getting loaded at times, but... At least when it came to the actual matches and 
stuff, it seems like by the accounts we have available, like he was a professional. <clears throat> yeah. Same with Chris. And uh, what? So wait, where does he debut? It is on the March tour. Yeah. I think that's the same tour for Candido, or just Candido debut at Super Juniors. They're both around the same time. Okay. All right. Uh, Mike Barton, let's go to All Japan, who has won a traditional season opening battle royal and main event the Corkin Hall show on January 2nd, along with the co feature of Toshi Kawada, Shigeo Kimura, and Nugurichiro over Mike Barton, Jen Still, and George Hines. Barton's getting the push as a top foreign star of this tour with the retirement of Stan Hansen and Steve Winsby off the tour due to letting his broken ribs heal. Stan Hiroshi Hase returned after a seven-month layoff in the opener, doing a 20-minute draw with Masafuchi and doing a battle royal. On January 3rd in the same building, they had the annual junior heavyweight battle royal, won by Muhammad Yone of Battle Arts. Man, Vince Altenry and Hase Kawada teamed together for the first time, beating Masayut Kakehara, Mitsuna Gai, and Tai Okea. All right, results of these shows. On the second, Hase and Fuchi going to the 20-man draw. Kamala, two and Damian Seiseiseis over Psychosis and Halloween. Sure. Nobutaka Araya, Grand 91, Ruji Chikata over Sushikanda, Susumu and Darkness Dragon, M2K. Hmm. Johnny Smith over the said man. Oh, boy. Masuda Kagehara, Masuda Guy over Taiyuki Mahamayone. Tenru Kawada Okamura over Barton, Steel Hines, and Barton win the Battle Royal. Then on the third, we have Masafuchi over Grand Naniwa. We have Kanda, Susumu, Mochizuki, and Darkness Dragon over Sakosis, Damian, and Halloween. Nobutaka Ryan, Nochigeo Kamura over Nahama Yone and Riji Takata. Kamala 2 over the Sedman. In the 500,000 yen scramble January Battle Royal, Nahama Yone won. Barton and Steele beat Johnny Seven, George Hines. And then Tenru Kawan and Hase over Kea, Kakahara, and Nagai. Okay. Um, oh, real quick, I did check. Candido does start with Super Juniors in May, as far as uh, New Japan. So as far as all Japan here, um, yeah, this is the area where uh, said man, Cedric Crane, is a regular because he's uh, Dr. Death's workout buddy. Uh, otherwise best known as Cedric of Hollywood in uh, End Stage USWA, where he was doing a uh, very weird Jimmy Garvin impression. Yeah. So that's a said man. Uh, M2K versus Familia de Tijuana is an interesting match on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, ben Peacock and Damian against the Kosas and Halloween is interesting for different reasons. Yeah. Also, I forgot that Yone was here and that he got kind of poached from all Japan by Noah. Yeah. I did not remember that. I, I kind of had figured he just went straight from Battle Arts to to Noah, or that... I mean, I don't think I remembered him being picked up like, during the split, like Akeda was, but yeah, I forgot that he was here, so... Huh. Interesting. And he's still in Noah to this day? Yeah. There's been some very preliminary interest in bringing in Yoshio Tajiri as a junior heavyweight division focal point. And that obviously doesn't happen because he gets signed by WWF. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Noah. They started their first tour of the year at Defariaki on January 6th. Timon Honda over Takashi Segura in your opener. Rush Kamura Mitsumamoto over Haruka Egan and Satoru Sako. Akira Tawi and Junizamino over Masao Inoue and Makoto Hashi. Kitaro Shiga and Takeshi Morishima over Jun Nakayama and Yoshinobu Kanamaru. 
Shoshikuchi and Takeshi Rikyo over Kenokabashi and Kenta Kobayashi. Not yet. Just Kenta yet. Yoshinara Gawa and Daisuke Ikeda over Mitsuharu Masawa and Naomi Fuji. And No Fear, Takanga Amora and Yoshio Takayama over Vader and Scorpio in your main event. And then they had a, a tournament, a little tag tournament on the next night at Differ. Uh, Fuji Takashigura over Takeshi Rikyo and Kenta Kobayashi. And Katara Shigo and Yoshinobu Kanamaru over Takeshi Morishima and Makotohashi in the semifinals. Then we get Egan and Masao Inoue over Roshiro and Momoda. Vader and Scorpio over Akato Saito and Masashi Oyagi. Junakayama over Daisuke Akeda in the singles match. Makaratawa and Tamon Honda and Junizamita over Team No Fear. Omori Takayama and Satoru Asako, so all three members at the time. Then the tournament final of Shiga and Kanamaru over Marafuji and Segura. And then Mr. Amasa and Yoshinarigawa over Kanakabashi and Shoshikuchi. Hmm. Still so. finding themselves at this time, but starting to get there a little more than they had been a few months ago. Well, Kabashi's still working. So you got him. He hasn't had his first absence yet. So Torosako hasn't had his basically career-ending injury yet. Um, yeah, so you got stuff going on here. Yeah, Kab- Kabashi's hiatus is after the December 01 show? Oh, no. No, 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 no. When does Kabashi go on hiatus? Too oh, long no, after it's, it's not long after this. Yeah, wait a second. Yeah, no, no, no. The Akiyama match was just before this, right? It was the prior the December. Bit, it was of 2000. Yeah, December 23rd, 2000. Yeah. Yeah, it just, yeah, it took me a second to remember. Wait, no, it comes back in 02. So. Yeah, his last match in 2001 is uh, January 18th. Okay. So he's gone yep. after this tour to get his knees. He does, and, and, and he doesn't come back. Until um, February seventeenth, oh two, and then he and, and then he gets hurt there, and then come back till January, July the fifth, and works mainly tag matches for months and months too. Yes, exactly. Which, that's still one of the wildest injury stories to me. That uh, it was mainly Nagata because Akiyama didn't do that much kicking, you know, historically that I can think of that. It was Nagata's low kicks were so hard in, you know, storyline working over the knee that they actually fucked his knee up. Yeah. The only show she Shimoda's working on this tour, January 13th in Osaka, where he teams with Alexander Otsuka against Mr. Masanya Shinaragawa as the main event. Being the first time Masanya Shimoda was scrolling against each other. Uh, the main event, uh, the other main event of the show was Vader and Junakayama against Kanakabashi and Akira Tawa. This doesn't really go anywhere, but we do get the start of Zero One several weeks later. Well, the first Zero One show. Zero well, it's Hashimoto working with his friends, in a way. Yeah. So. Speaking of battle arts. They ran Cork and Hall in January the 7th on their own. Uh, we have Kamen Shooter Super Rider over Takeshi Ono in your opener. Hiroshi Kotsubo and Michael Bork over Ruji Jakata and Giant Okai. Nayuki Taira and Karmalenko over Kodadaka and Urban Ken. Then we have Kasumi Yasuda retaining the independent junior title, beating Junji.com. And then Mohamed Yone and Yukishikawa over Kazunari Murakami and Alexander Otsuka. Well, that show sounds absolutely delightful. Yeah, the well, the era of Murakami and Battle Arts was fantastic. Yes, yes. The whole feud with Ishikawa. And uh, I do not remember Michael Bork, do you? Uh, vaguely. Is he a Dutch guy? Uh, I don't think so. But I vaguely remember the name. 
I'm looking to see. Uh, he does not have a cage match profile. He does have an MMA profile on Tapology, but without a professional record. Uh, is this the right guy? No. Okay. No, this is a current amateur fighter. So yeah, hmm. I do not. I do not know who this is, unless the name is misspelled or something. Well, that, uh, that could be possible too. Oh, Mike Bork. Let's see. This is on the TV tropes page for Battle Arts of all things. Uh, former football player apparently, and MMA fighter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's he's he is some kind of yes big guy who had been doing MMA, but without much martial arts training, and I guess somehow found himself in battle arts. There you go. All right, let's continue. Big Japan Pro Wrestling. They open their tour. Corkin Hall in the second. Shimon Masaki over Naoki Nomazawa. The Winger over Fantastic. Daiko Gubavenko over Ujido. Daisuke Sakamoto over Abdul Kobayashi. Minstei over Kamikaze. A handicapped CZW-style ladder death match. Zande Junkasai and the Rockin' Rebel. Defeated Ruji Yamakawa and Shadow WX, which led to a staple gun tables, ladders, chairs, and ladders and chairs death match. Ruji Yamakawa, Shadow WX, and Kataro Kanamura defeated Rock and Rebel, Zandig, and Jun Kasai. Okay. It literally says in what you've copied from Cage Match or Wrestling Data, two on two, three on two handicap CZW style ladder death match. So what does that mean? Oh, probably American style that something was hanging from the ceiling. I mean, it's good, but then Kanamura got involved and made it a regular match. What about the ladder? What well, ladder was involved, too? Yeah, wait a second. So, yeah, I, I'm trying to think what CZW-style ladder deathmatch Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? So, yes, the CZW guys are hot and heavy here in Big Japan. Yes. All right. And uh, I see we're about to talk about Chris Candido in Japan, but not in New Japan. Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling Rampage Review on January 7th for Cork and Hall, with Goemon and Onro winning the WW Hardcore Tag Titles from Mama Sasaki and Hideki Asaka, and Masato Tanaka Superfly Gato winning uh, yeah. the WW Tag Titles from Kota Fuyuki and Tatsura Kuroda when Fuyuki was pinned after Kuroda turned on him. After the match, Nehuku Yamazaki, Ozuzukudo, and Shinjuki Same all attacked Fuyuki and formed a new group called Team Kuroda. And they put a li put lipstick on Fuyuki in a bra on him before woman wrestler Kyoko Inoue made the save. Inoue and her China tribute won a Royal Rumble Battle Royal, which included mainly men. Chris Candido beating Kudo, but without Tammy Sitch and Pat Tanaka losing to Katara Kanemura worth the undercard. And which we'll get into now. Kyoko Inoue won an eight-man Battle Royal. Riki Fuji and Flying Kid Chihara beat Jado and Kari Nakayama. Chris Candido over Azusa Kudo. Guitar Kanamura over Pat Tanaka. And then going on an on row over Mammoth and Hatsaka. And then Tanaka and Gato over Fuyuki and Kuroda. Interesting how both Candido and Tanaka end up in, uh, I, I mean, and Gato as well. How, and, uh, whatchamacallit, and Jado. Interesting how they all end up in New Japan together shortly after this. No, some I of forget, them. I forget was Tanaka Candido. doesn't. When does Tanaka start there? Masato Tanaka doesn't go to New Japan. Oh, I said Masato. Yeah. I meant Pat. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, there's two Tanakas. Yeah, Pat Tanaka goes. Yes, you're right. Um, I forget. Was Candido in Team 2000? Uh, 
yes. So that yeah, so they all end up in New Japan as Team Two Thousand shortly after this for whatever. No, but I'm wondering like why they all end because obviously Tanaka going has something to do with I would think is a Ghetto Jato favor because really there it doesn't make sense that he's there otherwise. Candido. I mean, at the time, I remember being surprising that he ended up in New Japan. But I wonder, I wonder if there's kind of a package deal thing that went on that we don't really know about. Who knows? Oh, anyway, we stay with the FMWism in a manner of speaking. Tarzan go to Asusha Onita Pro Show on January 5th, so they're back working together after splitting up when Goto left FMW in 1994. Onita and Goto drew big money both as a tag team and later feuding when splitting up. Well, Onita Pro ran Shibuya Entertainment Stage in Tokyo on, the, on no, January 5th. Opening match, Naoshi Sano over Violence Avenger. No, that I'm pretty sure that's Violence Revenger, and whoever <laughs> uh, wrote this down made a mistake. Mongol Man beat Chitoro Kamoi. Viking Tanaguchi over Sambo Asako. Takashi Sasaki and Yukinishino over Senshiro Takagi and Fuchitoi Karasu. In their main event, a no-roast barbar death match, Atsushi Onida, Exciting Yoshida, Kazumasa Nihei, and Mitsunobu Kukuzawa defeated Ichiro Yaguchi, Yasu Yaguchi, Shoji Akamaki, and Shinigami. Sure. You know, we're going to have Lita taking a shower later on in the show. I think you know, everybody needs a shower after that, watching that show. Just, oh, so much indie scum. Yes. That they need a lot to of wash it. off. A lot of it there. Osaka Pro ran the biggest show in the history on January 7th in his home city. He's around 1425 for Super Delphin and Mandora over uh, Kaiju Zeta Mandora over El Samurai and Jushin Thunder Liger. They ran Osaka Professional Seaside Sports Center in Takaishi, where Shusuke Wada defeated Takashi Tachibana, Chikaku Shiratori over Police Woman, Kuchibu Kaman over Ebisan, Oriental Takara Marahama and Tsubasa over Black Buffalo Daioko and Gama. And then Kaiju Zeneman Dora and Super Delphin over Samurai and Jushin Thunder Liger. Yeah, it's a big deal to get the New Japan guys on the show for the, I think maybe the first time. I think so, yes. Though Liger would in time become something of a semi regular. He would work some big shows, yes. So. And then there was the whole thing where Murahama became his, like his non New Japan tag team partner. Yes. In other promotions. It was always weird because, like, after that, you know, amazing match he had with Tanaka that comes, well, it's uh, a few months after this, right? You would have expected yeah. him to get more New Japan shots, especially since Liger's junior booker. But he only ends up associated with Liger outside of New Japan. Yeah. The Deep 2001 promotion had their debut show in January 8th in the Goya before 4,800 fans featuring a Brazil versus Japan best of five theme, which ended with two wins by Brazil and three draws. The headline match had Hoyler Gracie going against pro wrestler Takeru Marahama of Osaka Pro Wrestling and finished third in Rookie of the Year balloting, and realistically should have done a lot better than that, ending in a 20-minute draw. Gracie won the first round fighting for chokes and an arm bar, but Marahama was able to defend. Second round saw Marahama have far more success keeping on his feet. He's competing in kickboxing and shootboxing, so his experience were avoiding the takedown and showed the advantage striking a lot more. 
Marhama had the advantage standing and probably won the round, although Gracie was able to take him down for the end, but couldn't get him in position for a submission. Hicksaw and Gracie nearly pulled his brother out of the match unless he got some rule change at the last minute. Switched from the originally planned three five-minute rounds to two ten-minute rounds. And also, they refused to allow the referee or doctor to be able to start the match, which may sound fine for work pro wrestling or cool for those who think fights should be until somebody quits. But when that comes to actual fighting, these rules give opponents uh, the sport tremendous ammunition and saying it's barbaric and dangerous. What was amazing about all this is the previous day, Murahama worked the Osaka Pro Show. And, uh, and did nothing to take it easy, even doing flip dives and taking hard suplexes. Results of this show, Aichi Perfection Jim in Nagoya. We have Hitoya Kamura over Valentin Solin. Gia Shirchivivi went to a draw with Yoji Anjo. Kosei Kubota went to a draw with Ryuki Uyama. Oh, boy. Kengo Watanabe, one of my favorites, uh, went to a, uh, actually knocked out Osama Tachikari 22 seconds. Daisuke Ishii went to a draw with Jorge Patino. Marcelo Tigre beat Katsuchi Fuji by submission. Paulo Filo uh, defeated Keichiro Yamamiya by KO. Minowa Man, Ukisa Minowa, went to a draw with Ricardo Laborio. And Hola Gracie went to a draw with Takeru Marhama. All right. You know, when you consider that he really was not any kind of notable fighter, and just how great of a jiu-jitsu player Hoyler was and that and again and that Marham was mainly a striker that's incredibly impressive that he was able to hold Hoyler to a draw yeah um yeah even if he didn't really have much of an MMA career Marhama um as far as what else we have on here yeah not a bad first show especially with hindsight looking at some of the talent on there you know you got Paulo Filo you've got uh Jorge Patino who ended up being you know fairly accomplished journeyman uh, you got Minowa Mino, Man and Hikaru Laborio, you know, future uh, American Top Team coach. So, uh, yeah, not a bit, not a bad start here for Deep. Although they would, you know, they would, they definitely stuck with like the X versus Y, like kind of group versus group booking. But I'd, at this point, I don't think anyone would have expected uh, Pancrase versus Lucha Libre to be uh, one of the big draws of the promotion. No. As it would become. Uh, yes. And at this point, I guess it's not really like a weird Pancrase affiliate yet, like it would be. Or is it? Like, is Kengo a Pancrase guy? Yes. Already? But I never understood. What was the what was the deal with Deep and Pancrase? They just aligned, I guess. I don't know. Because it was, it, like, it seemed like it was an offshoot, but I wasn't sure what the actual relationship was. But. All right, let's go to Joshi. Zenjo, All Japan Women, starting a new year by South Cork and Hall, which they haven't done in regularly in many years on both January 3rd and the 4th. On the 3rd before 2055, fans, Karito retained the Triple W title. It'll be an Etsuko Mita with a Fujiwara armbar in 2705. The next night, number one contender match for the title, Yumiko Hota pinned Manami Toyota in 2131. Main event was a Triple W A tag title match where uh, LCO, Mita and Shimoda, won the titles and two straight falls over Nanamomo. Nani Takahashi Momo Nakanishi when Hoda turned on her partner, hitting Nakanishi with a chair in the second fall to set the pin. Hoda will now do an outsider role on the All Japan Women team with Mita and Shimoda. And they'll have a big show on February 20th at Oda Ward Gym in Tokyo, held by Hoda versus Shinobu Kandori. 
All right, results uh, for the third. Tomoko Watanabe and Yumiko Hota over Takako Inoue and Miyuki Fuji. Komiko Makawa and Mima Shimoto over Kaonomi and Manami Toyota. And then Karo Ito retained the Trouble Dove Todd over Etsuko Mita. And the fourth, Miho Wakizawa retained the Ultimate Women's Single Side over Kaonomi. Takako Inoue over Tomoko Watanabe. Yumiko Hota over Manami Toyota. And then the two out of three falls, LCO over Nanamomo to uh, win the titles. He's the full results for both shows. I mean, that's just what was listed. So, well, let's go to the more interesting Doshi promotions. RCN they ran Cork and home the fifth. Pico won a Mascara Cachacabiera match hair match over Linda Star. Candy Okutsu lost in a retire match over Michiko Omakai. LCO Mimishimoto and Escomita defeated Miki Ryu and Aja Kong. And Mario Pachi and Izumi Yuga defeated Ayaka Mata and Akana. LPW ran Cork and Hall on January 8th. Carlos Amano defeated Carol Midori. Mio Watabe over Harley Saito. Shar Shishuya over Sari Okuno. Shinobu Kandori over Yuki Noguchi. And Mizuki Endo, Noritateno, and Keiko Ono over Igo Sawai, Rumi Kazama, and Takako Inoue. But now let's talk about the main show of the week. The beginning of the 21st century for Neo. At Kitazawa Town Hall, they had the Neo Stage Tournament picks. Ooh. Uh, quarterfinals saw Mima Shimoda over Yuka Nakamura. Is, is she on every show this week? <laughs> uh, not the uh, show we just did. Okay, so is one of LCO on every show? <laughs> oh no, uh, it was me that not on that one either. Okay, she wasn't on that one either. Okay, but still, every show other than LPW. <laughs> Tanny Mouse uh, went to a referee stoppage with Yuki Miyazaki. Which led to a rematch, which Tanny Mouse won in the quarterfinals. Masai Genki defeated Junko Yagi, and Kyoko Inoue defeated Yoshiko Tamura. Semifinals saw Mima Shimoda defeat Masai Genki in almost 17 minutes, uh-huh. and Kyoko Inoue over Tanny Mouse. Well, that only went five and a half minutes. And in our finals, Mima Shimoda beat Kyoko Inoue in 93 seconds. So, no Gaia this week, but we've got. Well, almost everyone else, because there's no JWP or JD. And a Neo tournament. It really, it it stands out how much more interesting RCN and Gaia were than the other promotions. Yes. You're just so sick of this. The tournament wasn't like uh, some Iron Man deal where you got, you know, 60-minute matches and shit. With Tanny Mouse and Masai Genki. (sighs) What a terrible promotion. (laughs) They got on the international radar by having Nicole Bass do a tour, and they never looked back. This is the level of in-ring wrestling we are aspiring to. Well, anyway, it's halftime. It's a great 2001 commercial, pivot to halftime segment, where we'll talk about Patreon show, we'll talk about streaming fans, hit the plugs, then we'll come back. Where we'll go uh, to North America. We have a heart family drama to talk about. Uh, we got stuff in Lucha featuring a big time Legends match at Tijuana. New Booker for IWA in Puerto Rico. And the big weekend there all together in Puerto Rico with IWA and WC running big shows. All that and more after the break. There's a time to make resolutions. This year, I'm going to stop eating my own poop. And there's a time to break them. Creamy. 
Delicious. It's a New Year's episode on an all-new TV Funhouse. Tonight at 10.30 after South Park, only on Comedy Central. Welcome. Welcome to America Online New Version 6.0. The easiest just got even easier. You just plug it in and you go. With 6.0, all the best features are even better. You've got mail. Customer service is always there to help. Parental controls help safeguard our kids. Nobody else has all these features. It keeps me closer to my family and friends. There's never been a better time to join. 6.0 is the best AOL ever. America Online New Version 6.0. So easy to use, no wonder it's number one. Call 1-800-4-ONLINE now. We all make resolutions we're not going to keep. Carl Sears to stop stealing other people's lunches. No name, fair game. If yours is to save money, there's Kia's Resolution You Can Keep sale, where you'll get a 2001 Sportage with no payments for three months, or up to 750 cash back on other models, plus our 10-year, 100,000-mile long-haul warranty. So you could be like Carl here. Come on, we're, we're all family. Or you can make a resolution you can keep. Get a Sportage with no payments for three months at Kia's Resolution You Can Keep sale. Ends January 31st. In a mall where the goods are always bad, they've hit rock bottom. Tammy's been abducted. The Russian mafia's after Josh. And someone else is handling Fanny's goods. The new season premieres Sunday at 10.30, only on Comedy Central. Up next, it's TV Funhouse, the show you've got to see to believe. Then it's The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, only on Comedy Central. He went from the top of his class. You are one of 20 programmers with the mastery it's going to take to change the future. To the top of the world. What did you do with a billion dollars, my love? But what do you do when the man you admire... I think it's part of the camera. ...becomes the one... You're playing on fire. ...you fear. They killed my best friend. Get someone over there now. Antitrust. I know what you're doing, my love. I just want to know that it's not affecting your work. Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, January 12th, only in theaters. Beauty, adventure, drama, all these and more can be yours in the wonderful world of art. And with this free art test from Art Instruction Schools, you can find out if you have the interest and desire needed to become a serious art student. To get your free art test without cost or obligation, call this toll-free number. Don't delay. Call this toll-free number now. Call 1-800-862-1000. Director F.W. Murnau had an obsession to create the world's most realistic vampire movie. He dug up an actor. I'd like some makeup. Well, you don't get any. Who didn't just play the part. But you're not feeding. No, you're not drinking her blood. He lived it. John Malkovich. How dare you destroy my photographer! Why not the script girl? And Willem Dafoe. I'll eat her mater. Shadow of the Vampire. Rated R. Exclusive engagement now playing starts Friday, January 26th everywhere. Howdy, folks. We're here today to send this brave little mouse into space so he can tell the entire universe that we were created by a student at the Academy of Art College, San Francisco. As animated characters, I can state that there is no better animation school in the entire country. It is therefore my duty. No, wait, boy, what you doing? Well, all right. Still time to enroll for spring. 1-800-544-ARTS. South Park's Wild Animal Orgy. Aha! There's a king crook right there. Every Wednesday and Saturday, we'll discover the likes of snakes, elephants, wild turkeys, and horny cats. South Park's Wild Animal Orgy, all this month, only on Comedy Central. Oi! 
Comedy Central Thursday. It's back-to-back sports night. I'm not obsessing about Dana. Dan may have the remedy for Casey's jealousy. Can I get a teamster to hit Casey in the head with something heavy? Watch back-to-back episodes of Sports Night. Tomorrow at 10, only on Comedy Central. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed those great 2001 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show. Where we'll begin talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash 20 sheets. And yes, of course, we have our latest show out. And as we look at the Von Erichs up close, we uh, look at the Von Erich family, pretty much uh, starting in 1987 and around the death of Mike and going uh, through the, you know, Carrie's suicide and everything going on there. And uh, quite the show. And it's got a lot of positive. Uh, feedback on that we have a lot of new and returning patrons which will hit that up in just a few minutes but uh yeah definitely a uh, a great time to be part of the patreon so uh put down that five dollars and you have access to that at patreon.com slash between the sheets and uh listen to that von eric show and all the other shows that we've done in our seven plus years of the patreon and at the end of this month and we record this on the 25th anniversary of that night we look at the finger poke of doom the night that changed wcw forever to georgia dome for many reasons we'll have uh, the stuff leading into the show what happened on the show stuff that happened after the show um it's quite it's a loaded show yes i have the notes mostly written up now it's like going from Starcade through and then kind of just trying to figure out where to end. But it's basically, once the immediate dust settles, it's kind of just WCW falling apart. Show. Yeah, this is... Yeah, this is really when the, you know, the shit is the fan, so to speak, with WCW. So, uh... Yep. It's gonna be an interesting show. A different show. Fun, a more of a fun show yes, to and- look at. We should also mention uh, it covers basically the entirety of the did WCW have a deal with NBC or not saga. Yeah, yeah, because that was the era where the NBA was on lockout. So, uh, and WCW was going to have programming on NBC. Or were they? Well, we'll talk about that. Yeah. So, $5 a month at patreon.com slash tween the sheets. Dollar a month gets you access to uh, the Discord. Thanks for this segment. $25. Allows you to pick a show for the week. Now, if you want to do that, have a couple of shows on your mind, just in case a show that you may want us to do could be a show that uh, we've done already, could be a show that someone else has on the calendar, or, you know, whatever. So let me and Bix know uh, what show you want to do, and uh, we'll make sure everything works so uh, we can get your show on the air. Follow the protocol on the Patreon website to. Uh, Get that information out to us. Fifty dollars allows you in for a segment of the show, hundred for the whole show if you choose. That's patreon.com slash between the sheets. And yes, we have a lot of new returning pages this week. So get ready, folks. Bix, fire away. Did you mention the annual too? Or go ahead and do it. I haven't done it. Uh, do it. so you get sixteen, that's one six percent off if you do annual billing. Which means uh fifty dollars and forty cents for the five dollar team. There you go. So basically the same as getting two months free. Yes. Pretty much. Yeah. Alright, so we got a bunch. What did I say? Like we had a couple side up as we were preparing. So I think it was like twenty one or twenty two when I first told you, and then another two. So we're at like twenty three or twenty four. 
new and returning patients this week. Awesome. We would like to thank, and these are strictly in chronological order, Nick. Thanks, Nick. Don't know which one. Uh, then we got Elliot Lee. Thanks, Elliot. Mark O'Brien. Thanks, Mark. Katie Doman. What was that again? Katie Doman. Haiti. Thank you, Haiti Doman. Haiti. Katie? Yes. Okay, thanks, Katie. Yeah. Yes. I said Haiti. Uh, <laughs> I say, that's a quite the interesting Haiti name. Kid. <laughs> the Haiti kid. I thought uh, Spencer Raymond had uh, joined our Patreon. Oh, Kessler Raymond, excuse me. Kessler Raymond. The great Haiti kid. Yeah, Kessler, Kessler of the Howard Stern show, yes. That's right, yeah. No, Raymond Kessler. What? They always called him Kessler Raymond. On Howard? Yeah. Wikipedia says Ke- Raymond Kessler. Okay, whatever, but they always call him Kessler Raymond, so maybe that was some type of inside deal. I don't know, but anyway, thank you, Katie. Uh, Then we'd like to thank uh, the returning Philip Trostler. Thanks, Philip. Jay Doherty. Thanks, Jay. Or I guess it's Doherty if it's D-O-U-G-H, right? Yeah. Then we have Justin Harp. Thanks, Justin. B.J. Hatch. Thanks, is that B.J. or D.J.? B as in boy. Okay, thanks, BJ. Presumably not the baseball legend Joshua Gibson. Uh, that would be a quite a story if it was. Thanks, Joshua. Yes. Uh, okay, I'm trying to make sure I'm pronouncing this one right. Uh, Curtis, it's S O I L E A U. So, Solu, maybe? Soleil. Soleil. Oh, Soleil? That's Soleil? Okay. Maybe. I thanks, never took Curtis. French. So. Parlez-vous français? Tell all the girls their rougeons on the way. <laughs> Je ne sais quoi. <laughs> All right. Uh, then we've got Vash the Stampede. It's Vash, like V. V a s h. Yes. Thanks, Vash. Then we got Matthew Ryan. Thanks, Matthew. Terry Glenn. Huh? Is it the former receiver, wide receiver in the NFL from the two uh, thousands. I hope so. Thanks, Terry Glenn. Probably not. Uh, William Lanham. William's always mentioned a lot in this segment. Thank you, William. C. Repack or Repack. Letter C, period. Okay. Thank you, C. Then we've got uh, Soup O. S O O P space P O. All lowercase. Soup O. Then we've got Randy Kaler with the. Annual Randy. subscription, yes. Then we have Will. Thanks, Will. Don't know which one. Guessing not from Texas, or not the Will from Texas. Never know. Uh, then we've got Christian Mendoza. Christian. Yes. Then the the returning, always one of my favorite uh, pager names to read, Devin Axtman. Thanks, Devin. we got uh, Matthew Rousseo. Matthew. Sean Doherty. Sean Doherty, who's got a Patreon pick coming up. Yes. So thank you, Sean. If this was a, a $25 pledge, yes. And then uh, returning Richard Kirk. Oh, yes. Old friend of uh, ours from uh, Happy Wrestling Land. Thanks, Rich. Yes. And with an annual subscription, I'm obviously not the real one. Uh, Skandor Akbar. 
You never know. Well, he's dead. Thank you, Skandar. Skandar Akbar. So we thank all you uh, new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have uh, been with us from the beginning, patrons that have uh, left and came back. We thank everybody for supporting our Patreon at patreon.com slash between the sheets. You know, sometimes I wonder, like, with the gimmick names, like, how many of the, like, especially if they're not subscribing to other Patreons, like, are they people in the business? Because, I mean, we also have people in the business who don't give a fuck <laughs> who are Patreons. Well, some, they know, I think, well, some know that we read the names off in this section. Yes, of course. So they don't get could... they Now, don't we, get have ca- we have kayfabed a couple of them in the yeah. past. Yeah. You've told me off the air who they were. But, uh, I mean, both know the drill, so I assumed they wouldn't have minded. I mean, well, one of them, I won't get into it, one of them you and I know just does not give a fuck, period, but we still gave him it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, so, yeah, so, whatever, you know, I always like to give me names anyway, so, it's, like, it's funny to have Skandar at bar yeah. be uh, a patron of our Patreon. Yes, yes, yes. No Ted Debussy, though. Debussy. Yes. Although, did you see uh, some Don DiBiase got found on YouTube? Don DiBiase. No, I didn't see that. Yeah. I did see I did see a great new one as I uh, did my little research uh, before the show. 1986 Pennsylvania Indies, Mike Steamboat. What? <laughs> Working with uh, the Samoan crew in Pennsylvania. Yeah, Mike you broke Steamboat. Up for a split second. You said with the Samoan crew? Yeah, with the Samoans. When Off and Seca were running all their indie shows in, in the late 80s in Pennsylvania and stuff with a Trans World Wrestling Federation. And uh, yeah, he was on that, on one of their shows. Okay. He was running a Tonga Kid. Yeah, I see. You piqued my interest. Um,. Just picking the first one that came up in the, I don't know what city this is, the standard speaker. Uh, pro wrestling at the Galleria at yeah, Lake Harmony, Pennsylvania. The Lodge at Split Rock, April 14th, uh, 86. Main event of the Wild Samoans against the Russian Scorpions. Yeah. Tonga Kid against Mike Seamboat in what is listed as first match. Second match, Dominic Danucci versus Polish Prince. Probably not. Uh, no, not, not Ed Wiskowski, no. No. Uh, third match, Chief Jewel Strongbow, presumably Frank Hill, against Larry Winters. Oh, yeah, well, that match happened a lot, I'm sure. Um, her And special girls match, Her Hurricane Glory versus Debbie Daniels. Yeah. That era of the Indi- Indies it was something else. Oh, this is in, like, the Poconos, this one. Yeah. And then, so. what, what else is this in Wilkes-Barre? Uh, it's oh no! This same, is the same show. It's the same show, a different same, ad and a different paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That happens a lot. So, well, not with a completely different formatted ad, though. That's oh yes, it does. <laughs> oh, indie shows. Okay. Oh yes, it does. <laughs> with some of these indie promotions in that era. Oh yes, it does. Okay. Are these all from April '86? Now that I searched for Mike Steamboat, it seems probably like these are all, for the, all or almost all for the same show. Yeah, Mike Steamboat. So. <laughs> Don DiBiase, Dave Patera, Dave Mysterio. I love the photo of Dave Mysterio. 
that he just happened to sneak into like doing filthy animals ray mm-hmm. but anyway yes patreon.com slash between the sheets all right, so what's going on in the world of our streaming friends at IWTV and uh, Fight TV by Triller or whatever the hell they're called these Triller days? Triller TV by Powered by Fight, Triller TV Plus, whatever. I don't, it, whatever. Uh, you know, Restival and the GCW Weekend are in the rearview mirror. Um, I mean, a lot of wrestling this, you know, this week. I did, I didn't watch the whole uh, All Japan show on trailer super closely i did make a point of watching uh katsuhika nakajima versus kento miyahara and that was that was really really good that's definitely worth people going out of their way to see if they are uh trailer tv plus or whatever subscribers as part of whatever deal uh they made last minute with sky perfect tv to air that show so uh yeah, I think we mentioned it last week because the announcement was like right before we started recording. But yes, I, I did check that, and that's definitely worth seeing. Um, so coming up this week, looking at uh, IWTV. So on On Demand, there are a bunch of episodes of, I guess, the episodic show that uh, our friend the uh, Portland Mr. Ulala has with his Pow Pro. And I also bring up... Uh, Left Coast Ooh La La, because I don't know if you saw this. So you did see, the I think, that uh, our dear friend Brian Turner put up on his YouTube, he found the entire episode of Jerry Springer with Jamie Dundee's first appearance that also includes Bill. That yeah. storyline only takes up about ha- the first half of the episode. And, you know, and at the end, too, they have all the guests come out and the audience asking questions and stuff. He has followed... Or that's that is followed by an appearance from our Mr. Ulala. As Mr. Ulala insisting that's his real name. <laughs> there you go. And his uh lovers that he's one that he's with one, who he's cheating with the other, but he says he cannot be satiated by a single woman, or however he pronounces it. Um uh, Definitely well worth going out of your way to look up on YouTube, by the way. Uh, if just for Bill Dundee's promo on Jamie about how he did not, uh, he did not raise Jamie that way. Uh, one thing Bill Dundee could do is definitely cut a promo. Yes. Yes, indeed. Although, one thing that's interesting about it, he sounds much more Scottish here. Like, he's doing it on purpose. Because for those of you who don't know, Bill's originally from Scotland. He moved to Australia. Yes, he moved to Australia. To be, when, yeah, when, how teenager. old was he? He was like a young teenager. Okay. All right, I pulled up Ooh La La real quick. Just so you can see what's up here. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I'm curious to hear the details. We did, Bill the, did, did Bill tell the? Did Bill mention the David and Goliath story in this promo? Because no. I love, love when he would always do that. But uh, we've already done the week this aired, so we can't uh, handle it that way. I do want to hear his whole story how a Portland indie worker got on Trigger. But a special announcement from the. Okay, I know. Is that, seriously, is that really your name? It is my legal name, Jerry. <laughs> what are you It's a 14-year-old monster. 
It was my baptismal meant with the life What's of What's your first girl. name? No, the 14-year-old prostitute is uh, Jamie's uh, wife's uh, daughter, his stepdaughter. But what's that got to do with Mr. La La? It's like sex secrets or something is apparently the overarching theme. Okay, all right. Uh, I prefer for the men to call me Mr. and for the women to call me Ooh La La. Here for how long have I been over here? For yeah, about uh, four years or so. Oh, okay. Uh. He does a remarkable job playing it straight, playing it straight without breaking while doing the gimmick. He, he smiled or a while ago when Jerry was looking at him. He did, but he doesn't fully break from at least the part I watched. And <laughs> Jamie Dundee. Yeah, wait, I'm trying to find Bill. That's superstar Billy. Dundee. <laughs> All right. Well, if she chooses, <laughs> it's her choice. It's her choice, yeah, Jerry. I don't, I'm not a clue. I don't make her All right, Jamie, uh, you're dead. And by the way, it's very obvious that that is an actress or an indie wrestler who is older than 14. Well, of course. Yeah. Ed is here. My dad is here. Yeah, let's bring him out. Yeah. And you certainly didn't learn it off me. And whatever her- Learn. <laughs> yes, he's definitely uh, scotting it up here, isn't he? Yes. Her mother does, does none of your business. What you're doing is worse. No, you are- I don't, I don't make this little girl do nothing, man. She comes you don't? every Friday night and begs me to go. She can quit. Whose idea is this? She can quit. She can quit anytime she wants. Well, she quit now. No more, brother. So go get a real job, Jamie. I didn't bring you up to do this. Go get her. All them people out there have a Even Springer, he calls this a job. He comes every. It's at least honest. Would Don't never put me in the middle of this. Where am I? Uh, let's get some resolution to this now. Well, uh, we got one. It's over, Jerry. It's okay, over it's right over. now. Uh, number one. How are we going to now? How are we going to have food? Are you going to stay? Are we going to have gas in our truck? Hold man? on. Are you going to stay? Don't worry about Let me ask a question. You. Are you going to stay with your husband? No, I'm not. Yeah. 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 And two... 
Yes. Okay, and two, you see what it's doing to your family. Are you willing to stop now and try and at least save a relationship with your sister and with your... I had always wanted to see this one, and there was a really crappy quality copy of Bill's promo, but I'm glad we have the whole thing out, because I remember, I'm trying, I don't remember if this is Jamie's first appearance, but I remember reading about it, that it was like, oh, Jamie was on and Bill, and Bill cuts <laughs> this amazing promo, which he did. Yes. <laughs> Yes, he did. The best Jamie performance is the one where it's like his third or fourth appearance. <laughs> and he's like, like, Jerry, we've known each other a long time now. You know, I've been on here as a neo-Nazi. I've been pimping 14-year-old girls. <laughs> and that's the thing, too. I mean... He just goes you know, out and breaks Springer fave, or at least I guess he's, he is... Or at least acknowledging he's supposed to be the same guy each time. Also, not the only time they did this exact storyline with him either. Just without Bill. <laughs> it's like, do the, the, the people watching? Because I, you know, I didn't watch Springer, Springer regularly. I, I saw stuff, but I'm like, the people watching. What are they? I mean, it's the same Pete, same guy on there numerous times, doing a different character. Well, apparently it was supposed to be the same character each time. Oh, so they brought the same girl back. This is a... Because her hair's different. See? Oh, my goodness. And, and she's still 14. <laughs> yeah, I thought... So, I I thought it might be the same girl in the other episode, but... Okay, so this top one here from this uploader, this is the one that Brian That's uploaded a, in better watched. quality. Yes. This appears to be a different episode. And it just got uploaded three weeks ago. Oh, I had not seen this one yet. It, it's someone tuning his TV, unfortunately. Okay, this is the one I I saw because I see Jamie with his shirt off, and is that the Ted. same? Is that the same wife? To, yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. Oh, it's over. She'll still be working for me. She's right. She's still out in the streets. You are still abusing a young I child. Abuse if you want to really protect her, be a man. Talk, talk, talk. Be a man. Talk her out of doing what she's doing. Be a man. Talk her out of being a man. Here you go. And don't. Do you want to do this? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Why not go up to a child and say you want some ice cream? Of course, the child. There's a little bit of difference between the ice cream cone and a Jerry. You're the one who needs to figure Okay, so I wasn't sure, but that, after that line, okay, yes, that's the one I saw when it aired. And see how, I mean, that's got to be how many One of the darkest and sad. Okay, thanks, autoplay. Um, <sighs> that's years later. I mean, you can tell, because Jamie goes from looking, like, very together in shape, etc., to... 
she and the girl like is older. She, I mean, she. How could she, she can't pass I, a fourteen? Yeah, I didn't remember it being an update. It seems like Jerry, even that clip we just saw, kind of treats it like an update, but somehow she's still fourteen. But anyway, yes, uh, <laughs> Mister Ulala of uh, Pow Pro uh, on the first uh, Jamie is pimping a fourteen-year-old girl episode, and he spent five hours with Bill in the green room. So I really do want to hear about that one day. Anyway, coming up on streaming on ICVT. <laughs> eh, it's been fun. Who cares? Uh, let's see. Okay, there's nothing announced for this. I'm gonna, uh, okay, so H2O has a show Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern with Cage of Hell, which being that it's a cage at an H2O show... Um, they may be using that term loosely. Have you ever seen any screenshots of these H2OKH matches? No, can't say I have. Um, a lot of the time, they just rest the uh, the chain link walls against the ring on the floor and call that, that a cage. safe. No, not really. Um, I was being very facetious. Oh, I thought you said that does not sound safe. Okay, I said so, that sounds safe. Yeah. Well. <laughs> So it features in the cage of hell, Bam Sullivan against Mouse, not Billy Stark's stepdad, the other one. Uh, Kill uh, Killdozer, which is Tremont's new thing after being murdered by Cruel. Uh, Jimmy Chondo Lion, Neil Diamond Cutter, and Alex uh, Stretch. So those are your competitors in the cage of hell. Uh, what else is on here? And yeah, it's mostly the Tremont kids. Um. Marcus Mathers defends the ETU title against Kennedy Copeland and Brian Neal, but yes, well, it's... It's the Tremont kids, like Matt, uh, Matt Tremont and the Tremont kids, like Fat Albert and the, and the Fat Albert kids or whatever it was. <laughs> Fat Albert and the Cosby kids. Yeah, whatever. Um, Ziggy Haim is on the show and anything goes match against Lady Blakely. I don't know who that is. Uh, Low Life Louis Ramos is on the show in a hardcore rules match against J.B. Anderson, so... Couple of outside faces, but yeah, mainly uh, Tremont students here on this show. So that's Saturday at eight. Then uh, our friends at TWE Chattanooga have barbed wire baptism. Mm-hmm. Which wait, why did I? Re I feel like I read about that last week, didn't I? You did. You read it again. I must have clicked ahead by mistake, based um, on the well. date. Okay. Well, it has Jaden Newman versus Shuggy in a barbed wire match, which sounds very interesting on paper. Yep, you mentioned Definitely it last usual, week, so yeah. there you go. So, yeah, it's happening. Uh, it didn't get postponed. It just Bix was early. But I didn't click. But you know what? I didn't click on the H two O thing though, which was before it. So why would I have clicked was, on? He's so excited about that match that he wants to talk about it twice. I I don't know. Freelance has a show on Saturday. At 9 Eastern... Is Nick Houseman doing stand-up there? I don't think he has any direct involvement with Freelance. But, uh... Headlined by Freelance title defense, Jordan Grayson defense, Calvin Tankman. Uh... Anything else jumping out on the undercard? I mean, mo mostly the core uh, Freelance people, which with, I guess, the next most recognizable names being uh, Matt Nix against Craig Mitchell. Among other matches, so that's uh, that's freelance, and yeah, that's it for IWTV this week. So slowing down after a big week with New Year's. So if you're not already a uh, subscriber, go to independentwrestling.tv. Use code 
use code BTSPOD and we'll get a referral fee for each one to stay a paid subscriber. So that's independentwrestling.tv, code BTSPOD. Um, now let's see on, uh, okay, what name are we going with? Triller TV powered by Fight. I guess so. Um, like I said, they have the All Japan show, they have the GCW shows. Uh, coming up this week, we've got on, uh, okay, this is a tape delayed, uh, thing. Unsanctioned Pro coming up on, uh, Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern. Uh, All Killer No Filler, including, what do we have on here? Robert Martyr against Big Beef. Gary J in action against Lord Crew. Uh, hardcore title match, Neil Diamond Cutter. Neil Diamond Cutter defending against Cole Radrick and Alex Cologne and more. Now, GCW has on Friday, No Compadre 2024 at 9 p.m. Eastern from uh, Thalia Hall in Chicago for a show that includes Bussy and Maki Ito against uh, Matt Cardona, Steph Delander, and uh, Jimmy Lloyd. Mustafa Ali against Gringo Loco in a battle of two uh, locals, which would be a hell of a match. Rina Yamashita defending the ultraviolent title against John Wayne Murdoch. Our uh, dear friends, Violence is Forever, defending the tag titles against the team that is just Bang and Matthews now. Uh, Los Macizos against the Bullet Club War Dogs of Alex Coughlin and uh, Gabriel Kidd. Joey Danella versus Myron Reed. Jonathan Gresham versus, I forgot about this one, Andrade El Idolo. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, when all the news broke, I forgot that he had some indie matches announced. Possibly. We'll, well, see, at, show up on we'll, see, the, we'll see at the Friday. <laughs> yeah, we're recording this Thursday. So. Yeah, because I uh, wouldn't be shocked if he was on SmackDown, but that's all another story. Well, Brett, hope you didn't pay a deposit. <laughs> so that's that show okay of the two who is more likely to know show Gresham or Andrade Andrade at this point probably yes well at least they've got Ali mm -hmm. so then uh, next night Columbus Ohio at 8pm Eastern for 56 birds I'm assuming that is a reference to a uh, song or album of some kind. I have uh, no idea. At least what's on the Triller site. Uh, I didn't pull up Twitter, but it has Blake Christian defend GCW title against Cole Radrick. Jack Cartwheel against uh, Oni El Bandito. Tony Deppin against Maki Ito. Leo Rush against Myron Reed. And, yes, Joey Janela versus Microman. Mm-hmm. Yep. Don't know what that's going to look like. <laughs> huh? Who knows? Yeah. So, anyway. If you are not already uh, subscribing to uh, Triller TV Plus, or if you want to go order one of the, the Triller TV iPay-per-views, go to tinyurl.com slash btsfight. That's B-T-S-F-I-T-E. I really should do another one now. Uh, and uh, we'll yeah. get a referral fee from it. So I should actually... I will do that right now. So wait, tinyurl.com slash b-t-s-f-i-t-e. 
got the custom URL, and now as we are talking more, I will, uh, whatchamacallit, I will do the other one, which I presume, I'm hoping, I'm assuming tinyurl.com slash BTS uh, Triller is not taken, let's see. Okay, it's not taken. tinyurl.com slash BTS Triller. There we go. How about that? Meanwhile, what else do we got here? Is that it? Yes. Yes, let's say, for example, if someone wants to do what I did uh, last night, where uh, the uh, the family, uh, whatchamacallit, login for uh, the cable company was not working, and I saw, wanted to sign up for a trial or just sign up outright for AEW+, which I can't because I'm in the U.S., what could someone do about that, Chris? Today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet provider storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. But private internet access can help. Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic to one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes to easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices. They rot solid privacy policy, open source security, advanced customization settings, and it's just running the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. And if you sign up with private internet access right now and take advantage of especially only for Between the Sheets listeners. All right, we have three different plans we offer you guys. You go monthly and on at eleven ninety five a month. You go yearly. That's $3.33 a month for $39.95 a year. Or you can go for the number one package, three years plus four free months at $1.98 a month, $79 for the first three years, usually thereafter, 83% off, the best deal in the market. And why is that? Why is that because it's so much more expensive than virtually other, every other VPN on the market? If you get it right now, you take advantage of private internet access, 30-day risk-free challenge, try it out for 30 days, see if you like it. If not, just turn it for full refund. How do you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash tween the sheets to try the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, back to the 80s, 1987. And on that show, we'll talk about the War of Philadelphia as uh, Crockett and WF go head-to-head in Philly on January 10th, 1987. So we'll have the results of those shows, business, and uh, rundown, all the stuff, what was good matches, what was bad, all kind of stuff there. Interesting night in Philadelphia, be a wrestling fan. We'll have uh, the story of Jim Neville Neidhart punching a flight attendant. We'll have Dynamite Kid being released from the hospital from his uh, severe injuries. Barry Darso is joining the WF. We'll have news on him. Um, we got house shows. We got some TV clips. So, interesting week. In WF, All Japan, New Japan, they're running strong. Uh, it's uh, the first year tours, and New Japan's got the big uh, test. Let me put you down, I mean, King of Kimura, one night, one match show at Cork and Hall. It's the only match of the show. So we'll talk about that. And, and uh, Bruiser Brody has a special letter to Akira Maeda we'll talk about. Plus Daryl Peterson, the future Max Payne, gets a, a big win. So we have that, and an update on how Mike Von Erich was doing in New Japan during that tour. Uh, we got Canada, Puerto Rico to talk about. We got a little England as we go uh, across the globe. In the indie scene, 
We got uh, Kevin Sullivan coming to Florida to meet a booker and has a promo, the boot, announce his arrival. So we'll have that. We got uh, an overview of the New Guinea Headhunter stud stable feud and Continental. Jerry King Lawler gets uh, put in the hospital by Austin Island and Tommy Rich in one of the most uh, hurtful ways possible. So we'll have that. Plus, we'll have Tracy Smothers as a valet for a day with Boy Tony. Should be a hoot. Uh, UWF comings and goings, big time comings and goings there, and, and uh, we'll have to talk about that. Plus, uh, some fun clips from television. World class, which is Booker says George Scott's out and Bruiser Brody's in, and more news on world class. Bill Dundee's new Central States champion. We'll talk about that and that territory's business woes. And we got Crockett wanting to move into Canada with Angela Moss as his front man, well, and possibly Detroit. Plus, the Road Warriors, are they going to commit full-time? We'll have to talk about that. Vladimir Pietrov. And boy, do the guys hate the Rock and Roll Express. All that and more next week on Between the Sheets. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-D-E-L-N-E-R. Show prop at BTC Spot. Bix at David Bix. And Bix, we've uh, had quite the uh, week this week in the world of wrestling. Um, <laughs> the Devil was revealed to be Adam Cole, shock of all shocks. And uh, that's uh, been a mixed reaction to all that. Samoa Joe, Samoans named Joe run the wrestling business as uh, Samoa Joe is now a world champion in AEW to go along with Roman Reigns in WWE. So that's great. Samoa Joe, uh, great to see him get a, get the title here. Uh, Brian Danielson and Kazuchika Okada had a hell of a match at the Tokyo Dome that you've, you've seen. I haven't seen as we record this yet, but I will be watching because it was taking place as I was going to work. So uh, I haven't had time to watch that yet. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Danielson's had an amazing uh, calendar year. So uh, a good way to cap that off. And uh, Chris Jericho, <laughs> he had quite the uh, weekend as we record this, uh, you want me to with, take the lead on this? I mean, the fans serenaded him with NDA chants at world's end. And, uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, go I ahead. I should probably start with a quick recap for those who don't know what led to all this. Right. Cause I'm sure there are people listening to this that aren't keeping up. And this, like the way this is, was covered someplace. This was a little confusing. Um, so the it was Christmas morning, so the Monday before World's End, very early Christmas morning. Chris Jericho is going off on Twitter. He's saying he, you know, about the punk stuff. He's never signed. He says something like he's never signed an NDA in his life. Nick Hausman, formerly of WrestleZone and Wrestling Inc., now on his own House of Wrestling, he uh, he replies with something like, "What about NDAs you made other people sign?" This mostly does not get run with in the next few days. However, on his Rumor and Innuendo podcast, he made a comment about Jericho having skeletons in his closet. What was it? Not uh, Jericho is having skeletons in the closet, no people that Chris is hurt, and then made a comment about, I think, separating art from the artist and said something like, hey, Harvey Weinstein produced some great movies too. That then causes some people to start trying to figure out where he was going with all this. 
and there were a few people that that connected it with the out there, not talked about that much anymore until the last week or so, but long-standing rumor that was somewhat public, and we should say completely unconfirmed, that Kylie Ray's departure from AEW had something to do with Jericho sexually harassing her or something. That there was some rumor that he had lured her to his hotel room under false pretenses, saying that there was going to be a... It was a like a hotel suite party with other people there. He was the only other one there, and from there the details get fuzzy, but the idea, obviously, something happened. Um... At first, this isn't really blowing up, and then at just after 5 a.m. on the morning of World's End, Kylie Ray likes a bunch of the tweets and replies to one of them with a heart emoji. And all hell broke loose. Would that be a fair way to put it? Yeah, one little emoji. Yeah. Yeah, and it blew up enough to where at one point it was the number one trending topic on Twitter in the United States. Yeah. Um, it's a tricky thing to figure out how to cover, and I'm glad I did not have to figure out how to cover well, it. Well, that's the thing, that's the thing, one thing I want to talk about the most in all this. Well, yes, that's... I saw a lot of people, um, uh, have these reactions on Twitter about Houseman. I mean, whether they had that right or not, they're like, well... Well, he didn't, it, but... It, it, yeah, but I'm saying, but, you know, if he... If he knew all this stuff before, why why is he not saying it? Okay, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I thought you were going there. Yes, this is uh, important. The, the, to the talk thing about. is, folks, folks, is, look, think about it. If there are rumors of some type of sexual assault, harassment, whatever, you have to take in consideration the person that was on the assaulted end. If they don't want that, that stuff out there. Then you gotta respect their their thoughts and their wishes on yes. that stuff. This is a tricky thing because well, you're you're a reporter, you're supposed to. Re- no, well, this is a thing you can't, you should not report on unless you get the full okay from the victim. You know what I'm saying? Yes. You have to respect you have to respect their wishes. Yeah. And, and, and Hausman did not name any names, but. He didn't name he any didn't, names. He didn't, but she's the only one that was tied to anything like but this she's in public the one rumors. That was rumored, and then she came out and acknowledged it. Yes, and that's what that's what took it to another level. Yes. and then she, and, she didn't do anything after that. Yes, but real quick, it's like yes. To just to be clear, no, Nick Houseman did not handle it well, but not the the way. It, it, some people are getting this right. Some people are getting it wrong. The way you said, like. But it's the thing to go after him about is not why did you sit on this or all that bullshit. Yes, because I mean, this is something. Somebody tells you something, you know, confidentiality. You can't break that unless they give you the okay. I mean, we can't assume that she talk to him anyway but. no we we well i mean he, he's a chicago guy i mean he's in the scene so i mean who knows I mean, it's not the but, most outlandish thing in the world i think is your point right but uh, but, but what i'm saying but what i'm saying is is you know every time i see this that well if people know these things they need to come out and say no they don't no not in this situation they don't they don't 
like I like I said on Twitter though, like are there and look, you and I have had this conversation and ones like it before. Are there things that I know that I'm reasonably sure are true that I would just love to go and blurt out? Yes. Of course. But you just can't fucking do it. No, because you're putting yourself in a situation where A, you've broke the confidence of your victim, and the victim that's confided in you. Or and B, if they didn't confide in you, then it's bad for other reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, then, and then you face the, the threat of being sued. So, I get why people get upset at that type of thing, but you have to take consideration the subject matter. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I mean, it, we'll see what happens. I mean, Jericho worked pay-per-view. He wasn't on Dynamite. On Wednesday, so who knows? I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, nobody knows. His performance at the press conference was not great. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, good on, though, so good on, you know, Kevin McElvaney, Phil Strum, and Corey Lee for actually asking the questions about it, though. Yes. Yeah. So, no, at, at, least he, at least he did get brought up. Yes, I don't know if anyone expected three separate people to ask, but, you know, good on all three of them for asking, and Please, for the people who have been giving Kevin shit for asking during Julia Hart's portion, like, understand, A, given everything that was going on, there was the concern that there would not be any Tony time at the end. So there was that. And then also, like, he did construct a question in a way that made it that it was not inappropriate for him to ask it during Julia Hart's time. He did not ask specifically about Jericho. He asked about safety policies for women in the company and stuff like that. Which then led to an answer, which, you know, where Tony said that the company, uh, you know... He thinks they have the best safety record in wrestling. Which, that opened up another can of worms. (laughs) So, I mean... It's... Look, you know, and this is... And I want people to understand when I'm saying this, and I think I tweeted this too, like... The Kylie tweet, and you know, the further context from the the likes. Is it something to immediately string up Jericho to quote unquote cancel him to get him fired over? No. But anyone who says it's nothing and should be treated as nothing is being disingenuous and weird. Like nobody knows what happened. Right. But the point is, she other than other than, I mean, obviously. Something happened for her to something something, and you don't even leave. Jericho. Something happened that made her want to leave. Yes, whether it was mental health related, whether it was something in, with someone else in the company, whatever. Yeah, but obvious. Uh, like, look, it's not like she tweets much. Uh, obviously, she wants people. She wants people to think something. She would not have. I mean, I'm not going to go further than that, but it's like. If she wanted to dispel it, she would have dispelled it, and if she didn't want to say anything, she wouldn't have said anything. But then the way he handled it after the fact, too, the, the first podcast after, I mean, that really... <laughs> he where, really put himself in I mean, more shit. Well, that... Where he was like, oh... Well, he was like, I mean, no, he never mentioned Kylie, and, like, what he tried, he meant by it, but, like, again, once you brought, bring that stuff up, because of the past rumors and what was public... Her getting dragged into it was a foreseeable outcome. 
And yeah. I don't like acting like it wasn't. Um, now, that ended up opening a whole other can of words, because there were all these Twitter accounts, like, lying about what Nick said on the podcast after that. Well, that, that happens a lot anyway. Look how much, no. look how much, look how much stuff Sean Ross Sapp is attributed say, to supposedly says. Yeah, I mean that was that's not new. There was a whole era of made up Meltzer said it, but yeah, I know. I mean, this is a little different though. Like to say, and the tweet picked up a lot of traction too. That like Nick went on the show and said he lied and made up the story. Like when he even tell the story <laughs> in the first place too. It's just like just. I just, I don't like it. And then other people, like, confusing Nick with other, and, like, making up these narratives in their head about what happened, or, like, again, he didn't handle it well, but anyone who's acting like he did this because he didn't get call, called on on the conference call or whatever, like, just shut up. That's not what happened. Like, just deal with what's right in front of us. He handled it poorly. I wish he did not handle it this way. I wish we were not talking about it in this context. But, uh, just... Deal with what actually is out there, and then you uh, and then you get to uh, you know the first dynamite of the year and uh, how that went down and everything that happened there and a lot of good wrestling on that show and then it tanks in the ratings, totally tanks. I mean, it it had a downward spiral basically as the show went on it just kept going down, going well, the down. Big, going. The big warning sign I think would be that. Normally, the audience stays pretty steady throughout in the key demo, even when it doesn't overall. Aside from kind of going up during the Christian Cage segment, it pretty much went down throughout the whole show in 1849. Yeah, I mean, it surprised me a lot because I thought that it would have done a one of their better ratings because they've been doing the same range every week. That 0.26 to 0.32, you know, range. I thought they would have been maybe 0.31 in the demo, whatever. It ended up being a 0.26. Well, especially if they eight, did a very stronger number last, last week, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you're coming off a pay-per-view, which is pretty newsworthy and stuff. and The devil reveal. Yeah. And, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And, and, and there, there are fans out there like, oh, it, 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 people make too much of a big deal about this stuff. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, folks, I mean, wrestling is a business. And they're, and they're in a position right now where they're in, you know, rights fees. I mean, this is the year that they got to do a new TV deal. And ha not having. I'm just I'm not saying this is a, a pattern, gonna be a pattern, whatever. But you kind of want to have positive momentum continuously, and uh, they've been doing, you know, okay with the, during the Continental Classic, which is now over with. And now it's like, okay, let's see what's gonna happen now. So I'm gonna be interested to see how next week does. I mean, as far as a rating on Dynamite and. You know, Collision, Collision doesn't have to worry about uh, college football anymore, but I think NBA is starting up on Saturday nights. NBA was on la on Wednesday night, too, by the way, on, a on ABC. Mm. And I, I haven't seen a rating on that. Now, this week, they got NFL. NFL's on um, Saturday night. So they got to compete against that. And it's a pretty important game, too, because Texas and Colts are playing for a playoff spot. So, 
that might hurt them on collision. Um, but I don't know. I mean, they, they're in a situation where they have a lot of good wrestling on their show, but it's a lot of other stuff that's left to be desired, you know? And like I said, we're now in the rights fees year and it's just, it, it's just interesting to, uh, to see what's going on here. And, it, 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 Tony, you know, said that we want to go to more sports-based presentation and blah 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 blah. And you know, you see, you see that. But again, it's like we talked about before. It's it's like it's in an inner conflict with each other. The promotion. What what are we? You know, what 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 is our mission statement? I mean, here? Joe as champion is a good way to try to establish that. But then also, if you're doing sports-based, like. Why is Eddie Kingston's ch- first challenger not Brody King? Yeah, because he beat him in the tournament. And the only other one who beat him in the tournament was Danielson, but he got the win back against Danielson in the league finals. So exactly. it makes sense that it's not Danielson. But why are you doing this four-way and... With guys who are, you know, not always on television. Like Brian Keefe, was that his first time? His first time he's ever been on Dynamite. First time he's on been Dynamite, on Dynamite, yes. Yeah. And Brian Keith's a hell of a damn worker, but there's business side of this too, <laughs> you know. So I, I don't know, I don't know. And WWE, you know, Kevin Dunn's gone. Kevin Dunn's yep. gone. Vince is gone. Um, Michael Cole's gonna be the new head of production. Is is that what's gonna happen in the I end? I mean, I no one said it yet, but the fact that that has the, uh, you know, not the, uh, theoretically, not the word. That the word was always that when Triple H, Triple H, Paul Levesque got in charge and got done out of power, that Cole would be his guy. You know, that's been the word for like seven, eight years now. Yeah, but Borat. And then all of a sudden, there. Cole, and the, well, and now all of a sudden, Cole is not doing SmackDown anymore. Well, it's going to two man announce booths again. But. So. The idea was, well, also remember, when we talk about people replacing Kevin Dunn, that's multiple jobs. There's replacing him as the executive producer and head of television. There's replacing him as line producer, which was what Mike Mansuri was being groomed for when he was there. There might be another job in there. Like, it's not one person replacing him. Yeah, if so Cole's I can see him replacing taking one of, him, one of the jobs. If that happens, that would be replacing him as executive producer and head of television. But if Cole's going to do that, he wouldn't be announcing. Presumably. But again, that's that's not based on any actual reporting recently. That's no, but I'm saying – that's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I thought Borash was, going, was being groomed for that. For executive producer? Yes. To replace Kevin Dunn. Okay, I hadn't heard that. That's what I thought. That I mean, that was it. You know, he was basically doing that in NXT in ways, so I don't know. Um, but anyway, I mean, the times are changing in WWE, man. I mean <laughs> – it's it's a, it's a, it's a bold new era, so to speak. You know, without Vince McMahon and Kevin Dunn, there's never been a WWE without either of them. You know, so I mean, Kevin Dunn had been the executive producer for thirty years, and he's been, been with the company for a decade there, longer than that. Yeah. Beginning, yeah. And his dad went back further because his dad worked for uh, what was the name of the production company, Metro Media, that became Video One in Baltimore. Oh, I can't remember his name. I think Metro, I think it was Metro Media or something like that that Dennis Dunn worked for. 
And the story goes, one day he's driving home after TV taping. He's got the tapes in his trunk and the car catches fire and he saved the tapes from the fire. And that ended up with the promise that he and his son would be taken care of. But, I mean, now we're, we're in the mania season, and WWE has got a lot of interesting stuff going on right now. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting time in wrestling, for sure. And we got free agents bouncing around. That's still, you know, that's not that Mercedes could be going to AEW anytime. So there's that. Diana Perrazzo debuted on Dynamite. Um, so Trinity going back to WWE, apparently. And then the, the big story today, as we record this, is that uh, Julia is going to WWE, uh, but she's probably going to go to NXT, which makes sense. I know people say, like, well, she's such a great one. But they gotta they gotta I mean you have to adaclimate to living in the US exactly exactly and and do you know start learning the language more exactly so I get it Kyrie went EO went you know and probably fine. would have gone to the main roster sooner under a Paul Levesque led WWE too yeah yeah um so th- I mean we got Andrade anytime now we'll be back um. So I mean, there's a lot going on. This is a, it's an interesting time to be in wrestling, and you know, who knows? But uh, and and the it, TNA reboot is about to happen, and and the Rock. You know, and, and that's the thing. I think people are overreacting to the the Rock thing because the line that seemed to be hinting towards actually doing the Reigns match. You mean? I, th- I think it's going to happen. But I don't, people, I think it's going to happen in fucking Australia. Oh, I think so, too. I don't think it's going to be WrestleMania. Well, I think it's Australia, because Australia was wanting the Rock. I mean, they, they were putting the big, the full court press on wanting him there. And we're basically like, how much would more would we have to pay you to make that happen? Yeah. So they can still do Roman and Cody at WrestleMania. Now, my theory on this is I just had this theory. They're going to ride Roman out until he breaks Hogan's record. Oh, I think the so. The modern record. So, so if I, they're going to do I that, it won't be Mania. I think he's holding the title through at least September. Yeah, yeah, it won't be Mania. So, may, and maybe for Cody, it might be best not to have him wrestle Roman in Mania because then he'd have to lose again. Yeah. So, yeah, so maybe they need to hold off, you know, or, you know, until... I mean, I feel uh, like that's almost the argument for doing Rocket Mania... Is that way you don't have to do the Cody match, whatever it may be. But, like, yeah, it seems like there's good reason to think it'll happen in Australia. Because also, I mean, think about it with the whole Samoan tribal chief angle. Like, it makes sense to do it in that part of the world, too. South Pacific, absolutely. Yes. Perfect sense. So, I mean, who knows? Who knows? But, uh, yeah. Yeah, interesting time in uh, in wrestling. Like I said, TNA rebooting their thing and stuff. So, uh, so yeah. Oh, all yeah. Japan and WWE. All Japan with Charlie Dempsey working, you know, all Japan and stuff like that. WWE dipping their toes in other things. Uh, it's a it's a brave new world in wrestling, man. Twenty twenty four, exciting times because WWE 
is going to be more open to doing things differently than they've ever been open to doing it before. Yeah, and then I mean that's also All Japan is a company that works with New Japan, so you also have that too, which I mean is not a huge deal after last year where WWE and AEW both sent talent to Noah, but still, like, there's a lot going on. And you have and Okada still technically a free agent. Oh yeah, there's that too. Barry Bloom representing. <laughs> him so I know he beat Danielson and you know that stuff, but he's still technically a free agent. So. Who knows where he'll end up? So yeah, it's just a a wild time in wrestling, and I, uh, should be an interesting year. Yeah, I suspect we'll have a better idea of the Okada thing after uh, the Osprey match in San Jose, because I feel like if Osprey wins there, that's your sign that Okada is leaving. Although, I mean, Okada could go to AEW and still work New Japan like Osprey is, but. I feel like that would be a sign, though, because obviously Osprey's still going to work in Japan, just not as his main job. Yeah. Anyway, that was a supersized halftime for everyone. There you go. So let's get back to the rest of the show. Now let's go to North America. It's, uh, <laughs> it's all the, no- all the North America stuff we have, basically. It's where Canada, yeah. we got Lucha, we got Puerto Rico, and we got a very little taste of the U.S. Indie scene, which... Hardly any shows ran during our week, which is interesting. Yeah, so it's other North America, but other North America meaning literally everything other than WWF, WCW, and ECW. Yeah. All right, so let's start in Canada with this story. The Canadian Wire Services on January 2nd ran a lengthy story about the Hart family and aftermath of the summit of the Owen Hart wrongful death lawsuit. No new ground was broken, but it had been quotes from many family members. Brett said, my two sisters, Ellie and Diana, put their own agenda ahead of Martha and her two kids. From the time Owen was killed, they saw it as an opportunity to get their own lives back on track rather than seeing it for what it was. A really awful tragedy that needed to be answered for. Since my mother and father have a settlement, although they haven't got any money out of it yet, my sister Ellie and my sister Diana have been the first to hit them up for money. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. You can see you can see where this is going. Oh my goodness. Alright, so um Ellie blamed Brett's attitude on Survivor Series 97, but Brett said it has nothing to do with me in a wrestling storyline three years ago. Anyone who thinks my sour feelings towards Vincent Man stem from that only is not only well in, is not really well informed. Brett criticized his parents for not forcing their children to stand up on their own, saying that some of the children in their 40s and 50s who have never lived the idea of getting up, going to work, and earning things on their own. <laughs> Martha said, I felt I had to go and create my own justice here. But helping people through starting a foundation to help young people go to college, help them with down payments, help poor people purchase homes, who wouldn't have been helped if I went ahead and died. Then it's okay. In the end, it's all for the greater good. She says she can't understand the anger the sisters had towards Brett, saying all he did was what any good brother would have done. He supported me 100%, and all he got in return was from other siblings was vicious comments made about him. Ellie did say she was proud of Martha for creating the Owen Hart Foundation, saying she liked to tell her, but Martha wouldn't talk to her. Mother Helen, regarding the problems that Brett said, said that Brett might be right, but we can't help it. Right now, if one of our children came and we could help them, and if it wasn't the right thing to do, I would help them. Maybe they don't stand on their own two feet too much. But if your child needs you, your natural inclination is to help them. Ellie called Brett a spoiled jerk, knowing that he smashed one of his father's chairs after learning, mo- learning money he had given to his parents when he needed money was give- then given by his parents to Ellie to help back payments on her mortgage. This was after Ellie had given the documents to Jerry McDevitt, which basically forced a settlement of the case out of court. 
Ellie says she recently reconciled with Jim Nighthorn after Nighthorn's battle of crack cocaine addiction. Say, in the past few years, I've had a, a, quite a bit of hardship. My dad's been helping me pick up the pieces. Helen, looking back at the decades of life in wrestling, said it's been a bumpy ride all the way with wrestling. If I had it my way, we could have been successful farmers. I think it would have been more serene life. There was no serenity in our lives. I think it would have been better for them, for all of them, even for Brett and Owen. Boy, does this sound like Doris Von Eric. In what sense? Helen. But what specifically? I'm still not sure what you're getting at. Dor- D- Doris, I'm sure probably Doris and her hard hearts did not want her sons be in the wrestling business. Oh, yeah. How can you not get that? <laughs> I thought you meant something more specific than that. Okay. I mean, blaming wrestling for the family's problems. Yeah. Okay, so where do we start with this? Um, okay, so the thing that Ellie sent Jerry McDevitt, with all the, the infighting going on in the family, uh, Martha's lawyers, I believe the Kansas City lawyers, which I think it has to be because she, she's still on very good terms with her Canadian lawyers to the point that I, I believe Oge works at that law firm. Um, but I don't think she has any relationship with the Kansas City lawyers anymore. They came up with this idea, hoping that maybe it would stop all the fighting, where they would come up with this allocation agreement where if all the, you know, the siblings who signed it, it would, it made clear that if Stu and Helen or, oh, Stu and or Helen died before the completion of the case, that their portion, or I guess, I think it was if both of them died, actually, before the completion of the case, that their portion of the settlement or award would be divided up equally among those of the siblings. Um, Ellie saw it. On, saw the copy on her mom's desk, faxed it to Jerry McDevitt. McDevitt was like, this is trying to buy witnesses. Which, I mean, I... It seems like her lawyer's fucked up regardless, but it's like, none of that really goes to the heart of what the case was anyway. And that got the trial date delayed indefinitely and was what got the ball rolling on the settlement. Now... As far as Ellie and Diana more broadly, I feel like we know enough these days that, like, I feel like I can cut them some slack knowing what they were going through, or at least some of what they were going through in their marriages, you know? Yeah. Because all of this is in service of their concerns about money and the husbands and knowing there was some degree of abuse and the drug issues, like, I... I, 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 how do I put this? I, I don't think you can blame them as much as it felt like back then. I guess is the best way to put that. Um, as far as the other stuff, Martha, I mean, look, she lived up to her word about the foundation. Yeah. You know, um, anything else that really jumps out here? Oh, Brett. Well, Brett's talking about his sister's, uh, Basically mooching off, I mean, not just his sister, but other yeah, other siblings mooching off of Stu and Helen. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I mean, that happens a lot. It happens a lot in Well, families, you know what probably but... part of the reason a father's bread is? I mean, and I don't mean this in like a selfish way. I mean, like, just mooch off of him. Not their parents who are spread a lot more thin. 
I mean, granted, Ellie and Brett, even going back to childhood, never really got along. But, like, like one of the things was Brett signed that allocation agreement in solidarity, even though, like, he had no need for the money. But, and when you think about it, though, it is interesting that no one was really trying to mooch off of him. Yes. And we know Brett in, like, Brett is very giving with family when he wants to be. I mean, he he support. I mean, he supported Dynamite's family after you know his wife left him for God knows how long. So, if they were on, if he was on better terms with Ellie and whatnot, like I feel like he absolutely would have helped her out financially. Yeah, I think he sees it as possibly taking advantage of his. Parents. Yes, exactly. Yeah, he's the one with more money. Um, and also the Survivor Series shit, like. It's more offensive from WWE trying to do that and saying this is all about Montreal and not Owen. <sighs> Ellie can't actually believe that, can she? <clears throat> she turned the papers over the mid it. <clears throat> no, I mean, but I mean believing that Brett's main source of angst in this was Montreal and not Owen's death, and that the lawsuit was happening more because of Brett pushing. Uh, Martha, because of Montreal. Folks, folks will believe whatever they want to believe for convenience, Biggs. Hmm. So. <clears throat> anyway. <clears throat> Let's go to Mexico. CMLL, we start with. Avaciani had an interview with Paco Alonso saying he wants to run some shows in Texas in March or April. Saying America fans want to see the high-flying style of his wrestlers. Then when asked who'd be on his cars, the names he mentioned included Los Hermanos Dinamita and Raya de Lisco Jr. Would you see any of them in the last decade? Hardly qualify as high flyers. That never happens. Never. That is CMLO branded shows. Hilarious. Alright, let's uh, talk about some CMLO branded shows. January 2nd, Arena Coliseo. Heke and Francisco Negro over Pegaso and Zeta. Alan and Cristone Fugaz. Oh, a Solar, number two, and Valero Jr. Very young here. Pantera, Tigre Blanco, Tony Rivera over Carlos Fugardi Jr., Mr. Mexico, and Enrico Latino. Ciencaras, Universalism, and Violencia over Balsa de Plata, Vianos, Tesero, Cuatro. And then Tarzan Boy retained the World Heavyweight title, NWA version, over Black Warrior. Then we go to the Rim Mexico on the fifth. Inimigo Público in Sangre Azteca over Los Rayos Tapatillos. Bracito de Oro, Ciclantito Ramirez and Ultimo Dragoncito over Fierito, Fire and Vacarito. Tote X, Violencia and Zumbido over Anasteca, Astro Jr. and Solar. Felino, Lismar Jr. and Olimpico over Black Warrior, Fazo Guerrero and Satanico. And Ripa Guerrero, Tazan Boy and Ultimo Guerrero over Atlantis, Mr. Niebla and Negro Casas by disqualification. Beginning of uh, one of the best years in company history. Yep. IWRG, a couple shows in Arena Capan, January 4th. Helene over Lekin. Colt and Millionario over Avisman and Spider Escalata. Bestia Rubia, Serrano and Paramedico over Multifaceteco, Starboy and Super Yens. Black Dragon, Fantasma Jr. and Mike Seguro Suicida over Io de Diablo, Mega and Super Mega. Dr. Cerebro, Negro Navarro, and Silver King over Felina, Miss Niebla, and Tony Rivera in the main event. 
on the seventh, we have La Parquito, Nuzo Dragosito, and Referito Mosquito de la Merced. Serrano and Panamerico went to no contest with Galaxia R2 and Guerra C3. We had Guardia, Oficial, and Vigilante over Fantasma Jr., Supernians, and Zonic. Los Payasos, Coco Blanco, Coco Rojo, and Coco Verde went to a no contest with Katakan Lee, Pantera, and Starboy. In the main event, Bombero and Fanal, Mega and Super Mega over Black Dragon, Mika Segura, and Tony Rivera by disqualification. Which of these would have been the TV taping? Uh, the fourth. Okay. I mean, both quality shows on paper. I'm trying to remember. I'm sure I've seen it. I'm just trying to remember. Four Fest Star Power for a TV tape and main event. Yes. Yes. And also a very, you know, nice IWRG style trios match in the semifinal. I mean, in the, and in the Tercera, too. You know, where you got, you know, your Black Dragon and Segura and the Megas and... I'm sure. I'm sure there were some topes over the uh, guardrail. Yes, in that match in particular, which <clears throat> you know, it's weird. Like, I want to eventually do a Mexico trip. Maybe this year will be the year. Um, Arena Mexico is like the big one for like history. You know, as like the bucket list thing, like because of the historical significance and everything. But like, there's part of me that more than anything else wants to see a show at Arena Nacopan. Just because it always looked like such a perfect little wrestling venue, you know? Yeah. Such a great atmosphere and everyone on top of each other and the crazy dives and everything. Yeah. Tijuana. Apparently the legends match on January 5th in Tijuana where Santo Milmascos and Rey Mysterio Jr. team that were Paraguayo was to be really hot. With Santo and Rey carrying the action and Mascos at age 62 did a plancha. Finish actually DQ and Muscalino Universal Dismal Interfere. At one point, when Hoovy was being on Ray after the match, Chuck Palumbo ran in for the save. What's he doing at Tijuana? Palumbo could be a star in Mexico, although being a star there doesn't mean much in the way of money. But with a strong gimmick and a big American who's the least successful worker can get a heel heat pretty easily. Alright, full results of this promotion is more or so. We have Genghis Khan, Niño del Enfermero, Team Conquistador, beating Katakan Lee Jr., Mr. Tempest, and Prince Arandu. Mascaño Nusmil, Universal Nusmil, and Misterioso, over Viano Tercero, Blasso de Plata, Suaparca. And then Pero, Neil, Rey Jr., Niño de Santo, that is a team, over Cien Caras, Niño del Diablo, Dr. Wadden Jr., and Juventus Guerrero. Interesting show there. And this begins a, uh, a CMLL, uh, Let's see about Tijuana year renaissance here. Yeah. Because they have a hell of a 2001. Is it mainly more or are there other promotions doing strong at this one? I mean, all of them are involved. All the Tijuana promotions are involved in, in 2001. Okay. All right. Um, I have Puerto Rico. This is a Dia de Reyes week in Puerto Rico. Dutch Mantel will be starting soon for IWA after his split from WC, where he had been the booker. It's expected he'll get a run booking IWA to see if he can do something with the struggling territory. Well, let's start with their two Dia de Reyes shows. El Acropos and Manati on January the 5th. Hysteria Bariqua tour. Andy Anderson and Visago, not Trivago, over Andres Borges and Sean Hill. Nuevo Gran Paulo over Faraón Zarux. Rastaman and Pablo Marquez over Super Crazy in Chicano. 
Nuevo Super Medico number one over Paparazzi, El Torito over Max Mini, Hombre Dinamita, Sabio Vega, over Victor the Bodyguard by disqualification, Glamour Boy Shane over Chiqui Star by disqualification, Uragan Castillo Jr. over Tajiri, and then Miguel Perez Jr. be Ricky Banderas in a Caribbean strap match. Then uh, La Cancha Hector Zalabazares and Caguas on the 6th. Paparazzi over Pablo Marquez. But Crazy went to a draw with Tajiri. Rastaman over Paparazzi by countout. Farron Zarux went to a no contest with Nuevo Supermedico number 1. Maximini over Torito. Handicap match. Chiki Star and Victor the Bodyguard uh, went to no contest with Amber Dinamita. Huracan Castillo Jr. retained the hardcore title, beating Nuevo Gran Apollo. Andy Anderson of Izaga retained the tag titles, beating Andres Borges and San- Sean Hill. And then Miguel over Miguelito Perez over Enrique Banderas by his qualification. Now, DOWC ran opposite. Major outdoor show at Hiram Bithorn Stadium on the 6th. Burned a lot of Americans for the weekend and drew 11,850 fans, which would be the biggest crowd in more than a year for the company. The other weekend shows at Ponce drawing 5,000 fans and Mayaguez on the 7th drawing 4,500. Cardi Colon retained Universal title, meaning Mike Rotunda after a stunner. Carlos Colon became the first hardcore champion, winning a three over Abdul the Butcher and the one man gang. However, in a rematch on the Saint Thermal in the seventh, Mayaguez gang pinned Carlos to win the title. Thunder and Lightning kept tag titles, beating Barry and Kendall Wyndham. Huh. Kurt Henning, Horace Hogan, and uh, the Mexican Minions were also brought in for the weekend. Damian Steele from California was brought in on the fifth, winning the Vic and Junior title. Trailer Park Trash held it, but he's gone from the company. A five over Eddie Cologne, Black Boy, Richie Santiago, and Raquero. Okay. Um, so, okay, I'm trying to figure things out here. Do you have any recollection of who Damien Steele is? Because I do not. He's a b- 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 XPW guy. But is that the name he used there? Or? Yeah. Okay. I mean, you, you always watched more XPW than I did. So. He was the first XPW champion. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do not have any recollection of this person. Um, Black guy. Okay. Trailer Park Trash, I'm assuming, left because he got his developmental deal? Pretty much. Okay. Alright, so the hit on before the stadium show uh, actually drew a lot closer. It's Dave a week later. Actually drew a lot closer to 5,000 to the 11,850 figure mm-hmm. the promotion released. On the TV show of late, the promoting the appearance of the rest is there. WF footage of Mike Rotunda as IRS. And in fact, build him as IRS Mike Rotunda for his matches that weekend. IRS Mike Rotunda. Okay. They also aired I-Generation footage of Kurt Henning in his match with Dennis Rodman. WC debuted a new wrestler this past weekend named Rick Acevedo, who was the son of longtime Calgary wrestler Cuban assassin, Angel Acevedo. Oh, okay. All right. Results. Chris Grant and Black Boy were Verdugo and Richard Santiago. And then they went to a double count with Titan. Stacy Cologne over La Tigresa. Damian Steele retained the junior title beating Carly Cologne. Mr. Ratings, Ray Gonzalez over Kurt Henning by disqualification. Bronco Numero Uno over Horace Hogan. Carly Cologne retained Universal title beating Mike Rotunda. Mascarius Granotoncito over Perafito and Pirotito Morgan. Uh, Puerto Rican Hemway title invaded. Number one over Fidel Sierra by disqualification. Then the uh, hardcore title match where Carlos won the title. And then our main event, Thunder and Lightning over Barry Windham and Kendall Windham. What a group of talent on this show, huh? Yeah, that's an assortment. Eleven matches, too. Well, it's a big show. A big Dia de Reyes show. 
Yeah. IRS Mike Rotunda. I can't get over that. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go to the USA News scene. Jersey Championship Wrestling. Hey, promotion that's kind of technically exists, I guess. Still. At the JCW Arena in Lodi, New Jersey on the 6th. We have House and J-Train over the Flesh Eaters. Mass Superstar 2000 over Desmond Donovan Dev- Devlin. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> Homicide of a Crazy Ivan. In his non-Nazi uh, guys. <laughs> yes. CJ Brock over Ryan Wing. Big Slam Vader and Bob Kyoto defeated Havoc and Papadon, the solution. Dave Greco beat Judas Young for the JCW Light Heavyweight title. Hey. Alpha Jr. beat Inferno for the JCW Television title. The Hit Squad retained their JCW tag titles going to no contest with Moondog Molson and Moondog Wenzel. Oh, well, okay, now we know Moondog Wenzel had a Moondog partner, apparently. <laughs> And in a three-way elimination match for the JCW Heavyweight title, Reckless Youth retained over Don Montoya and Loki. Okay. Sure. Um, nine matches here. Uh, it's a very New Jersey show for the time period. Particularly in North oh. Jersey. Yes. Who is House? That's not John House, is it? Was he a wrestler? Hugh Laurie. Stop it. No, but was John House ever a wrestler? He probably was. And that's probably who that is, right? Somebody better call 911. Yes. uh, J-Train, of course, is Julius Smokes. One of the flesh flesh eaters would be Kuvacha, but I don't know if that's one or two. Uh, (laughs) Crazy Ivan, also Skinhead Ivan, like I alluded to. Um, Big Slam Vader, Super Slam. Uh, Can't remember if I said before on this show, when I first heard of... uh, when Gunther was Big Van Walter, I had never seen any photos of him, so I always kind of assumed that, like, he was, like, the Eastern European equivalent of Big Slam Vader. And then it turned out he was not. And then, uh, so then all of a sudden, like, you know, like, oh God, it's almost seven years ago now, when people were talking about the former Big Van Walter being this, uh, great wrestler, it was definitely confusing and intriguing. Uh... Judas Young was a guy who did kind of like a punk gimmick with a mohawk, who vanished around like o two o three, right? Yeah. Uh, Dave Greco, of course, the JCW mainstay. Uh, Moondog Wenzel around a lot, like I said, but I don't think I'd ever seen any results with his partner before. And uh, yeah, and the low key. <laughs> Would you say he has any buzz yet, or not really until the Super Eight? Mm. It's he he has some, but yeah, Super Eight's when it really just he is known, and there's a little bit of buzz around him, but yeah, it really picks up Super Eight. Also, we need to remember, like I think we all forget, like when Super Eight comes, he has what like three dozen matches. Yeah, like or maybe it's maybe a little more than that, but he had not had a lot of matches when he really broke out. No. Very, very talented, in spite of himself. The NWA and the fun WXO promotion are working on to put together a television package on BET for February and March. What? (laughs) 
It's too bad, didn't it? Hanko? We could have got uh, Johnny Ace on BET. That would have been fantastic. I'm guessing this is that promotion that started using the WXO letters. The Carolina promotion the, that was on Comcast Sports South that I always forget the name of whenever we talk about it. NACW? Thank you. No, nobody gets on BET. No, no one gets on BET regardless, and I don't understand what the NWA has to do with this either, but I'm assuming this is NACW in some form, but... It's not. I don't understand what that has to do with BET or the NWA or whatever, and it's... Oh, oh boy, it seems in the first match on uh, Wild Side that we're about to get to. That's going to be uh, something. Yes, as you go ahead, uh, Wild Side, take uh, TV on the 6th at Cornelia, the NWA Arena. We have Mark Ash over Crash. Ash oh. over oh, Ash over Crash. Oh, great. Me and, me and Mark Ash of uh, Message Board fame. Omen and Kevin Northcutt over Dan Fakir and Scotty Patrick. Sam Greco over Ali Steele. Your power plant guys in full force on this show. Caprice Coleman retaining Junior Heavy being Jimmy Rave. David Flair over Romeo Bliss. The Beast, Bob Sab over Honest by disqualification. That That's an interesting match to put together. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's like watching uh, Twins, the uh, Danny DeVito on the Schwarzenegger movie. <laughs> uh, Air Paris uh, won the TV title from Jesse Taylor. Jerry Knight retained the national title, meaning Mike Youngblood. Laz over William Wilf III. Gemini over Bubbles the Clown by his qualification. Suicidal Tendencies, Adam Jacobs and John Phoenix de- defeated uh, J.C. Dass and Scotty Wren to win the tag titles. And AJ Styles won the TV Top Mayor Paris. For more on this show, go to Exxon Bad Street. That we did on the, that era of Wildside in January 2001. Are you ever so, going to keep those going or pick them back up or whatever I should have said? My life changed a lot <laughs> as yeah. far as having free time. So that is why Exile has been on hiatus for so long. Hmm. I'll be honest. I mean... Doing this show, well, yeah. and doing the Patreon shows takes a lot of time, well, yes. <laughs> and I work and I work a full time job. Yes. So during the week, my time is very very limited. So weekends is my time to relax and do things outside the house. Well, it, it was more that your specific said, yeah, hours some... changed, right? Well, it didn't change that much. I just. Well, I mean, we're this, not recording this much, is, that much this more. Has so that's more what... of a chore. Well, this has become more of a chore for me. Well, to get through it, but this is my focus. This is the main thing I do. Yes. Yes. So we normally, I mean, we normally record three days a week, sometimes four. Well, and also, so, the, one also for the what you call it, um, for the for the wild side shows, you're putting together notes and stuff, which in a way you're not doing for other exiles that you had done in past necessary or not all of them well it's just it's just yeah i mean it's just too much (laughs) and plus i mean covid changed me too i don't have stamina anymore to do a lot of stuff i used to do Mm. i just don't so all right i miss out january 3rd at the house of hardcore in charleston indiana uh mark wolf retained the iwm light heavyweight title being hazaya rolling hard of alistair fear Harry Palmer went to no contest with me, Mitch Page. B.J. Whitmer over Chip Fairway. Shadow Kid over Corporal Robinson. 
Chris Hero and Todd Morton number two to Tony Man Man Pondo. And Cash Flow retained that IW Heavy title beating Corporal Robinson. Then we go to the next night. Uh, and that was New Year's Knockout on the third. Now, I will go through three nights later on the sixth for IW Odyssey, House Hardcore. Isaiah went to No Contest Shadow Kid. Mitch Page of Alistair Fear. Cash Flow retained Heavy title beating Harry Palmer. An elimination match. CM Punk, Colt Cabana, and Paul E. Smooth, or Chris Hero, Mark Wolf, and Todd Morton. That's that a match. Gold Von Moth here on the uh, winning team. Yeah. A three-way where Tracy Smothers be Ian Rotten and Sabu. Trent Baker, rugby though. Trent Baker won a boot camp match over Cooper Robinson. And fans were in the weapons. False Canyon where Madman Pond over to Tough Tony. Okay, I haven't seen a ton of one stuff. I have no recollection of Shadow. Especially King not this early. Yeah, but I have no recollection of Shadow Kid existing, so I don't know who that is. Um, <laughs> first time he's come up in a while. I know it did end up getting corrected in the Observer, but no. Chip Fairway, definitely not Brian Pillman Jr.'s abusive stepfather. <laughs> I have no idea. Like, I guess it's possible Melanie Pillman and Chip Fairway were in a relationship at some point. I have no clue how that ended up being a thing in the Observer a few months ago. Who knows? Um, so, that, well, and then, of course, you know, and then, you know, look at who he's wrestling here in light of that uh, comment. Um, but what else? Uh, I forgot that Mark was technically a light heavyweight at one point. He was. Did not exactly wrestle a light heavyweight style, so to speak, but. Yeah. Uh, so this is still. <laughs> you have your. Punk and other Chicago guys in the mix here, but they're not really a focal point or anything close to it. Yeah. Alright, and we close out with Rev Pro Dragon Returns at an undisclosed venue in Anaheim on January 5th. <laughs> I mean, that's probably uh, if it's Anaheim undisclosed venue, it's probably Frankenstein's, right? No. Or Marketplace, I should say. And a marketplace. B-Boy and Pinoy Boy. T.J. Perkins over uh, Gallonero number one in Ricky Reyes. Escalibur went to no contest with Shogun. Our dear friend Ultrataro Jr. over Buddy George. Matt Sinister won a three-way of American Wild Child, Ron Rivera, and Disco Machine. In our main event, in one of their mini matches, Super Dragon over Rising Sun. I don't remember Shogun. Who was Shogun? Richard Chamberlain. How will you stop? Shinya Hashimoto's alter ego. I don't think this is Shinya Hashimoto. But anyway. A good look at that Rep Pro show with a lot of the main players here. So there you go. Alright, let's close up with the World Wrestling Federation. And we start with this from Dave. It's tough to know what to take seriously and what not to when it comes to Vince McMahon. In the Playboy interview by Kevin Cook. Not the same Kevin Cook from Death Valley Driver, is it, Biggs? I don't think so. No, not the Kevin Cook from Death Valley Driver and other message words that fell off the face of the earth circa, uh, what, 2004? Yeah. 2005, whenever Which it was. He's, yeah, yeah. Which had news stands on January 7th where he hints that his mother sexually abused him only brings forth more questions. Is it a shocking statement meant to put himself over as someone who overcame problems and maybe more to sell magazines? It's reality or exaggerated reality, similar to how many wrestlers simply exaggerate their real personalities on television to come across as believable, yet not normal. 
Over the years, McMahon has reinvented his image numerous times, and suddenly in his highest-profile magazine major interview, he unleashes a few bombshells. An excerpt released in the New York Daily News, McMahon talked about his stepfather beating him up when he tried to defend his mother, Vicky, whom he had nothing to do with in many years. If nothing else, this is consistent with the previous interviews he's done, although he went one step further this time, saying it's unfortunate he died before I could kill him. I would have enjoyed that. When McMahon talked about surviving sexual abuse... Cook brought up the evil stepfather, Leo Lupton, and McMahon said it wasn't from a male. When Cook brought up his father, he said, he said McMahon nodded and said, without saying that, I'd say that's pretty close. No, with, wait, 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 wait. Okay, Dave, Dave messed what it up here. here. Yeah, Dave messed up here. <laughs> Cook, Cook then brings up Vince's mom and how they've been estranged for many years. Hold on. I, I have the PDF here, although it's not OCR'd. So I can't search, but oh yeah, yeah, that's a pretty big mistake. <laughs> Dave, what are you doing? Oh wait, I do have an OCR copy. All right, let's see. Um, er, let's search for mail then. Or maybe abuse. Okay. Uh, was the abuse all physical, or was there sexual abuse to? Uh, okay, that's not anything I would like to embellish just because it was weird. Did it come from the same man? No, it wasn't. It wasn't from the male. That's so mysterious. It sounds like a double thing to deal. With. Okay, so then it it comes a little later. Um, okay, so he gets into all sorts of shit like that, which we're not going to get in the specifics of. And then Cook says we can leave that topic, but one thing first. You said that the sexual abuse in your childhood, quote, wasn't from the male. It's well known that you're estranged from your mother. Have we found the reason? Pauses, nods. Without saying that, I'd say that's pretty close. There you go. And this is not new, though, even though Dave doesn't say that. Entirely new, I should say. Because it came out from Tom Cole's lawyer that Vince had made a comment like that during the settlement talks with Tom Cole. That... They had a lot in common. He talked about being abused. And that was, like, the big thing he used to really get Tom to consider settling. So there's there's that. So, yes, there's not <laughs> big mistake there, Dave. Jesus. Yeah, he, that, this is Dave. Yeah, Dave basically <laughs> accused uh, Vince Sr. of molesting <laughs> Vinny here. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'm a, I mean, I... Did he correct this the following week? I really hope he did. Uh, I never saw any cup of, any corrections or anything, so... Okay. In the interview, my man also about his prior cheating in his marriage, which he claims he's been faithful to wife Linda for the past six years. Saying there's no such thing as innocent fleeing. When women commit to a sexual encounter, it's generally with a great deal of emotion. I hurt a lot of people. The sex was terrific, but from an emotional standpoint, I regret it. <laughs> All right, I gotta read the the full context of this. How are you as a husband? I tease Linda about the sacrifices I've made for my marriage, but she has made enormous sacrifices. When Linda and I got married, I promised her two things. That I'd always love her, and that there would never be a boring moment. I lived up to both promises. I have always been loyal. And faithful? Not necessarily faithful. I probably lied to myself, thinking she knew 
who I was when we got married. The wild guy. But I never, ever threw anything in her face. I was discreet. And Linda never suffered from a lack of attention, physical or emotional. But one day she asked me, point blank, are you having an affair with so-and-so? And I've never lied to her. Yes, it crushed her. Then she asked, what about such and such? Yes, it went on. More names. I said yes, yes, and yes. Were your affairs at different times or concurrent? Different times. Some were concurrent. But I didn't think she had to know that. She didn't ask that question or I'd had have had to say yes to that too. It's not something I'm proud of. I just didn't realize the impact of messing with other people's lives. Notwithstanding <laughs> the impact on my wife, I'm talking about the havoc you create in other lives just from wanting to have a good time. There's no such thing as an innocent fling. Okay, this is a very interesting comment with everything we know now. When a woman commits to a sexual encounter, it's generally with a great deal of emotion. With very few exceptions, it's not just, let's have sex. Boy, that was great. Okay, see ya. Women don't do that, so I guess maybe I hurt a lot of people. The sex was terrific, but from an emotional standpoint, I regret it. Did you change? I learned about the ramifications of a sexual relationship. If you're, as I scroll up, married, you're touching a lot of lives, mostly negatively. You think it, it was just supposed to be sexual, or supposed to have a great time and be better off. But it's always more complicated than that. It can interfere with your own life, too. Having an affair, running off here and there, can take a lot of energy. It takes a lot of t effort, a lot of time. Last five or six years, I found that I not only appreciate my wife more, but I can get a hell of a lot more done. You don't cheat anymore? I've been not only loyal, but faithful for about six years. Linda and I have a great marriage, and I don't want to screw it up. I'm not saying I don't look. I'm not saying I won't fall off the wagon one day. I hope not, because all the complications and because I would have to tell her if she asked me. But other than for the innate id, I don't have a desire to go outside our relationship. And if I'm on the road for more than three days, you know I'm flying afterward to where Linda is. <laughs> okay. He's so full of shit. <sighs> He's so full of shit. <laughs> I'm trying to pull something else up. Uh, I'm trying to find the the transcript from the day of Emily Feinberg's testimony where the lawyers are talking uh, to the judge. Okay, here we go. Because I didn't want to have to dig through the full transcript that Jack sent me, but I had I already had this previously. Uh, okay, C control F affair. Okay, so yes, this is from July. What's the date here? Hold on. July. Okay, July 13th, 1994. Huh, a little over six years before this interview. Interesting. Right. Yes. Uh, okay. Now, where where does this start? Okay. Uh, Alright, uh, okay. The judge says, Now, was there any relationship between Emily Feinberg and Vince McMahon besides employee-employer relationship? Vince's lawyers, Jerry McDevitt and Laura Bravetti, well, one's WWF's lawyer, one is his personal lawyer, forget which, say, both say, yes, your honor. The judge says, I don't know who signs cards. I love you. 
I don't know who it is from. Congratulations, Emily Feinberg, on what she's doing. Birth. Oh, wait, am I reading this up down when it should be left right? Oh, no, it should be up down. Yes. Uh, congratulations, Emily Feinberg, what she's doing. Birthday cards. Hallmark must have a fortune and have made a fortune on these people. It has nothing to do with impeachment. <laughs> now, is there some strange relationship between Mr. McMahon and Mrs. McMahon? Uh... Laura Vetti says, I would like to put something on the record with regard to that, because it may came up in the ex come up in the examination. The judge says, I am saying keep it out of this case. Brevetti says, is my present intention not to get in the affair that did occur? There has been testimony in the grand jury about it between Mr. McMahon and Emily Feinberg. I have no present intention of going through it. I don't know what will occur on direct examination in terms of demeanor or what is fully said, and I don't know what may or may not cause me to do something on cross. But it is my present intention not to elicit that testimony. And the judge talks about correspondence between McDevitt and uh, Feinberg's lawyer and releases, proposed agreements, etc. And sh prosecutor Sean O'Shea says, Judge, I don't intend and hadn't intended to bring up the relationship between Mrs. Ms. Feinberg and Mr. McMahon. And I can safely assume that both of you are going to leave that out of the case. Brevetti said blah, blah, blah. And then, okay, so... That keeps going, and then the judge says, direct all lawyers to keep out of the case any affair that Ms. Feinberg had with the defendant McMahon, or the estranged relationship between Linda McMahon and Vincent McMahon. But if it comes <laughs> up and you feel it's necessary, then come to sidebar and tell me what you intend to do. So, I feel like there's two things here. One is that it, it it's the confirmation of what we always kind of suspected, and probably knew. But, I feel the bigger deal here is that it basically says at this point that Vince and Linda are separated. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. And he's and he's been faithful since then, huh? Mm-hmm. It's easy to not be unfaithful when, you ha when you've come to an agreement on an arrangement. <laughs> right? Yeah. Is that still good? I mean, that's certainly, that's certainly how I view that situation, taking all the information in its totality, you know? Yeah. All right, so... From an emotional standpoint, it was terrible. No, what was it? The sex was terrific, but from an emotional standpoint, yeah. I regret it. Uh, man once again defended <laughs> his decision to continue to show after the death of Owen Hart, saying, knowing Owen as a performer he was, it's my belief that he would have wanted the show to go on. Clearly, that was a subject that's been examined to death. Well, most family members disagree with that assessment, but not all, as the ones who aligned themselves with McMahon in the recently settled lawsuit did agree. Those who use Owen's own words in different subjects can come up with different answers. Owen himself was mad about his own match with Austin, continuing, and found a way to pin himself, followed the script of him losing the IC title, and Austin himself may have been paralyzed and needed medical attention. But Owen did once do an interview saying the show must go on when talking about the wrestling pay-per-view in 1997 after word got out that Brian Pillman had died. Although those weren't the same circumstances. Yeah, because Owen wasn't the one dead. And there was zero controversy about what was going on after the, with the show after Pillman's death. Probably because the death didn't take place during the show. You can always twist somebody's words when they're dead because they're not there to, def to defend themselves or add the proper context. Also, <laughs> the ring was broken, and by all rights, the police really should have stopped the show and declared it a crime scene immediately, regardless. <laughs> That's when you, and that never gets talked about. No, I mean Jeff Merrick is how, the first. How did that not happen? If somebody died, if you have a, if you have 
a, a some type of accidental death or something like that anywhere, anywhere. It's the police is going to don't know yet if it's a homicide or not. Yeah. How did that not happen? I never thought of that, and I never heard anyone bring it up until it was uh, almost five years ago when John Pollock did that audio documentary about the, the day of Owen's death. And Jeff Merrick was on and brought it up. And Jeff brought it up again when he was on the post-Christmas show a week or two ago. And they talked about it more, like how they've never heard an explanation. But when you really think about it, that's one of the craziest things about the story is how how was this decision even in Vince's hands? It, it makes no sense. I mean, and this is not I get that been this is... Vince, but it really should not have been his decision in the first place. I mean, I, I get that this is entertainment and it's not everyday life or whatever and blah, blah, blah. But still, this is – somebody died. And, I mean, you're supposed to treat that as an investigation to figure out why this happened. I mean, this there wasn't was... a suicide. This, this was not a suicide. Even if it was a suicide, it's still a crime scene. But I know, but still, it's not a suicide. This is – an accidental death. But in the moment, it, no one knows that anyway. So you have to treat it as a crime scene. And yet they didn't. And who knows why? I don't get it. Um, Just a weird, weird, like, side of that story. Um, Where was I going with this? But, like, the fact that you keep let people keep wrestling on the ring, doubly so, because it's broken... You know, the catwalk is a crime scene. The ring is a crime scene. Like, how... I don't get... It. Oh, now I remember what I was going to say. And, look, obviously it was bullshit. As they were talking to fans and getting witness statements, there was one that said that they had, like, binoculars or something and saw Owen get pushed. Now, turned out to be complete nonsense, but it still kind of helps illustrate the point. Like, you don't know. You don't know when you get there. So, why this wasn't made a crime scene, I have no idea. And again, it does not take away from Vince's decision, but it should not have been his decision. No. I mean, yeah, he fucked up on his part, but it shouldn't have been his fuck up to begin with. It should have been out of his hands. But, but yeah, I mean, you can't just say, well, he would have wanted it that way. You don't know what the fuck he would have wanted. (laughs) <laughs> you have no idea you ain't that man so you always think shit like that's funny when people do that the people yeah. for, for dead people they can't properly tell you what they feel and uh Jeff right, but, did, oh real quick did talk again about how he realized on the flight home from stanford when they interviewed vince and some of the other mcmahons throughout the same you know for other episodes at titan tower in July 99, he realized as a writer for Off the Record, because he was one of the writers on Off the Record, Michael Landsberg, he realized he left out a question that he, like, he was kicking himself. He should have included, basically, what would you have done if it, if it was Shane? Because there's no good answer. Either you say you would have stopped the show and you look callous because you're handling it differently because it's, excuse me, Shane, excuse me. Or you look callous because you're saying you would also not stop the show if who's your son. 
And really the only good answer would be to say something like, I'd be too emotionally involved, I would hand off the decision to someone else. But he didn't think to ask it until on the way home. Well, let's get back to sex. Oh, the sexual abuse by his mother and him wanting the murder of his stepfather got much of the mainstream publicity in the interview. The one Dave heard the most comments about this past week was his statements about wrestlers. In the early 80s, certainly before then, it was viewed as a six-pack and a blowjob. But today's performers are more sophisticated, educated. He's on the internet after his match or playing video games. Or he wants to watch Tate to study his performance. He does not go to the bar. So few of our performers even drink, much less do drugs and other things that are once run in the mill. This is not meant to label all wrestlers as drinkers or drug users because that's totally unfair to the ones who aren't, and many aren't. Some of whom work in the WF, but to say so few drink or hang out in bars was laughed at by almost everyone. <laughs> yeah, they ain't, <laughs> they ain't out there fucking the rats. They're out there playing video games. <laughs> Also, this is in 2001. Well, I mean, really 2000, but... Yeah, 2000, yes. Because that's when the interview's conducted. Also, we got this Vinceism in there because, you know, according to Brett, what did he say at the big meeting announcing the cocaine testing in 87? The days of the six of a six-pack and a blowjob are over. <laughs> yeah. Except for me. <laughs> The interview itself is entertaining, and there's probably a basis and tr truth for a lot of what he said. But it certainly was embellished more and more as each page goes by. McMahon did say that maybe the Covey pushed angles too far with a Mark Henry transvestite deal, saying there was no reason to go there. He blamed the period when WCW was ahead on Ted Turner paying his wrestler the 10 times what he was paying him. Hall and Nash would jump for $750,000 a year. Hall was making about 300000 and Nash, who was higher in the cards at the time, was making considerably more than that. Brett went on from $1.5 billion to $2.5 billion. Tending Rude, Dave Boy, and Lure got raises, I'm sure, but 10 times? Hogan's deal was all incentive based on both sides. Broadcasting the cable ran a cover store in Lindemann, man. The banter of both stores in XFL are starling. Excuse me. The backdrop of both stores is the XFL starting up. There was some funny stuff in that one. When it came to history, but it's pretty accurate when I'm talking about the present. Bret Hart now had to follow with a company over pay and job security issues. The money losses in 1997 were blamed on, according to Marina Jacobson, a Bear Stern analyst. That was when Turner came in with a big checkbook and hired a bunch of people away from WWF, and they had to start all over again. This is a Bear Stearns analyst. Vince is also being investigated by the government, so for a while it was hard for them to keep an eye on the ball. Lord have mercy. The story claimed that in 1997, Turner offered everyone fat contracts, and the top stars like Hogan left. The other guys in 1997 were Henning and Rude, none of whom even wrestled in WF, and Brett. So the storyline is the product sucked in 1997. Funny thing is, you remember 1997, the product didn't suck. In fact, that year, there was a huge increase in the house shows from 1996. And the real bad years were 92 through 95. Because of the indictment, even the legal problems were all over in 1994. And Hogan jumped from one company to the other's fiction itself, let alone that it happened in 1997. The claim was that through 1997, WF didn't have anyone signed up to long-term contracts. They were starting Richard Wood up long-term starting in 1984. And that guy's worked on a show-to-show basis, which allowed turned off for big money to take everyone. So now Vince is Vern Gagne, except that he made a comeback. 
The story claimed that while drug tests aren't mandatory, the company does occasion tests for cause and they fire town for steroid use. I've never heard of a wrestler fired over steroid use, and doing so would make the more man firing in WCW seem not the slightest bit of hypocrisy. Linda noted the company's toward the idea of doing a WF cable channel and called it a long term goal. Talked about the UPN show Manhunt, another series in the development for MTV. More on that later. Jesus Christ. And they get, I mean, they get to rewrite this hit, the history, and nobody says nothing because it's wrestling. None of the media back check, uh, fact checks or nothing. And in broadcasting and you cable know, to boot, which is a magazine that you would expect to have a better factual record with the wrestling. Yeah. I, I feel like that's the most frustrating part there. That this is one of the trades, and the trades are usually much better about this. Yeah. Lord, have mercy. <laughs> How about the thing that, that got the wrestlers' attention to us in, in the interview was Vince talking about the wrestlers? Of course. <laughs> Nothing else. And, of course, there's other right, stuff that... in the interview that Dave does not mention. It's fairly yeah. lengthy. There's... There are some very infamous parts. I don't know if we should get into them, like crushed leaves and the like. He does more of a in-depth thing on the on the interview in the in the next week's Observer. Oh, because he's so really... based on more on the like the New York Daily News preview and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's basically what he was doing here during okay. our week. But it's it's all it's. It's findable online if people want to read the whole thing and read the very, very disturbing details of Vince McMahon's life and his inner yeah. monologues. Yeah. All right, let's go to the torch. Dutch writing team now consists of three main writers. Brian Warwick, Jamie Morris, and Stephanie McMahon. Tony Blotch a few months ago left the writing set to work with longtime friend Andy Richter. Both were formerly with the Corner O'Brien show. On television projects. Chris Kresge, another main TV writer, has left the writing team to work elsewhere, also. Vince McMahon continues to oversee the process and put his marks on any final drafts. Shame McMahon's been helping out more than usual lately. Dave has also been auditioning a number of other writers on what amounts to a two-week trial basis. The writers are selected from resumes they receive from writers with Hollywood experience, including most recently a daytime soap opera writer who is also a WF fan. There are some who wish WF would look outside of Hollywood for additions to their writing staff. Vince Russo's contract may be cut by WCW later this month, since WCW has the option to cut him if he's unable to work for a certain amount of time, and that time is later this month. If, even if Russo were to become available, most sources doubt that Russo and Vince McMahon could work through their differences to the point that there would be an offer made to Russo to rejoin the writing staff. Russo has heat not just with Vince McMahon, but several top wrestlers. So... Now we're you know deep in the air where they're going to the soap opera writers and all that type of stuff. Yes. I have no recollection of the names Brian Warwick or Jamie Morris. There's a lot of people we don't even know that oh, wrote yeah. in that company, you know? Oh, yeah. A lot. I mean, in, unless he had talked about it on Opie and Anthony, would we have any idea that Patrice O'Neill was ever on creative in WWE? Never. Never, because I don't think they've ever reported it in the newsletters or nothing. No. And he was already a well-known stand-up by the time he was in WWE. 
Yes. Not not as big a name as he would become, but he was not nobody. Yeah. All right, so we have two Monday Night Raws during our week because uh. they didn't do a year a year in review show, but it was taped. Raw on January first was taped on December twenty ninth in Austin, Texas. Well, wait, what are you talking about? The, the year in review was on Christmas. It wasn't on uh, New Year's Day. On New Year's Day, there was a new Raw this year. Well, yeah, but Nitro was on the New Year in review. Oh, right, 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 yes. But it wasn't in air because it was preempted. <laughs> That's what we talked about earlier in the show. Uh, the, it did internationally. Is, this is wreaking havoc on my brain. As has been the case of late, it was too much Stephanie McMahon. There's a missing element of excitement in these shows. The entire focus was Stephanie versus Austin. Starting with Austin, the man that taught a shot at the beginning of the show. If Vince and Triple H both come back to San Jose on January 8th, it would be so brilliant because the ratings theoretically should increase greatly from the previous few months. And since both were off TV during what would have, would have, and were split to be low rated shows and come back when everyone knows they're going up, they'll look to the general public like they're huge ratings draws. Yeah. I don't think it'd be Rikishi in a match to determine who would go into, into a match. Ultimate three way SmackDown determine who got a shot at Angle's belt on January 8th. Ultimate winding up being Austin. Match slow pace, pretty bad overall. I'll take a witty click with a DDT. It's apparently Rikishi is too large to try and, uh, the last ride on. Oh, you think? Stephanie told Austin he gets off if he sold all the beer and hot dogs that one of the vendors had. The segment ended up with Austin beating up the vendor. Oh, this is a tape show, right? Yes. Okay, I think I know where this is going to what clip I have to pull up for later. <laughs> Billy Gunn, the Acolytes, beat the good father, Bull Buchanan, and Val Venus, right to censor, when Gunn pinned Venus after a Cobra Slam. Gunn looked the best he has since his comeback, even doing a really fast-paced athletic high spot. Austin confronted Stephanie and sprayed mustard all over her. Stephanie complained to Vince, who was on speakerphone. Trish Stratus walked in, they teased her having an affair with Vince. Stephanie told her off to end the segment. Oh, here we go. With Vince and Trish. I guess, do we need to play this? Uh, okay, so where is this? This is after the RTC tag? Yeah. All right, let's see. Yeah, I went too far ahead here. Wait, where is this relative to the slam of the, the No Mercy slam of the week? Okay, no, it's before that. Okay, so I guess it's it's the, okay, there's Trish, I see. All right. Okay. All right. As I do the screen share. Hmm. These shows sound to- so terrible, by the way. Uh, As we see Stephanie acting. Good. Yeah. It doesn't age good, no. They weren't that good at the time. They were on a clear decline, but... Dad! This is... No! Get my other outfit! Dad! I can't calm down! Last week it was beer, to this week it's mustard! And it's all over my silk blouse! That's right. Come in. And you've got to always remember, Stephanie, you are a McMahon above and beyond Stephanie. everything else. What do you want? We need to talk. Can we talk? Who's that? Oh, it's me. Mr. McMahon, it's Trish. Trish Stratus? Oh, uh, hi, Trish. <laughs> hi. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh-huh. How are your holidays? My holidays were fantastic. Uh, um, Dad, can we, can we get to the point here? Yeah. 
Well, well yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, Steph, I, uh, I'm glad you called because I, I was going to call you. Uh, tonight, uh, there's going to be an intercontinental title defense uh, by Benoit, who will defend his title tonight against Test. What? Against Test? Why should he get a title shot? I, I, I'm losing you. I'm going through a tunnel here, damn it. I'm, I'm losing you. Dad, don't you dare hang up on me. You know what, Trish? You can wipe that smile off your face. Your big-breasted tactics may work with men, but they certainly don't work with me. Your plastic smile and your fake laugh make me sick. And if there is any truth to the rumor that you were at a certain soup kitchen during the holidays, then you can forget about hanging out with the McMahon family. There's only one dominant female in this family, and that's me. Now get out of my office! Big breasted <laughs> tactics? <laughs> Did she seize them? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> See the tactics. <laughs> Big breasted tactics. Oh my god. <laughs> the sex was terrific, but from an emotional standpoint, I regret it. <laughs> uh, hey, Trish. <laughs> it's all tone changing. <laughs> yeah. Big oh, breasted tactics? What the fuck? <laughs> She probably, well, her writers wrote that line. So there you go. A hardcore match with Raven and Taz wound up backstage with all the Hollies as well as Blackman getting involved. Before that, they went to a women's bathroom, went to a stall where they had gimmicked the water to make it look like fresh piss. And then Taz yeah. put Raven's head in the toilet and gave him a swirly. And it was a lot more painful than it looked because some of Raven's long hair was being pulled down the drain. <laughs> Raven's lucky he's still not in high school because after that scene, he'd be dead for months with women. Can I just say that from a... Well, it, it, Dave, I don't think Raven has any problems with women. <laughs> Raven uh, ended up hitting crash at the end with a two-by-four. Blackman chased Raven, but Bob Holly stopped it to allow Raven to get away. All right, go ahead. From a workplace safety <laughs> standpoint, this would never happen in a major promotion today. To put someone's head in an actual oh. toilet. With fake, with fake piss that looked I mean, real? The fake piss is incidental. <laughs> They're, they're putting his head in an actual fucking public toilet. Yes. Times have changed. <laughs> and no, I don't. And ha at this juncture, I don't have the Dolph Lundgren clip in the. Not the. The, uh, the Brandon Lee about Dolph Lundgren clip in the soundboard. So. You're not getting that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I've been actually been witness to somebody getting their head put in the toilet by somebody else, so. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, Austin came out and said he has sold all the beer and hot dogs and won this title shot. Austin called Stephanie a complete bitch. She didn't believe he sold them, so they aired a video showing the acolytes with a table full of beer and hot dogs. Stephanie agreed to add Austin versus William Regal with the winner going to SmackDown match. 
The same ending with Austin ripping off the beer vendor gimmick that he had put on Stephanie. It was so sticky that we were supposed to believe her top flew off when Austin took the vending deal off. Whatever, her top did come off, leaving her in a black bra as she ran backstage. Austin claims she had more foam in the bra than he has in his beer. They repeated that line two more times, but somehow people didn't seem to get it. They were surprised how Stephanie was shot because most women, especially on television, would be very particular how they were shot. And Stephanie's aura as a sex symbol took a beating with the angle and the lack of a tan as compared with the other women on the show. Oh, jeez. Coming on the heels of her SmackDown wardrobe the previous week. Oh, here we go. It gets better. She's probably healthier than some, maybe most, and probably has had less work done on her than many of the women in wrestling. So that doesn't mean it's a knock. Other than what people expect a stripped-down TV wrestling person to look like based on what the other women who get hired have to look like, just a lot of indie guys with less than good physiques and no tans are probably healthier than the drugged-up freaks that look better on television and get the high-paying spots. Well, let's judge this for ourselves, shall we? So let's see how uh, Stephanie looked here at the uh, end of 2000. I could uh, give a lady a hand. Let me help you out there. I did not remember that he was already using the Disturbed theme by this point. Like, I remember the no, Edited Mania, but... And no knee braces. Hmm. Oh, we've got, uh, we got a replay after the break. Yes. We're back, ladies and gentlemen, another humiliating moment at the hands of Stone Cold Steve Austin for Stephanie McMahon-Helmsley. This was King awful. Oh, we got slow-mo. Oh, no, don't show this in slow motion. Well, you weren't yelling puppies or nothing. Come on, JR, the man ripped her her blouse off, and she was down to her bra. You're right, this has got to be the most humiliating moment in Stephanie's life. Puppies, that's a princess right there. (laughs) I couldn't believe this. There's more foam in that bra than one of my beers. Okay, I'm trying to find a way to say this that does not sound crass. I always thought that was a weird line because that's not how it looks. And she was trying to keep her pants on as she was going up the stage as well. Um, I don't know what Dave's talking about here with, with tanning and whatever. Well, she's already had she's already had work done. I mean, on, on her chest. No, she has that we know of. Are you sure? Are you sure about that? The thing we all know about is not till July. 
Oh, that's the big one. I don't. I don't think she did. I mean, remember what was her stated reason on Opie and Anthony for getting the boob job? That she saw a fan sign that said "Steph's puppies sag." It's. I always thought she had something done because I mean I don't know. I, I mean they, it look they look bigger in two thousand than in nineteen ninety nine. So I don't know. Maybe. That, well, remember she's dressing but, much differently. Uh, I agree. I mean that that is true, but. <laughs> it's stuff like days riding here that you know will yeah. make somebody want to get surgery you know in a way uh, i mean i mean there's a line that i've heard from various people it's similar not always the same wording but i've heard from people in wrestling something to the effect of everyone in wrestling has at least some degree of body dysmorphia I'm pretty sure they do. Jericho and the Dudleys won a tables match over Team Eck, Edge, Christian, and Angle when they did the 3D on Edge to a table. Same typical good match with T-Suplex through tables. Usually results in a partner pulling the table away. Match had super heat once the Dudleys said the what's up and Devon get the table spot. Benoit beat Tess in icy title match. The stories of Vince made the match as a favorite is Trish. Trish swerved Tess and thinking she was on his side. Crowd was dead for the match, although the work was good. Tess even did a plancha at his size on Albert when Albert came down. Tess was on top when Stratus pushed him off and Benoit pinned him. Tess and Albert had a pull-up on Brawl after the match. Hardys beat Kayantai in the best match on the show. Malenko, Saturn, and Terry were at ringside, but Malenko was the only one who talked. It was kind of funny, seemingly setting up a singles program with Matt over Lita. Jeff nearly killed himself doing a poetry of motion, which he planned on landing feet first on the top rope, which he did, and doing a plancha, but he slipped off and missed the target. He recovered quick enough to do a swanton of Funaki and even gave a tope to Saturn after the match. After Lita threw down Terry. Kane pinned the Rock after a choke slam, another match to determine who gets a title shot. Rock saw the idea that his back and sternum were hurt. They both went through punches and it wasn't much, but the crowd liked and popped for Rock's offense. Angle came out. Got Rock bottom on the floor. Finish saw Angle come back and hit Rock with a title belt to set up the choke slam. Angle then ran away backstage into an awaiting getaway car driven by Edge and Christian. Man, it was Austin and Regal with Stephanie as the referee. Stephanie was focused on the match, not the wrestlers. At one point, Austin used three vertical suplexes to win for the pin, but Stephanie held up at two and acted like she had an eye injury. Austin ended up kicking her out of the ring. Earl Hebner ran in, but Regal threw him out. Finish saw Austin grab Stephanie by the hair to make, make her count, but that Regal allowed, but that allowed Regal to schoolboy him, and Stephanie did a fast count. So there's your New Year's Raw. Yes, um, I What's pulled up? up the uh, Jeff Hardy spot, and I guess there was no way to edit around this, but watch this. The, uh, this does not look fun for him. With you, but Dean, now that's a different story. Well, I just get the impression all hell's going to break loose with these radicals here any moment. Oh, oh, oh Jeff Hardy. Ooh. Yeah. That was uh, some Samoa Joe level uh, injure your balls and your back trauma. Yeah. Break loose. Because he actually, yeah, let me mute it. He so he springs uh, he springs off Matt's back. Punaki ducks so he goes to land on the top rope. He seems to be steadying himself, but then as he jumps off the top rope, he slips. Actually, he does not. He does managed to not get crotched on the on the post because he gets his hands out and but then he basically splats on the floor yes 
that's probably a bit ambitious with WWF ropes, too. Yes. Well, some issue to rain for all on the year's days of positive because it was up on Christmas night, and since it was anything but. Going unopposed on a night where TV viewership was at normal levels, and while I was bucking the tradition of New Year's night college football, it was all. It also wasn't going against Monday Night Football. Raw did a 4.55, 4.33 first hour, 4.74 second hour, and a 6.9 share. The share was almost identical to the 7.0 share Raw did on Christmas night when the show did its lowest rating in many years, while on night where TV viewing was down 50% from usual. The realistic performance of Raw at the similarity in share shows was identical to the previous week. The Fiesta Bowl, which is going against Raw, did a 10.13 rating between 9 and 11, which is 20% lower than what pro football average in the same time slot. So using either that or the holiday, because viewership levels for TV in general were at normal Monday levels, as a factor for why the rating was below average simply doesn't wash. I find it weird that he's not mentioning what the December 18th share was. Because I feel like that's an important data point for what he's talking about. And the Fiesta Bowl that night was Oregon State against Notre Dame. Okay. So we had Notre Dame playing. Notre Dame got, Notre Dame got the shit kicked out of them that night. So there you go. Uh, the show peaked at a 5.0 for the in-ring Austin-Stephanie. Confrontation where Austin ripped their shirt off and trickled yeah. downward. To a 4.80 for Angle Edge and Christian. against the Dudley's of Jericho. 4.74 for Benoit versus Tess. 4.78 for Hardy's against Kai and Ty. 4.68 for Rock versus Kane, and 4.65 for Austin versus Regal. So, yeah. All right, SmackDown on the uh, third, fourth, fourth. Was it Thursday or Friday this time? I can't. Four, it was fourth. It was on the uh, same day as uh, Wrestling World at the Tokyo Dome. Uh, SmackDown started with a backstage shot of Steve Austin waiting for Stephanie Man Helmsley to arrive. Torch gives us this uh, rundown here. Uh, Chris Jericho beat Chris Benoit by the Q and Perry Saturn interfered. Afterwards, Benoit and Saturn beat on Jericho until the Hardys ran out made the save. Backstage, William Regal called Stephanie on telephone and told her that Austin was nowhere to be found. Once Regal hung up the phone, Austin eventually attacked him with a steel pipe. Dudley's beat Booby Cannon, the good father, and attacked Tosh shot the pay-per-view. Edge Christian sat in for commentary for the match. In the end, Dudley's hit a 3D on Bull Cannon and scored the pin. Afterwards, Edge Christian attacked the Dudley's. Backstage, Regal was placed inside the ambulance. Deborah thought Austin reconsidered what he was about to do to Stephanie. And then we get a rock interview. Kurt Angle fought the rock to no contest. Late in the match, Rock beat up the ref and continued to beat up on Angle for the finish. Backstage, Austin met Stephanie's limos that arrived. Stephanie answered the limo and then ran from Austin. Austin chased her to the ring where he cut a promo on her. Vince came out and said he would give Austin another chance to earn a title match if he would leave Stephanie alone. Austin agreed, but gave Vince a stunner. Backstage, Vince told Steph that he would be the special ringside referee for Austin's match. Perry Saturn and Terry beat Matt Hardy and Lita. Late in the match, Malenko DT lead and let Terry cover for the pin. Then we got a Kane promo. Yeah, I'm trying to remember Venus. who it was uh, that tweeted the other day that the James Bond Dean Malenko theme is Dean's ringtone to this day. It was someone in AEW. Yeah. Uh, Val Venus beat Billy Gunn when Steven Richards interfered. Backstage, Vince had Steph and leave his office to run a few errands. After she left, Trish Stratus rot- walked in the room and put oil on Vince's back. Oh, we got to watch this. Okay, so what is this after? Uh, here, is this it here? 
Uh, well, whether yes. Stephanie or is this the same segment? Uh, no, it's after this, I think. Was well, after the Val Billy Gun match. Okay, wait. So when is that? Well, that's what we're you're watching right here. Okay. It's before this. Okay. Oh wait, I see it. I think. No mercy slam of the week. Uh. Well, Vince is already oiled up at this point, so it's before this. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Oh wait, here we go. I see Trish. Earlier tonight, Stunner. All right, here we go. Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, that, oh, that yeah. Feels? That feels better. Oh, Trish, that's a little deeper. Oh, you know, I'm just glad I can help. Ah, I love ways to... <laughs> Bond... Excuse me. Excuse me, I gotta get the grammar right. Love finding ways for my attractive female subordinates to uh, ha- have to uh, rub down my back with oil. <laughs> oh, I love your big-breasted tactics. Ah. Oh, he must be in so much pain. Oh, stunners. He's awful. Oh, I know. I guess those shiatsu massage lessons came in handy after all. <laughs> well, let me just say that you've got a great set of hands. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, so tell me, how were your holidays? My holidays, in all likelihood, were probably a lot like your holidays. <laughs> a lot of fun. A lot of fun. <laughs> oh. We're fucking. <laughs> and Stephanie has just walked in. What the hell is this? Uh, well, I'm just helping out Mr. McMahon, but actually I came to see you. Oh, you came to see me, yeah. huh? Well, did you um, did you see Monday night? Did you see what I did to test? I knew you'd appreciate that. What I would appreciate, Trish, is you leaving my father and me alone. Get out. Mr. McMahon, thank you for the favor. And, and get better. What favor? It, it's just... It's a personal favor, okay? Oh, it's personal? Yeah, it's a personal favor. Here's your shirt. Thank you very much. Well, Undertaker, tonight you have the opportunity. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow, those seagulls love the Undertaker, too. <laughs> Coach interviewed Undertaker. And then Steph chewed out Vince for associating with Trish. So we got to watch, get some more of that. <laughs> yeah, we do. Does this she call her a harlot? <laughs> Okay, so yeah, here's the re. Oh, it's the rewind. It's not the slam of the week. Brought to you by No Mercy. But you really need to calm down, okay? What the hell are you doing with her, Dad? Her who? Trish. Stephanie, please. Trish. Look, oh. listen. We need to concentrate on one thing tonight, all right? And that's me, the troubleshooting referee. Now, just sit down. That's his arms and your chest. <laughs> and he's finishing oiling them up. Sit down. Speaking of being oiled up. <laughs> yeah, Tess is very oily. He's very shiny here. He looks like a brand new Ted RCDLJN. <laughs> well, he lost to Rikishi here when Albert interfered. Afterwards, Rikishi and Albert beat up Tess and left him laying. 
Then we got Austin over Kane and Undertaker in a three-way Nintendo title on Raw. This is 1998 all over again. Late in the match, the ref was bumped. Taker slammed Kane. Rikishi ran out and attacked him. Taker fought for Kishi. But when he turned around, Austin gave him the stunner, and Austin covered Undertaker and Vince Khan the pin. Undertaker uh, doing some jobs. That's a sudden change from how things had been going for him in 2000. Yeah, well, it's to Austin, but still, yeah. Oh, you mean the guy who he worked with, like, every pay-per-view two years earlier? <laughs> yeah. Well, Spanning did a 4.37 rating, so with a 7 share. Thunder on the third did a 1.80 rating and a 2.6 share, which would be the lowest rate of Thunder ever going unopposed, with the exception of two shows this year, which were highlight shows. Not good, as we talked about earlier with, with that show. Despite the end of the football season, which usually brings about 1.5 million viewers back to pro wrestling, the numbers on January the 8th were pathetic. We're told wrestling audience of 7.1 million being the lowest audience in several years. Well, let's talk about the Raw on January the 8th in San Jose. Good show. Largely to a tremendous last 20 minutes. Show up events. Explain the he kind of also spent on SmackDown because it's a new year and he's a new man and he wants to be fair. Austin came out and insulted him, bringing Angle out to defend Vince. It was amazing. This was the theme of the entire show as to just how far Angle has progressed. And in the vignette to get this across, because with Austin McMahon and Angle out there talking, the best talker of the three was Angle. Who ever believed that one year ago? Angle did probably his best interview ever as far as getting himself over as a big-time player, ending with Austin flipping him off. But Angle laid out Austin with the belt shot when he turned his back. Okay, I guess we want to hear some of this, right? Yeah, I guess we need to. Okay, here we go. So here's where Kurt comes in the ring. That ain't gonna happen. I know. Because what Angle's wearing. Wow, Austin. I'm impressed. That's a lot of great talk. Calling Mr. McMahon a jackass. Beating Kurt Angle's Olympic ass. Well, when you talk about lack of leadership and setting an example... Are you noticing the same thing I am from the jump in this segment? What? They're not working the hard cam at all. No. When did that start being, Vince like, has the fault? Vince has his back turned. So does Austin. I mean, so does Austin. Yeah. I feel like it was a thing before this, but obviously it's not the rule yet. Huh. I wonder when it became like a hard and fast rule to do it, to work everything towards the hard game, especially promos. You definitely take the cake, Mr. Austin. Mr. So many Kevin Dunn quick cuts here, by the way. Well, <laughs> may he rest in peace. About, I don't worry about that much anymore. No, and congratulations to Michael Cole on the promotion that I guess will eventually be announced at some point in the near future. Austin, yep. I mean, were you always a great talker, say, back in 1996? You know, back when you were having strap matches with Savio Vega? <laughs> Well, I was bringing honor and glory to this rather ungrateful country of ours. See, Austin, 
I take great exception to the fact that you assume, just because you have your title shot tonight, that the gold is yours for the taking. That's what he assumes. You know that's what the rattlesnake assumes. You want to talk about something? Let's talk about hell in a cell at Armageddon. Six of the top superstars in the World Wrestling Federation, including you, Mr. Austin, and whose hand was raised in victory in the end? It was mine, not yours, it was me. It's true, it's true, (laughs) it's true. You people can boo all you want. I am still the WWF champion. Tell him, tell him, Kurt. When there was a fatal four-way at Madison Square Garden between The Rock, Undertaker, you, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and myself, who walked away still the WWF champion? I did. You know what works so well about this? He's still the, he's still the same Kurt Angle character. It, mm-hmm. it fits with the goofy guy, even though it's not him being a goof in the moment. Yeah. And I think what happens is they lose this middle ground and it ends up being this thing where they always keep flipping back and forth between very serious Kurt Angle and very goofy Kurt Angle with no real middle ground. Yeah. And I wonder why that is, because we can see here he is capable of walking that line. Once again, it's true. It's true. So, Mr. Austin, when you talk about a champion, a true champion, and a man that sets an example, you're talking about me. And I'm not going to let this title go for anybody, especially somebody like you, Mr. Austin, a beer-drinking, truck-driving redneck... That can pour beer over a poor, defenseless young woman. That, Austin, doesn't impress me one bit, mister. The rattlesnake did that. Well, if you want something to impress you, how about that right there? Ah! Wow. All right, you get the idea. Yeah. But yeah, good. I mean, good work from Angle here. And like I said, it. I wish we got more of this. Because it lets him be the entertaining goof in the moments where he needs to be, but he's he's hitting just the right balance here. Yeah, like, like you notice how he did the air quotes on the one line at the beginning. So like he's still the same character, but they. I wonder why they didn't stick with this. And uh, I don't know. Jericho and the Hardys beat Benoit Malenko on Saturn when Jericho pinned Benoit with a backslide to set up Jericho's IC title challenge for the pay-per-view. Good match. Malenko's barely in because he just had his knees go four days earlier. Kind of amazing. He was even there. Malenko throwing all sorts of mustard and cokes all over Lita when she slapped him first. This led to a scene where she had to take a shower. Oh, boy. Oh, it's this, <laughs> it's this raw, huh? Yeah. So, uh... I mean, not not the wrestler yeah. in this match. I would actually exp- never mind. You gonna get to it? No, never mind. 
No, I'm talking about the the clip. You just oh no, I don't think on... oh is that oh that happens right after the match. I just read it. <laughs> okay. I just read. You didn't say Malenko was walking in on her though. Because I would stop myself. Okay. Well, I'm looking at the thing to fast forward. I'm not looking at the notes. So I don't know that. All right. So we have Stephanie McMahon with the referees. Who's definitely uh, wearing a cleavage top there. Yes. And during the break, okay, Lita retreats to the sour. Oh, and Dean Malenko follows. Okay, but the, okay, but they don't go straight to the actual angle yet. It's, well, Dave ain't gonna mention the Raw promo because he just doesn't do that much. Oh, so so the actual angle is right after the Rock promo. Okay, I would guess so. All right, let's see. Okay, yes, it is. Yep. All right, here we go. Mania. The Rock's gonna survive, quite frankly, tonight. Rock's taking a lot for granted. Hey, wait a minute. Is this Lena Shower? Why is the cameraman sneaking up here? Why is that okay? No. What the heck? Oh, look at Malenko. Oh, look, I can see. Move the curtain. Yahoo! What a sick human being. Hey, No oh, oh, oh. The Hardys are What are they doing in the left ladies' locker room? Malenko has no business in that one. In shower area. What are the Hardys doing in there? They're tearing apart. The Malenko is what they're doing. Hey, hey, wait a minute. No way. You can't do that. Get some room in there. The Hardys running right Malenko's line. Why didn't they do that angle before he got his knee scoped? <laughs> Lita was definitely bare ass in that shot. <laughs> uh, as we could, as we could see from the, uh, unless she's wearing like a clear colored thong or something. She is. Uh, yeah, she is. Yeah. Well, it's not yeah, even clear colored. And yeah, once she pulled the curtain back, yeah. Good, good stopping there, Bix, on that shot. What? <laughs> <laughs> there it is very very blue blue or black navy yeah. bluish so there you go god damn it the timing here was terrible <laughs> I see that she wasn't naked why wasn't she naked gotta do realism pal <laughs> well uh, I'll get back at her in a few years. <laughs> so you and Edge oh, are friends, right? <laughs> this led to the scene where she was taking a shower. He and all of us watching as well were peeping Tom's, and the Hardys caught him and destroyed his knee on the table. And the storyline reason for him to take a few weeks off. Dave talks about Rock's interview, which with a typical great delivery. Billy Gunn beat Val Venus in Lumberjack match clean with a Cobra Slam. 
nothing about this China sit down interview with Michael Cole. Nothing about this China sit down with Michael Cole. Yeah, Dave says nothing about this. I'm curious. What's he? Do we know? Oh, this is from the neck injury storyline, right? I guess so. I, I'm just distracted by Cole's frosted tips here. He looks like season two well, he, Pacey on Dawson's Creek. Yeah, he definitely was, weren't them for a while here. Uh, yeah, frosted tips. <laughs> Rock and referees Tay Long and Jack Doan beat Kane and Rikishi by DQ. When Kane was DQ for attacking referee Tim White. Kane chose Slam Doan and Rikishi squashed long afterwards. And they doubled up on Rock until Undertaker made a save so the match for SmackDown. And then when Undertaker chose Slam and Kane and Rock gave Rikishi to Rock Bottle. A Raven Steve Blackman hardcore title match turned into a three way when Hardcore Holly showed up and immediately did a job after Fire Signature in the face from Raven. Both tried to attack Raven after getting the, to get the belt, but he escaped in a waiting car as they were fighting each other. Edge Christian came out with an old guy dressed up to be Devon and then Mama dressed up to be Bubba. After all these years, we finally got to meet the parents. After about 20 seconds, I wish we never had. Segment was not good, despite Edge Christian's best efforts. Well, the crowd liked it anyway, since it ended with the Dudleys giving Dad a 3D and putting Mom through a table. Oh, my goodness. Let's see. Uh, I want to see what they look like here. Okay. What Mama and Daddy Dudley look like. Well, there is no Mama Dudley anyway. Oh, there is here. <laughs> Older Daddy Dudley here is obviously supposed to be Devon's dad, yes. And the white lady is supposed to be Bubba's mom, I guess. And she got put through a table, I guess. So I guess we need to uh, she did? see that. That's what Dave said. Yep, there's the eyes. <laughs> oh, you got the photoshopped uh, baby photos here. Yeah. All right, let's see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's not their own mom! This is parent abuse! She's, she's 200 pounds, and she's a damn ass! Okay, whoever she is, she's obviously a pro wrestler. Where was this taping? San Jose. So who is that? She's older, that's for sure. Dave, would, Dave shouldn't, shouldn't he have known in San Jose? Yeah? Bubba got wood on his mother. Oh, well, okay, let's see the replays, though, too, to, to see this bump. She's taking a real bump there. I mean, Bubba's protecting her, but he is not taking, like, the I am t- using my ass to take this bump for them bump so she's clearly a worker but i have no idea who she is all right uh they should a video feature with rock and bill gates for the new xbox promos okay i have to made rock like a made rock like a big deal as if he isn't what Dave thought was funny is they never mentioned the Playboy Review events, which is so unlike them, especially that magazine and all the pub he's been getting. But they did mention Penthouse because Brian Alvarez wrote a complimentary story about Ross and Lawler. <laughs> okay. Well, let's take a look at The Rock at CES. 
Well, where we're at today, we're at the CES show. It's the keynote address opening the Consumer Electronics Show. And why is The Rock talking on the down low, keeping everything on the low low? Because he's, it's a surprise that The Rock is here. Bill Gates is launching his new, uh, his new console, his new video game console, titled the Xbox. Today, for the first time, we're... Titled the Xbox. We're unveiling the Xbox. Yeah, Xbox is our next generation video game console that is going to produce games like people have never seen before. And it'll take the WWF and The Rock and make them look absolutely awesome. If you smell what The Rock is cooking. And considering that this Xbox at this moment is only running on one fifth of the system's power, it's very impressive. What? Uh, Bill, do you have any idea? what The Rock would be like if he were only running on one-fifth of his power? Well, I, I would think that... It doesn't matter what you think, Bill. Bill Gates and The Rock were total natural. They were awesome. The Rock was perfect. Finally, Bill Gates hooked up with The Rock. Smell The Rock is cooking. Big-time opportunity for The Rock, and what a situation just moments ago. All right, fast-forward just a little bit, because we'll get um, more Vince here. Okay. More Vince, Stephanie, and Trish story. Here we go. Uh, what, what's, uh, what's keeping you so long? Vince sent Stephanie to get no. coffee. Hi. Oh. What do you mean keeping me so long? Coffee! A fresh pot of coffee. Um. Trish! Oh. Oh, hi. Oh. Hi. She just came by to use the facilities. Yeah, I just have to help oh. you. The facilities? <laughs> oh, in. Mm. This is not what you think, okay? Mm. I mean, this is not anywhere near what you think, all right? <laughs> well, if it's not what I think, then... Mm. Good coffee. Yeah, I really made good. it myself, thanks. You won't mind if I put Trish in competition tonight. In, in competition? Yes, I think since Trish has been so chummy with Albert, she'd make a great tag team partner uh, in a handicap match against Tess. Um, I mean, if you... Oh. Uh, I don't have a problem with it. Then no. You'll be fine. I, really? I think you'll be fine. Yeah, really? Trish, you'll be fine. Besides, I hear that you're used to two-on-ones. Oh. Wow. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, earlier tonight, we asked our fans in WWF New York their predictions. <laughs> Daisy's literally afraid where the creative writers are going to take this. <laughs> oh, yeah, just you wait. Yeah, yeah, Stephanie. Uh, uh, say that she gets Eiffel Towered all the time. <laughs> Albert and Stratus speed test a handicap match. Crowd was dead. Must be because the F has made test the equivalent of a member of the FAs, the filthy animals, I guess. Regal saves Trish and Snap test neck on the rose at the same time, allowing Albert to get the pin with the A bomb. So we had the H bomb and uh, WCW and A bomb and WF. Well, at least the A-bomb can only be referring to, uh, one, two, can only be referring to nuclear disasters and not, uh, drugging anyone. Yeah. Yeah, because that's... Stephanie accused Vince... Think about, think about that uh, sentence. Yeah. Stephanie accused Vince of telling Regal to go out there and save Trish. He denied it. At first I thought he was lying, but then I read the Fable interview and realized it isn't possible. And then we got Austin over Angle by DQ. It's twelve thirty. Longest match on Raw in a long time. It's best match on Raw in a long time. Great build throughout the show. They had everyone thinking the title change was on this show. Austin started doing one suplex after another. Regal came out with a pipe, but Austin beat him to the punch and clocked him with a chair. Angle took a backdrop over the barricade. 
Austin hit him with a flying clothesline off the barricade. I thought the young blood was right when he said Austin was going to come back and be better than that before he left. Angle came back and threw about 10 suplexes of different varieties on Austin, avoiding only the German. After a series of reversals out of each other's trademark moves, Austin to Stunner. But just for Earl Hebner could count three out from a Joe Weider high school geek commercial came Triple H. Angle pulled disappearing that while Triple H and Austin took center stage with a great brawl going back and forth over the announce table. Jim Ross was cussing up a storm like it was eight mid-south 1985 with less language restraints. Finally, Triple H clocked Austin three times with a pipe and Austin used big time. Austin, while Triple H stood over him and introduced his new music. All right, let's watch uh, Triple H's return here. Where should I start? I guess from the beginning. <laughs> okay. When he shows up. So this the is pop. his return from the contusions and abrasions? Yeah. Of the uh, right. being dropped 40 feet. Okay. So. All right. Here's the stuff. Here we go. Awesome. No! No! goodness may he burn in internal health now thanks to triple h there's no referee but kurt angle that oh austin has a wwf title one here what is the row oh, look out this is not right oh, Screwed Stone Cold out of the WWF by God title. I'm going to tell you what the Rattlesnake, you're inviting the wrong man into that ring now. Well, maybe he is, and maybe he's not. By God, let's get it on here. I'll tell you one thing, he's getting ready. Triple H man screwed Stone Cold out of the title. That's true, but he'll also beat his ass if he's not careful. So Triple H's sir is game over? Question mark on the front, and you're damn right I'm over on the back. This would be a shirt that would fall in line with AEW merchandise today, I think. What, in terms of it being something that no one would ever wear in real life? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess what is, uh, I guess uh, Christian did get outwork everyone and outworked everyone shirts, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get it on here! You cost off to the title, you bastard! Triple H, get in there fighting. You want to, you screwed him out of the time. Don't worry, he's going to no. get in there, all right? Well, there ain't no anchor tied to his ass. Get in there and fighting game. Yes, that's what you want. Look at the smile on Austin's face. You're the man that almost ended Triple H's career. Turn about fair play, and now Triple H's going to come in there and whip your brains out. Triple H Here to run over like a dog last November a year ago. Oh, my God. 
Yes, you can feel it. Look at Triple H. You can see it. He's about to explode. You can taste it. Ah! I'll say. a pipe that has a solid end with no hole on it. That's a pipe. <laughs> that kind of pipe we're all familiar with. Okay. Yes. Oh, they got hit right on both ends. Okay, yeah. That's not a pipe at all. I don't know what it is, but it's not a pipe. Guys, that lead pipe! For God's sakes! Oh my gosh, look at Austin oh, is busted! Oh, he's, busted. he's hurt! Sucks cocks in hell, Triple H. <laughs> He's saying that right behind him. That's a yes, thing. Yes, <laughs> You fornicate with goats, Triple H. <laughs> Damn you to hell. Damn you to hell, you roided up motherfucker. <laughs> I mean, Jim Ross was so pissed off. Very well done angle, though. Yeah. Very well executed brawl. Oh, yeah. And the pipe shots, actually, or whatever the hell it was, the the uh, inanimate metal rod shots uh, looked pretty good, all things considered. Oh, my goodness. And there's the debut of the uh, Motorhead song. Yeah. Uh, a few months later, Lemmy would try to sing at WrestleMania and fail because at that point he did not remember what the lyrics were. <laughs> well, Raw did a 4.84 rating. That being Four. a Nazi rots the brain. But... <laughs> 4.84 rating, 4.34 first hour, 5.27 second hour, and a 7.3 share. Nitro set all time record lows for both the opposed hour, unopposed hour, at record low 
for a live broadcast in a regular time slot in a record low quarter hour. That's not good. Sh- showing up with a 2.08 rating. 2.49 first hour, 1.66 second hour, 2.9 share. Just, uh, showing just how badly devastated the company has been with the holiday preemptions and lack of focus. Perhaps some of these poor numbers can be explained by the American Music Awards and ABC, but they did 2.5 ratings points below what football was doing. And their traditional football bounce back, that as it turned out, resulted in the opposite this year. Ross main event of Austin versus Angle did a 5.70 overrun, which is better than overruns have done the past several weeks. The other high point was rocking the refs against Kane and Rikishi unopposed with a 5.2 die. Nitro's main event, uh, Steiner and Jarrett did the lowest rating in history for a main event, what may have been the second lowest rated quarter hour in history at 1.55. The prior quarter featured the last man standing match, DPNS versus National Born Thrillers, at a 1.48. Oh, yeah, WCW is just fucking. I mean, they're fucking dead in the water right here. You know, I mean, it's just. Everything that happened in 2000 is now caught up to them in a major way. It already was on its way, but yes. And well, at least uh, right after our week, they're going to be announcing the sale to the new owners. Oh yes, yes. Other weekend numbers for WF saw Livewire do a one point two, a little from average. Superstars zero point nine, below average. But up from a record low previous week, and Heat did a two point oh eight, which is at least up from the past few weeks. They taped Heat and SmackDown in Oakland on January 9th. Pretty uneventful show, with the exception of making some of the Rumble stuff public. SmackDown was cut 90 minutes. Crowd was real hot for everything until SmackDown started. It was hot for everything on SmackDown except for two of the matches. Prototype had a dark match. and looked a lot better than he did last time he had a dark match, working with Aaron Aguilera. Uh, some of this stuff has hit recently online because... Dennis Knight worked as Tex Slasinger, come out to Dusty Rhodes' 1989 music and doing a total Dusty gimmick, although he looked more like a giant Steve Carino. <laughs> he put over Big Boss Man and nice, deceptively gigantic as he was several inches on Boss Man. It's a comedy gimmick to the crowd life for two minutes, but turned on about a minute later with loud booing chants, pouring chants. To me, it was a poor man's Dusty. So wait, and now we have did, video, did, video how, of this. How, wait, how did Dave see this? I guess he was there. It was Oakland. Oh, right, right. Sorry. I forgot for a second that it was Oakland. Yeah, okay. But now we've seen it now. Yeah. Uh, on available uh, on Fish and Chips. Mm-hmm. Yes. Esarius Finn, Joey Abs in a dark match may have been the best match on the show. On Heat, Ivory challenged China and agreed to put up her title. Too Cool and Kanta had a no decision when Kanta said they wanted to dance, and they all danced. But Kanta turned on them and left them laying. The dub voice thing was very well received. There were numerous signs saying, indeed, and every time Funaki said it, it got a bigger pop than the time before, and he said it several times on Heat and SmackDown. So there is that. After house show declines in November, December, this past weekend in California, must again, everyone to sign relief as it was a huge success. House show on January 6th at the Anaheim Pond, due 13491 paying four sixty six forty five, which is just a few hundred high shot capacity. Sacramento on the 7th drew a total sale of 16,108, paying 518,145. Ron San Jose drew a sale of 13,769, paying 471,813. Merchandise for the three dates was $337,851, a 7.7 dollars a head. 
Anaheim's major bounce saw Angle Austin hit him with a title belt to keep the title and Jennifer Francis Agent Christian. The lineup was switched to Angle versus Austin only a few days ahead of time to give both men one last shot at working a singles match for their TV match. Austin stunned both Edge Christian after the match and drank beer. Rock and Undertaker beat Kane and Rikisha when Rock and Rikisha at the rock bottom. Sacramento went with Austin and Rock and Undertaker over Kane, Rikisha, and Angle on top when Austin and Angle after a stunner. They put them on for intermission so they can get out of the building easier and had Edge and Christian and Dudley's the hardest three-way anchor to show. So... Yeah, a little bounce back of the numbers there. I'll show us. Yeah. Ross could be working on a very limited road schedule. When the major markets for most part, as he's spending a lot of time taking acting lessons, preparing for his lead role in Scorpion game, which starts filming in late March, early April. This may be a three-month process, probably through June. Nothing's for certain regarding availability for those months. He probably won't do any house shows, and the feeling is he'll miss a lot of TV as well. When they can do some TVs, more pay-per-views, of course, they'll probably work to what he can at least do that, but nothing is for sure. And Dave knows time mainstream pub of the weekend for Rock at the uh, Xbox demonstration in Las Vegas with Bill Gates on January 6th. Rock, Robbie Bach of Microsoft's games division called Rock Cutting Edge Cool. And that Ross fans are prim- the primary target audience of the Xbox and the USA Today story. And as we all oh, yeah, know, just- uh, all those WWE uh, Xbox games ended up being so memorable. Everyone talks about those all the time. Yes. But, I mean, this shows how big Rock has become by this point in time to be in this mm-hmm. position with Bill Gates, you know? There are no plans for a timetable storylines positioning for either Mark Union or Big Show at this point. Jerry Lynch had to be offered a contract large because WF doesn't want to take anyone from ECW. It's an ECW situation as far as his uh... future They're interested in him, and the writers have been given tapes of him to prepare for giving him a character. Rob Van Ness' situation is the same. Doors are closed to him, but an interest in him hasn't been strong ever since coming. He got bad reactions from the wrestlers who have been in ECW when asked about him. There are definite hints from the office for wrestlers on the road to tone down the risky spots and attempt to both lengthen careers and lower the injury rate. The recognition is that can be a problem in some markets, such as New York and Los Angeles, where fans don't react as well to tone down style will chant boring if the chance slow down. If but the matches slow down. down. Yeah. Yes. Which <sighs> that's not, that was nothing new. I mean, I was watching a, a January 1980 Spectrum show the other day. And the fans were chanting boring in one of the earlier matches that show. Yes. Yeah, say nothing new. Yes, I mean, these days, it's been a while since I've been to a WWE house show, but it seems like everyone's kind of figured out a house show style that keeps the fans engaged, but is still also... Well, you don't get boring chants anymore anyway. No, I can't remember the last time I saw... No. I mean, it's it's one of those things, along with you fucked up and a lot of the sexual stuff, where like it does seem like there, it does seem like generally you have fans that don't want to feel like they are, I don't know, being offensive to the wrestlers or whatever is the right way to put it. But you get what I'm saying. Well, the WWE fan base is totally different anyway than the other wrestling fan bases. Yes. So. After the well, China, we but certainly next learned that over the weekend before we recorded this, didn't we? Oh, yeah. How different the different fan bases are. After the China book, this book that we'll put out will be a WrestleMania history written by Basil DeVito, current head of the XFL, for release probably in conjunction with the show. I don't think he actually wrote the book, but this is the um, 
It's the coffee table book that comes with like an edited down version of WrestleMania all day long on DVD, I think, right? Something like that. Yeah. There's definitely something off. I already read that. Uh, some Raw Sports notes. Uh, Malenko underwent off scrubbing knee surgery on January 4th, about, about four weeks. Eddie Guerrero still have action with back and hamstring problems in his question from the Rumble. There'll be a bigger promotional book for China, promotional push for China's book that comes out next week than any book up to this point. For some reason, that scares Dave, although China's apparently not a candidate for Dave or IC talk anytime soon. Or perhaps even ever. Mm-hmm. X-Files should return to Rumble. Ross met with Shawn Michaels on December 30th, and they discussed Michaels returning to, for a limited schedule, including doing some matches. He's hinted at a shame man return very soon as a TV player. Edge, bang up elbow, angle, strained shoulder are both working injured. And Michaels was supposed to come back to feud with Triple H to set up a Mania match, but he showed up to TV pilled out of his gourd, and Triple H refused to work with him, and that's what led to Triple H facing Undertaker instead. Yeah. Um, as far as the other stuff here. And we have more on Michaels coming up, so. Well, I wasn't talking about that. The China book, I've never read it, but, or at least all the way through, but I've seen enough about it that I know that's, that's one of the weirder WWE books because it's very obvious that no one that knew anything in the company, like, proofread it. Because it talks about people like her co-worker Terry Reynolds. <laughs> Like Jack Reynolds? Or like uh, Francois referred to her as Terry Reynolds. Because remember, uh, <laughs> Terry Reynolds was never pregnant. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I wonder what Francois is doing these days. Who knows? The, the last time I saw him show up, it was an interview about playing Sub-Zero in the Mortal Kombat movie, of course. Oh, yeah. The Tough and Unplug on Raw is an idea for a 13-week primetime TV series on MTV. The Duff is recruiting men and women who want to be pro wrestlers and narrowing the field down to 12, eight men, four women, and will air weekly features on them training. While the shows will be taped from March through May, they will air a 30-minute show all summer long, so that if something happens that they don't like one of the participants, they can remove that from the tape before introducing the person. The shows will get them over until one male and one female are picked from the group on the final episode of the show. As everyone tries to do the survivor concept, theoretically, they could be more if they're impressive. And they'll be given a developmental contract. Clearly, this is an idea taken from the success of the Discovery Channel Wrestling School special with UPW. With the idea they can make someone a star in 13 weeks of TV, to where a lot of the fans will know them if they introduce them as a rookie on their television at some point. What does this have to do with the Discovery Channel UPW special? It seems to me that this is more about doing a show like Survivor. That's what I was about to say. This is because reality competition shows are exploding. Yeah. Um, was it a half-hour show or was it an hour show originally? Uh, 20 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, I did not remember that. But it's all well, it them. makes sense because Real World was originally half-hour. And it's all these folks together, not focusing on one person every week. No. This this feels like Dave trying to understand and explain this new reality uh, genre to people. Well, it's like, well, well it's all going to be taped in advance, you see. Yeah. Was it eight men and four women, or was it more down the middle? I don't remember the, the breakdown. So, yes. Okay, so March through May. 
is when it was taped. Okay. You know, one thing I've always wanted to see, and I didn't see it at the time because they didn't really promote it much, they brought them back to the training center at the studio, like, right before the finale to do practice matches, and they live-streamed it. And I've never, like, ever since it's happened, I've never seen anyone talk about it. Hmm. Uh, more on Shawn Michaels. No decision has been made regarding him returning to this point. Ultimately, it's Vince's call. One would think since it pertains to a top match at Mania, the decision will be made within a few weeks since Michaels has to get in wrestling shape, and Mania plans will have to be formula- formulated either with or without him. Ultimately, it comes down to first, Vince making a decision to give him a shot, and second, him not causing problems or making flippant remarks about the talent or throwing temper tantrums and making everyone miserable. Because that's the reason he hasn't been around hardly at all. If the old Sean surfaces, he'll be sent home and the airplanes will be thrown out. His five-year contract, which pays him $750,000 a year, expires in just a few months. So at almost 36 years old, he's either going to have to fit in or his third career may be short-lived and he'll likely end up at WCW. The feeling is that nothing is going to be certain or planned at first past one match because they don't know how physically his back will hold up and how little he'll be willing to and be able to get away with doing it in the ring. The original thoughts of bringing him in for an advertised retirement match of Mania appear to be out the window. He may de- re-debut at Mania. If he does come in, that would be the most likely show for him to debut since it's another big attraction. But feeling is, if, if he can work tone down style without too much pain and not cause backstage problems, he may continue to wrestle on big occasions. Even if he can't, the feeling is that nobody would, nor should they, believe a retirement step anyway. The way that term has been bastardized so badly. So why do it if it won't mean anything? And, of course, the old Sean shows up, in a manner of speaking, and... Uh... He gets a no. Yeah. And basically, that was a sign for him that he had to clean up. He didn't clean up for a bit longer, though. I I forget when exactly it is that he has his rock bottom and realizes that he does not want to see... He does not want to see his... Excuse me. He does not want his kids to see him like that. Um, I guess it's later in the year. Or early 02. But that's what happens and you know it's weird like i mean maybe weird is the wrong way to put it he never went to rehab he never got any like addiction treatment he just decided one day to stop and went cold turkey on whatever he was taking and as far as we know he's never relapsed which you know i guess is further proof that it's not one size fits all you know yeah um although like from story, I mean, stories we've heard over the years, and I think particularly about the Dax story, about how Sean had been this great confidant and friend, and then all of a sudden he was with the rest of the clique and started acting like 1995 Sean Michaels and making light of things he had confided in him. It does seem like he probably would have benefited from some therapy at some point, but everyone could. So, Jericho got an article about wrestlers being hockey fans in the January 7th New York Daily News regarding his skating at a celebrity hockey game that day. Jericho, whose father Ted Irvine, played for the uh, New York Rangers among many teams in a lengthy NFL career, played junior hockey as a kid, and on his days off, sometimes skates in a Florida men's league. The story talks about Al Snow having a collection of 183 game jerseys. That's impressive. Oh, you mean Al Snow, one of the greatest wrestling trainers of all time? Well, also one of the greatest series wrestlers, hockey jersey collectors as well. Wow. 
Benoit and Regal both had the weekend off from house shows. Regal asked for it off many weeks back since his parents were coming in from England. Benoit had also asked for it off many weeks back. And we got more Jericho. Jericho worked to house in Anaheim, flew to California for Saturday, flew back, then you York for Sunday afternoon hockey, then flew back to California for Raw in San Jose. And uh, we got Lisa Marie Varon, who was Victoria of the Godfather's hose in now Memphis, is being trained to be an in-ring wrestler with the idea, because she's tall and you need women on the roster, they can bring her at some point as a more physical size matchup for China. What? That's what it says. I don't think they were that close in height. I mean, Victoria was bigger than the other women when she was on the roster, but she was never booked or really looked like she was that much bigger than the others. No, they didn't book her in that way. No. Abbott Laboratories. Hey, Abbott! Makers of Selsen Blue have apparently pulled out advertising on SmackDown, and Miles White, the CEO of the company, wrote a letter to L. Brent Bozell regarding the decision. God damn it. Fucking Brent Bozell still going in 2001. Of all the lawsuits ongoing. <laughs> And we close with this. WF is starting a new website at WFParents.com to help parents decide whether or not to let their kids watch WF programming as obviously a new nod, uh, new tool, excuse me, to combat the PTC's negative publicity. And there is a WWEParents.com to this day, isn't there? I don't know. I'm not a parent. I'm checking. Let's see. Okay, it redirects to... The What We Do page on the WWE corporate website. As I reject the cookies, it's asking if I want tracking me. Uh, that's the current website. So, okay, they don't really have the full parents' website anymore. And I'm going to check way back as far as www.wwfparents.com. Uh, but Selson Blue. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. a pretty consistent SmackDown advertiser, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. All right, so the earliest is in February that Wayback has. And here's what we have here. Okay, welcome to WWFParents.com. We have built this website to serve as a resource for parents with questions regarding the content of WWF programs. Millions of parents watch WWF programs with their teenagers and children. This, as with any television viewing choice, is a personal family decision. We hope the information on this site helps to make that personal choice easier. The WWF, through this website, ultimately hopes to place a number of resources at parents' fingertips to help them talk to their kids about tough issues they face every day. We encourage parents and quote-unquote family fans to share how they use WWF programming in a positive way with their children in the Learn From Your Peers section. We have news, greetings, TV ratings, I presume they mean content ratings, live events, consumer product ratings, commercial slash advertisements, parents and kids, and where WWFE stands. What, what, let's see what where WWFE stands is. Uh, our programs are tailored for teens and young adults who comprise 50% of our audience. Why does this sound like the cure for the common show speech? Uh, about 64% of our audience is 18 <laughs> years of age or older. Some of our viewers are younger children. Parents make the decision to allow their children to watch our programming. We encourage those parents to watch with their children. We urge parents who allow younger children to watch our programming to explain that what our superstars do on television should not be emulated in real life. Then WWFE's policy for individuals under the age of 13. Individual is a good uh, Vincentism. Uh, WWFE Inc. is encouraged to complying fully with the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. Oh yeah, COPA. Remember COPA? 
Down at the Copa. Copa Cabana. So. He debuted in Gleet the other day. Oh, the other Cabana. But, uh, we encourage Chris Cabana. Chris Cabana is still wrestling. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. Chris Rockwell is still wrestling on Florida Indies. How about that? Yes. I don't know if anyone remembers the Chris Cabana part, though, but yeah, same guy. Uh, We encourage parents and guardians to uh, spend time online with their children and to participate in the activities offered on the sites. No information should be submitted or posted posted at WWF New Media Network by fans under 13 years of age without the consent of their parent or guardian and they have their privacy policy. And the, the, uh, what else do we have here? We've got, uh, let's see, let's see news. If we have any news here, if that actually loads, uh, as this is, there we go. Or did it? It's a, it has an old website. It's not always behaving the way it should, but anyway, so yes, wwfparents.com. Oh, they have about, uh, oh, okay, commercials advertisements talks about, like, the MPAA ratings for movies they advertise, the SRB ratings for games they advertise. It sounds like they're just trying to think of ways to to fill space on this website, and they're not really sure what to do with it. Yeah, pretty much. Ooh, okay, this is great. On the page about the TV uh, content ratings. So they explain what the individual, like, modifiers, you know, as far as beyond TV PG, TV 14, you know, the DLSV, what they each mean in a WWF context. Are you ready for this? Sure. uh, L, coarse language. Characters may use slang and make sophomoric rude gestures, typical of language and actions used by high school and young adults. Some older adults, too. V, violence. Actions you will not see WWF characters portray are murder, rape, or robbery. Neither will WWF characters use guns or knives. Typical actions that do occur within WWF programming are as follows. Characters may quote-unquote hit opponents with metal chairs. Shiny new trash cans. (laughs) Why is that so specific? Baking sheets, metal stop signs, or kindo sticks. Okay. Characters may quote-unquote slam opponents through folding tables, announcer booths, ring barricades, and turnbuckles. Male characters may body slam female opponents in the ring, and vice versa. D, suggestive dialogue. Television announcers and Mm -hmm. characters may comment on female characters that wear revealing clothing. Are you (laughs) sexual innuendo or double entendre? (laughs) And S, sexual situations. You will not usually see this reading because there typically there typically are no inappropriate sexual situations presented as part of our programming. No. And for the record, Raw was TV fourteen LVD, SmackDown was TV PG LVD, Livewire was and Superstars were TV PGV, Heat was TV PG LVD, Jacked in syndication was TV fourteen, Metal in syndication was TV PG. If you've ever wondered what the difference between Jacked and Metal was, that was the theoretical difference. Was that Jacked was more for late nights with the recaps that better reflected the actual programming on the main shows. So, there you go. If you want to look it up on Wayback Machine, it's there. Alright, next week on Between the Sheets, 
Because you can breathe easier. We go back to the 80s. Hey. We go back to 1987. We'll talk about the War of Philadelphia. As Crockett and WF both run Philadelphia on the same night. Hey. That happened more than so once, I, didn't it? Yeah, it did. But this is, I think, maybe the first time that happened. So uh, we'll have the rundown of those cards and how the business went. Jim the Anvil Nightheart assaults a stewardess. We'll have that. Oh, wait, if this is 88, this is follow-up, because that happened in 87. This is 87. Oh, I thought you said 88, sorry. No, I, thought, I did no, not. We, haven't we covered the week where that happened to them? Nope. Nope. Oh, we did. Nope. Not the exact week. We had covered We covered it aftermath. We didn't cover the exact week it happened, because it happened late in the week. Towards the end of the week. Our week we're doing. Dominic here is released from the hospital, so we'll have news on that. Barry Darso joins WF. We'll have news on that. Plus, uh, all sorts of other stuff, including uh, Randy Savage of Piper's Pit. And look it up at Jack. We'll have stuff from Japan as Tetsumi Fujinami and King Okamura have their uh, rivalry going hot and heavy during our week. And Daryl Peterson, New Japan rookie, gets a major victory. So we'll have news on that. Uh, we'll go around the world internationally. We got stuff from England, Japan, I mean, England, Canada, Mexico. Well, no, Mexico, England, Canada, Puerto Rico. All right, we got uh, in the U.S., we got Kevin Sullivan coming back to Florida to be the booker and a promo the boot. We get an uh, update on the New Guinea Headhunter Stud Stable feud. Jerry Lawler suffers a serious injury in Memphis thanks to Austin Island Tommy Rich. UWF, we got all kind of TV tapings to talk about and lots of thoughts on from Dave there. Plus some interesting stuff on television. World Class switches their bookers as Bruiser Brody has now taken over the book there. Oh, plus boy. We'll have, plus what needs on Carrie Von Eric. His return and Lance Von Eric possibly leaving. We got a new Central States champion and Superstar Bill Dundee, who's gloats on TBS about it. We get news on the Crockett's wanting to run Canada and Detroit. Lex Luger coming to town. World Warriors maybe coming in for full-time duty. News on Vladimir Pietrov. And the Rock and Roll Express, are they becoming uncool to dudes? All that more next week on Between the Sheets. So it should be a fun, fun show. Wait, the Road Warriors weren't full-time yet? Nope. They weren't on the contract yet. I thought they were under contract in 86. Yes. Nope. Not as a full-time deal. No. So, oh, because they're still taking indie dates and stuff in 86. Yeah, they are. Yes. But even their their primary position is with Crockett in 86, but they're not, like, signed-signed, I guess is the way to put it. Yes. Okay. And also, I went to go look at it. You have not put the notes in the Google Drive yet. No, I have not. So you need to do that, but... Next week on Machine. I, I thought I did. Uh, I just searched and they're not there. I mean, I can go look at the folder, I guess. It's in It's in there. Hold on, I'm looking. As far as I know, episode 440. Uh, okay, wait, I just clicked the wrong thing. Uh, but anyway. All right, well, that's it for us this week. Big thanks as always to Rock the Show. This is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.